Welcome to episode nine of the Shark Bites podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And uh, we are continuing the uh, coverage for Star Wars. This week, of course, we're going to be covering the original trilogy, or as uh, I used to hear it referred to on uh, cracked videos as the Ridge Tridge, which makes no sense because it's not a trigily, it's a trilogy. And uh, I'm, again, not alone. Uh, unfortunately, um, Doing the uh, trench run, Jordan got shot down and had to uh, take her ship in for repairs, so she will not be joining us. But uh, I am joined. No! That was actually pretty good. I was. I am being joined this week by uh, Josh of Source Point Press. Josh, how you doing today? Great. Happy to be here. I, uh, I'm I'm digging because we we have video like you folks at home can't see it but like you got that sweet source point press hat and that that little wristband there oh yes I do rad. oh yeah you noticed that yeah I do both yeah it's yeah, pretty rad <laughs> and uh, we are uh, from the Force Insensitive podcast we are joined by Rocky also known as uh, Green Sativa also known as the Rancor Rancor Queen Sexual Phallus uh, he has worked on Dathomir Hoth Dantooine and Tatooine which means he's very good at outer rim jobs so Rocky how are you doing today rim jobs are the best sir and I'm just <laughs> glad that uh, Joshua's here because <laughs> it takes the heat off of me and I feel bad that we lost Jordan so early on well that's a, she was uh, she was definitely going to be uh, coming back at some point you know, because I felt bad. There was a uh, deep space transmission. Somebody was jamming her signal, and you know, we just can't, we just can't get in touch with her. So she'll come back as a force ghost. Everything will be good. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure she'll be back for the sequel. So nice. I figure we start off by kind of getting into when you guys were first exposed to this, uh, this trilogy. When you first started watching Star Wars. So, Josh, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what was your first experience to the original trilogy? Oh, man. Well, like most of us uh, as a kid, I'm pretty sure it was on television all the time. I can't remember. I mean, I know I was really, really young, but I can't remember the first time I watched it. But, like The first movie that I did see from the original trilogy was A New Hope. It was the first one. Um, and I want to say it was probably around 1990. Okay. Uh, so pre-special edition stuff, which is cool. <laughs> okay, so you were, uh, you, were, you were pre-Han shot first situation, okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for me, it was just, a, I mean, massive marketing and toys. Uh, I probably saw the films like six times before I really actually pieced together all of the story of what the hell was going on. <laughs> I think like most kids, you don't even realize it at the time, there's just so much. I mean, the movies thrust you right into the middle of crazy things happening everywhere. And, you know, you're glued to it. And yet you also don't really care about all those plot points at the time. And then later it's like, oh, wow, there's a really good story threading all this together. <laughs> it's pretty cool. That's fair. Uh, Rocky, how about you? I know you are, uh, you're, you're fairly in-depth in, uh, in your fandom. <laughs> That's a polite way of putting that. Thank you. 
Um, <laughs> since I'm very old, uh, I was too young to see it when it first came out in 77, but we had a theater in my hometown that, uh, sort of ran it like they did the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It ran for like a couple of years after it first came out. So two years after it came out, my dad took me to go see it and what happened to my brain that day never recovered and, you know, had all the toys growing up, still got a lot of the toys down in my studio today. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I also, during my, um, during the eighties and the nineties, I started reading a lot of the expanded universe of the time. And then, uh, during the nineties, when I was doing a lot of de career delivery jobs, I got a bunch of the novels on tape to listen to in the car. Cause I was in the car all the time. So, yeah, I delve really deep into a lot of the expanded universe, which is now quote unquote legacy. And uh, yeah, I just consume everything Star Wars, whether it be good or bad. At the end of the day, I'm just happy we live in an age where we're getting more of it. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I was, uh, I think I was more similar to uh, Josh's exposure, where I remember the uh, uh, Return of the Jedi being on TV, and I didn't quite understand what was going on. I just. I, I remember watching a, a scene, you know, the scene where the, the walkers are going through the woods, and I had no idea what it was. It was just something crashing through the trees. I'm like, oh, maybe it's a dinosaur, because I was about, I think, four when it was on TV. Um, so this is 1985. And, and then, like, seeing all these little bear guys running around fighting these other guys, I had no clue what was going on, but there were lasers and robots and, you know, <laughs> space explosions, and then, like... I don't know what's going on, but I feel so weird below the belt. Yeah. That might have been my first boner. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, I hate to see you in a plush store if teddy bears get you going. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, like I, you know, I, of course, started um, really getting into the, the series. I would watch it uh, as often as I could. We didn't have the, the VHS, unfortunately, but eventually ended up getting all the all the movies i have multiple versions now of the vhs i have multiple versions of the blu-rays and the dvds and obviously i have disney plus so we've got all the various things i've got a bunch of the books i've read a bunch of the expanded universe stuff uh rocky at some point we're going to talk about thrawn because thrawn's such the, an amazing the character the classic thrawn or the or the new no the the, the, the thrawn trilogy Okay, the original Timothy Zahn Thrawn trilogy from yes. back in the day. Oh yeah, with Saboth and the whole Mara Jade deal and yep. Oh yeah, son. So, like that's kind of where where I come from. So, uh, because I have Disney Plus and because you know we have Episode Nine coming out in just a few weeks, I uh, I kind of wanted to talk about the original trilogy, obviously. So, as the events of the original trilogy uh, are supposed to as George Lucas says, rhyme with the new trilogy. Uh, we're going to kind of get into what that means and like how um, how this whole saga was set up. Like you said, Josh, it uh, it immediately drops you in to this you know action scene. Like you see this huge ship flying by, and then an even bigger ship is just like blasting it from all sides. They get caught up, and then you know you see all these guys that are freaked out in a hallway, and there's black robot with a you know uh, a deep menacing voice comes out of nowhere like at least that was my impression when i first saw vader um, and a huge dropping red phallus coming through the door <laughs> so what was when you first saw vader 
and saw like the fear that he inspired and just like the way he threw guys around with minimal effort. What did you think? Uh, so I'll start. With, I'll, I'll start. If you don't mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, immediately, I mean, especially when you go back and you watch and you try to think of it from a totally fresh point of view, you're like, "Wow, okay." There's already so much happening here that we don't know anything about, and we're immediately made to see that this is someone who is feared across the galaxy immediately, and he's obviously more than human. He's something much more powerful. And, uh, and you can already see that there's a ton of politics tied up in this and you're already trying to figure out where his place is in it, you know, what his position is, um, uh, why it's an empire, but there's still a Senate. Why is there a rebel alliance at all? There's like, why are these people being accused of it? Who's the girl hiding behind the boxes? Like it's, it's a hell of a way to kick off a movie. Rocky, how about you? Oh, hang on. It helps if I take the mute button off. Yes. Because um, I have running Ewoks going through my house. <laughs> my dogs are running crazy <laughs> right now. So, sorry. Um, you know, it's exactly like Joshua put it very eloquently, actually. That's, uh, it's, um, you know, it really grabs you from the first opening moments. Honestly, in the, in the cinema history of great entrances, dude, I mean, in the top three, easy for anybody who's not even a fan, the entrance of Darth Vader is one of the most menacing things that has ever taken place in cinema history. I mean, like you said, first of all, the color juxtaposition of how white the, you know, the ship, the ship interior is, the white on the soldiers, when stormtroopers come through the door, it's just smoke and white armor, and then all of a sudden this menacing black silhouette figure appears and as you said just denounces dominance from the first time he is seen on film till he is eventually swiped into the next scene where he's gone you fixate on nothing but who is this guy what is this about and as a kid for me seeing as a young child it was you didn't blink you were like what am i seeing right now and the and you know and that's as you say when you kick off a first movie where you're like already in the midst of the major turmoil from the get-go, it immediately, if done right, pulls the audience in on a level that's like, all right, I have to see what's going to happen next. Yeah, and you're definitely not looking at it like, hmm, I wonder who that is. Probably a friend of theirs. You know, like you <laughs> know that this is the big bad guy, and you're just like, what is that thing hanging off his belt? Like, what is that thing? Like, what are all these lights on his chest? Like, what does all this mean? Like, why is he wearing this helmet? Like, everybody's wearing helmets, but, like, why is his helmet so different? Like, obviously, it, it indicates his... And why does he have asthma? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, what is that? But having James Earl Jones do the voice... Oh, yeah. ...is just, like, a stroke of genius. Like, I don't know, like, uh, who else could have... Come up, maybe like an Orson Welles. That was the original person who. I was going to go it. with Paul Rubens, but yeah, Orson Welles <laughs> is a good call. He, uh, George Lucas originally wanted Orson Welles to do the voice, but he thought it'd be too recognizable. And at the time, nobody knew who James Earl Jones was, um, so we went with that instead. And I would it like it to have been Orson good. Welles when he was doing the wine commercial that's infamous now. If you've ever seen it, he was doing a wine <laughs> yeah. commercial in Italy or something, and he just every take he's more fucking wasted. Yep. <laughs> that, but yeah, that was one of the uh, just like you said, Rocky. One of the most you know iconic and entertaining uh, opening scenes in any movie. Not just for the reveal, but just for the like, what is going on? What is so important? 
that they have to, you know, have this huge battle and like, what is going on? What are they protecting? So, well, um, I'd like to bring this out because I know when we were talking the original trilogy, I wanted to say this because I'm a fan. Like a lot of people say they're fans, and then you know, with toxic fandom these days, nobody's ever happy with anything. So I just want to say that after years and years of watching all these movies, the hundreds of thousands of times I've watched this trilogy, nothing gave me more pleasure than in this new iteration of Star Wars when they made Rogue One. And now I can no longer watch A New Hope without dovetailing in off of Rogue One because it seems like it fills all those gaps in which Josh was just talking about. Perfectly. Perfect. You know, decades later, you get that backstory that even makes watching four more intense now, because when Vader comes through that door, you can see I have had enough of this shit. You asked exactly. about four parsecs back. You pissed me off. And now I'm fucking tired of it. Yeah, it, it, it really it does add to the intensity of it, because you start to see just how much struggle was happening right before this. There's so much going on. And uh, they want that transmission. They want they're they're trying to crush all these bugs that have been creeping in. It's um it's really impressive. Well, I'm gonna... is, I, I think that, that this entire thing was just it was designed in a way where we're gonna add in a whole bunch of details that don't need to make sense now or ever. But if we wanted to, we could flesh out in all directions. There's just so many little things that. Uh, were there but could they didn't have to be set in stone they could be rewritten later they could be decided upon later um it just left so much room for prequels uh which is pretty genius honestly like there's very few things that are built that well where you can fit in these puzzle pieces so perfectly well and and that's kind of where a lot of people who like to bitch and complain about the the new trilogy is you know if you really first of all i i forgot who said it, it was a great video floating around the internet of uh, um uh freddie prince jr where he fucking gets angry and so do i when people just start you know because you don't feel like the franchise grew with you you're forgetting one major thing these fucking things were made for kids yeah they're made to sell <laughs> toys so so at the end of the day, there's always going to be something campy, something cheesy, and they do move fast. You know, that's why the swipes like, you know, not to deviate from the original trilogy, but the thing they're hitting so well with the Mandalorian right now is the pacing. That's the way the mm-hmm. old movie, the original original trilogy went. It was very fast paced, interconnected sequences of what's going on right now with these guys. It's imperative. And for me, uh, just to touch back on that, that Vader scene real quick, the thing that I liked the most about that scene is while it showed just the sheer ferocity and power that Vader had, it it also kind of highlighted his limited mobility because he doesn't have that full range of motion in the suit that he had as Anakin Skywalker jumping and flipping around, you know, spinning the lightsaber behind his back like we saw in all the battles with Obi-Wan and, and in the prequels. Like, he has very limited mobility, and it doesn't hinder him a bit. Like, he's just... Well, I think it's more he doesn't have to because he's so powerful with the force now. He doesn't require range of motion when he can grab you with his mind and fling you across the room. Who cares about turning around to stab you? Right. It's just like, you know, you see him only kind of only moving his arms at his elbows. You don't see him really moving his arms, you know, swinging in in a full circle. I mean, part of that is the cramped conditions, but part of that is... You know the fact that he just can't do it anymore, and like that's a, an attention to detail that uh, you really get to see, and it, and it kind of highlights you know because a lot of people will complain about you know the uh, you know kids who get into the the 
the series in the last 20 years or so, you know, that start off with the prequels. It's like, oh, these lightsaber duels are so, you know, stiff and clunky. It's like, well, first of all, he's fighting a, a, a 90-year-old man. I mean, he's, not, <laughs> he's obviously not 90. Like, you have no idea how old he is. Like, in reality, he's, what, 55, 60? And, you know... You see him, you know, you see Vader with this, you know, inability to move around as much as, you know, someone who didn't have all their limbs cut off. This is a great point for a WD-40 ad if you're a (laughs) having trouble rotating your shoulder. It's important to note at this point in the storyline, too, uh, his adversaries have changed. He really is just a tool of the politics at this point now. He's he there are no Jedi to fight. There is nobody like him left. He's been doing nothing but walking around being intimidating uh, to a ton of people who are lesser than him just to make sure that there's just enough fear in all of these people that keep them doing their job for the Empire at all times to squash any hints of rebellion. So, I mean, really, he hasn't had to flex his muscles in a while, even in his Force ones. Well, that's it. Once the Jedi were purged, they really had nothing of any significance to stop them from what they were doing. They had the military. They had the fleet. They had, you know, the last remaining Force user. So, you know, he's almost more of like a like a like a just a a figure to be seen and and feared and revered. And and he's like a bond people on these ships who haven't even witnessed what he's capable of or not sure they believe it. Like he's just kind of rumors are just floating about what he what he is and what he can do. And that's another really important thing to remember is this is only 19 years after the Galactic (laughs) Empire was created and somehow just through their political force and their propaganda, they have managed to make people basically all but forget about the Jedi Council, all but forget about the old Republic. Like the old ways are squashed so much that people like him are legends and they don't really know if he even existed. Like what is true anymore and what the history is, has kind of disappeared. It's the first thing, the first thing a conquering government does is try to erase the history of the people because once they don't have any, bonded roots after a couple of generations right that's why like you said there's nobody in the outer rim who even believes when you meet han solo you realize yeah. there are people who believe this is all bullshit you know so and that's where the where the prequels at leading up to this really really succeed is in showing a stark contrast it's like seeing what you know coruscant used to be like and seeing how big big and beautiful and shiny everything was and how all these people were all interconnected and then now you're going to this just desolate despair and these like poor worlds and full of ran by thugs and thieves and murderers and and then the power of the empire and there's nothing else there's anything else is just going to be whispers they don't talk about anything else right like you see uh when when anakin first meets uh qui-gon and they're like take him back to his to his house during the sandstorm he's like he's like oh you must be a jedi i saw your laser sword and like now nobody believes in the jedi you know kind of touching on what you were saying josh like a lot of these guys especially the guys that were mouthing off to vader in the in the force <laughs> choke scene, yeah, like oh, those yeah. guys were probably what ten, fifteen years old back, you know, when all this shit was going down. So they didn't see any of the Jedi fighting. I've been mm-hmm. force choking people since before you were a fetus, asshole. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, like, like you're saying, it's no one knows this anymore, and and Vader is just one of these guys that just walks around, you know, being intimidating, 
probably never uses his lightsaber. You know, he he's much more in control of his emotions than, say, a Kylo Ren who was like, oh, things didn't go my way. Let me whip out my lightsaber and just destroy whatever's in yeah. front of me. Right. You know, Vader's not uh, uh, of that ilk, so to speak. Now, see, what's great with all the new, uh, the new canon is like uh, for those who do venture out and watch the other things, the Clone Wars and the Rebels and such, you know, they are filling in those gaps very nicely mm-hmm. for people who have been fans of this trilogy for a long time who didn't have anything but your imagination and the novels that would occasionally trickle out that might fill some gaps. You know, now we're getting some really good organized storytelling. Like once again, referring back to Rogue One, one of the biggest things that everybody likes to nitpick every movie to death you know myself included but i'm a little more rational about things you know obviously oh why was it so easy for one little ship to get in and destroy this big magnificent battle station and stuff and you just them telling the fact that you know uh galen urso put this as a fail safe so somebody could destroy this freaking thing you know it's just those little things that your whole life you wanted to know or feel about different parts of the galaxy or different characters you knew nothing about. It's neat getting those touchstones now, later. Yeah, and you get to see, like, uh, my favorite character from from that uh, was Chirrut Imwe. You get to see people who are Force-sensitive, but they're not Jedi. Like, they're in tune with the Force. But they're not, you know, they're not going to be jumping around with lightsabers, doing crazy backflips. I mean, and Donnie Yen was perfect. He was blind. Right. (laughs) But, I mean, like... He he still wasn't, uh, you know. He he wasn't like the, he didn't have the same carriage of a Jedi. Like, oh, I. Have we haven't really me. seen that much since. Uh, I mean, Leia really. Like, um, you, now that we now we have now that's been fleshed out so much more. Mm-hmm. There are people who are just uh, they're more force sensitive, but they never, were never trained. But I mean, we know that Leia's always had a little bit. Um, we never really got to see exactly how much of that played out throughout her like young life, but now like having characters that are it's really a big part of the story man that's genius i mean it, that's a movie without jedi that still uses the force uh well and, and a lot. exactly and 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 that's once again the good storytelling of the writing crew working on anything it's you know having people who actually know and give a hint of caring towards the subject matter being able to be creative in this this toy box you know everybody who gets to work for star wars now is the luckiest person on the planet because they get to get play with all the toys they can mm-hmm. do yeah. anything bring anything in they want it's like with with rebels their reintroduction to thrawn was fantastic like i a couldn't believe they were doing it and be so pleased with how they did it and uh you know that's that's sort of the wonderful thing about when we're living now but the original trilogy as you said because there were so many open spaces if you will it's allowing people to whether with their imagination or with new canon and extended universe fill these little gaps that just keep the joy if you love the universe if you love the galaxy it keeps the joy in that alive you know yeah so i want to i want to touch on a couple of things that i noticed while uh while re-watching this so after being fired off in the uh the escape pod now multiple uh, escape pods are fired off all different directions and C-3PO makes the uh, the uh, the proclamation, oh, the damage doesn't look as bad from out here. It's like, first of all, you're looking at a Star Destroyer that's like this tiny little thing that doesn't take up the port, the whole porthole. Now, that thing is <laughs> miles long. Crazy. Yeah. 
Like that thing is miles long. It's absolutely massive. And second of all, well, let me ask you, how big is your portal? Just curious. <laughs> You're gonna get all fucking high and mighty. Explain yourself, sir. Yeah. Well, it it definitely would not d- eclipse a star destroyer. We'll say that. Okay. <laughs> Famous um, last words. But and you can't see the, the the cruiser from there because it's inside. So like that line doesn't make any sense to me. The thing that bugs me, though, is that they launched multiple escape pods in all different directions, and then that guy comes up to Vader and is like, hey, yeah, they launched an escape pod that just uh, crashed on Tatooine. We should just, like, go down there and, and look, even though there's no life forms. Maybe there's droids. Like, did they do... I imagine they would have to have done the same thing that they did in Empire, where they're just, like, firing probes off in every direction, trying to figure out, like, where the rebel base is, because they got really lucky really quickly with this. My my overall theory for that has always been this is uh, firstly, you've got a lot of people who probably were trying to get the fuck out of there. So probably there were several escape pods launching out. And secondly, I think diversionary tactic, if you send several empty ones out, are they going to waste time blowing up empty ones when they can just go and retrieve it later? Well, that's fair. Um, one thing I, that bug C-3PO for this entire trilogy and mostly for the prequel trilogy, is completely useless. Completely useless. He just... Oh, he's so bad. He's like my least favorite character. Uh, he's comic relief. Before there was a Jar Jar, there was 3PO. But he's he's whiny comic relief. Like, it sucks so much. He just complains about everything. Um, a, a lot of his complaining is designed to also fill you in on some of the things that right. are yeah. happening. Like, which is, you know, clever enough, I guess. And he's good at being that character that you hate. <laughs> I, I, mean, think he, I think it all, all sort of comes to head when you get to Jedi and he has that moment where he's telling their heroic stories to the Ewoks. And it's like, at the end of the day, there was always this Lucas, whether Lucas said it directly or somebody had the conversation, apparently this whole thing was supposed to end as just being a story told through the memory banks of the droids. Yeah, I've 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 heard the theory that it's not the Skywalker story; it's the story of R two and C three PO. I mean, right? If you think about it, three PO is the only one, the only character who has a speaking line throughout every single film, and and where they go is linking everything together. I mean, they take us to Luke, they take us to Obi Wan, they take us to Leia. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like they're constantly, we're just following them throughout the galaxy in a circle. As all, Meanwhile, all these battles are happening off camera that we're not seeing. We're always just wherever they are. Right. Um, it's, it, and when you have such a massive universe and so many things happening at once, it's a really good tactic to give you a focal point you know, when you're trying to tell multiple stories. It, I, and it's a dumb focal point that doesn't matter you know, to droids. You know, it's, right. it's kind of an interesting way to go about it. I will well, say one thing that... Um, had the Empire not had so many uh, R2-D2 compatible computer ports, this movie would have been over in like 20 minutes. <laughs> that's that's how you get VD, sir. Yeah, Just right. When you make your port available galaxy-wide, you're going to get something. Uh, he was a, he's a port whore. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did have a note saying, why does R2 never fly anymore? Or is it only off screen? Because I will say I did like that aspect in the in the prequels when like he just opens up you know it's like batman's utility belt like that's what r2 is 
like yeah, anything yeah. you need. That's that he's got a buzzsaw. He's got a little, you know, taser. He's got you know, jets. He can fly around. He's got that that port. Except for that one time where he thought the electrical socket was a a port on a in Jetta. Oh, who hasn't done that before? <laughs> I feel like there's um. I'm trying to remember. There is a noteworthy time, and it might maybe it was filled in with some comics or something. But I believe the their memory banks had recently been wiped before episode four. Does that sound accurate? I know three uh, PO did. Yeah, three PO. And, and it's always never quite known how much R two D two kept and how much he lost. Because right? they they've even like they even said like uh, I think Luke makes the. It's either Luke or Obi Wan, like they're together, and he's like, "I don't think this droid's memory's ever been wiped, or something like that." Or they act erratic if they don't have a memory wipe for that long. Um, right? Yeah, yeah. Three PO mentions it too. Yeah, that this he's you know he's lost it. He's gone crazy. He's talking about old you know masters and things like that. Yeah. Which of course there's always that part where Obi Wan doesn't recognize them at all, which seems a little bit hard to swallow. Which- all this, all this conversation we're having at this point just leads me to. I'm very excited because I'm pretty sure I know the route they're going from in the new movies. When you know, you've all seen the trailer by now, so you've yeah. seen three PO's dialogue or yeah. monologue. Uh, there's a great old expanded universe. Speaking of this sort of thing, that I really hope is what they're doing with him in this movie. And if they do, I'll get a lot of joy out of it. So I think with C three PO, he's probably been on the receiving end of. He always, you know, for lack of a better term, you'd see three of always, always gets the, the, the shitty end of the stick with oh, that yeah. situation. So, uh, which is why, you know, Patsy saying, you know, he, he's so damn annoying. I was like, well, you know, then it sort of makes you feel good when he gets dismembered on Bespin or. You know, <laughs> yeah, but then he's a dick about it. Body. Like Chewie's putting him back together and he's like, oh, you put me on backwards, you stupid <laughs> asshole. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I think that's that's what 3PO is supposed to be. He's supposed to be that reluctant character that we kind of like and we root for. But at the end of the day, it's like I would totally shut him down if he was in my house. Yeah, no, hmm. he wouldn't. He would. He would. I'd be like, we don't serve your kind here. Your droids. They have to wait outside. <laughs> and as that far as I can totally see your face superimposed over that guy right now. Again. <laughs> now I'm going to do some Photoshop for you later this week. Nice. Uh, so we see the we see the droids after they escape. We see them get picked up uh, while Leia's trying to stall Vader, and she's like, "I don't know what you're talking about. Plans? What plans? I don't, what? You know? Do I look like a girl with a plan?" <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we see the droids get picked up, and that's another. Uh, this is the problem with retroactive continuity. Like when you go back in time, like why did? Owen and see maybe it's because there were so many different uh similar looking droids to 3PO why didn't Owen and Baru recognize 3PO when he was like clearly at the uh at the house at the end of uh Revenge of the Sith when he left was he still partially right, about that. They No so, when uh... they brought when they brought Luke to them uh, no, no, C three PO wasn't with them. I don't think it was just uh, Obi Wan. All right, so yeah, never mind. I was. Uh... Well, no, I'm also wondering if when when three PO left in the prequel trilogy, when he left them, uh, wasn't he wasn't he still not complete yet? Was he still? Well, he uh, he. Uh, I was I was mixing things up. Like I thought he was with them. Uh, he might have been with them on. Uh, yeah, he was with them in uh, the the second one after they brought Shmi's body back. 
from the Sand People. Right. Yeah. Was he was he uh, with R two and Padme well, in that situation? Yes. Because they ended owned, up being owned on the by ship. Padme at that point, right? So and which is yeah. how he ends up with the with Rebel Alliance at all is because he ends up going and living with the Organas, I imagine, and then. Who knows? Yeah, because he had some of the worst, oh, some of the worst dialogue in that in that second movie when he's, yeah, uh, getting that um, bullshit. Because C three O never gave a fucking monologue about sand. So well, he did get his head pulled off and was being pulled around after he got stuck on the battle droid, and he's like, "Oh, <laughs> what a drag!" And then just, you know, R two brings him over to his body. He's like, "Oh, I'm quite beside myself." It's like, "Oh, fuck you!" Yeah. Like, be prepared for more of that in the final installment. Is all I'm saying because I uh, know yeah. I know where they're going, and if that drove you crazy, I'm expecting we're going to get some of that. I mean, I like bad jokes, but like, I mean, this was that was not the time or place. Like, there's a major battle going on. You know, <laughs> again, comic relief. Yeah, no, I, I get those, you. those little things. Those those things don't bug me. They're kind of either cringe at them or you giggle at them and you move on at the end of the day those things don't take away more than the major thing like the only thing i still have a major gripe about and yes i am a han shot for your first purist because i think that takes away from the intensity of the character but nonetheless the only thing i still can't stand is midichlorians that's the only thing that still is like razor blades on my spine and they just completely ignore it after the first one like just (laughs) yeah they're like we admit that was a terrible idea yeah, which is they're, odd they're, for George to do. They're touching on it a little bit, but I think what they're going to do on the, in the Mandalorian is they're touching on it, but I think they're never going to call it by its name. They're going to allude to that's what they're doing. We're going to call it force gonna... bacteria. F. coli. So now I haven't seen the most recent episode, but I saw the previous, the third episode, and that was my first thought too. Was when they had little the baby. Um, they, that's what I was thinking too. Are they checking for midichlorians? I was like, I was immediately thinking of that. Well, they yeah. were taking his blood. And stuff, the right? the and patch that the, that, uh, Dr. Pershing has is a, uh, Camino in patch. patch. Yeah. Like the thing on his, on his shoulder. So it's like, Oh, yeah. they're going to clone him. That's right. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't... Like, Cause if they're that rare and then that, that powerful with the force, like that's right. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, I know we're getting a, a smidge off topic, but it's, it's hard not to because once again, oh, this, yeah. show is, this, this show is filling a lot of gaps in some things, too, which is, you know, once again, and so perfect with, mm-hmm. with Filoni and Favreau at the helm of this thing, dude, the storytelling is unbelievable. They're able to work in so many little things in this show that, you know, questions you had as an original trilogy person is kind of neat. So one of the uh, one of the things that I, I saw, and I, I've heard rumors, and Rocky, I'm sure you've heard the same the same rumors that this are you is... saying I'm a nerd? <laughs> yeah. What are you getting at, asshole? That uh, this is somehow going to tie into the new trilogy, and I have a, a couple of ideas because the episode that comes out in a couple of weeks, instead of airing on Friday, is airing on Wednesday, right bef- on the uh, the 18th. Because yep. Ooh. that's right before episode nine comes out. So I'm it's one of two things. It's either this is gonna connect directly into how the Emperor's yeah. back, or we want people to watch this and go see the movie, so we'll just alter the schedule. Not pick one or the other kind of thing, yeah. Right. Or it I could be both. It could be both. Like <laughs> what, yeah. Yeah. what it... I think there I think there is gonna be some sort of timing. Mean, there already is. I mean, honestly, okay, let's let's put the let's put the cards on the table. 
you know, we've got this whole the Emperor's back in play in Rise of Skywalker. And then in The Mandalorian, we have Imperial agents trying to find, extract, and or do something with force-wielding DNA. I think cause, because ever since the inception of the Clone Wars TV series, Filoni loves the cloning thing. He loves having that worked into a lot of different aspects. So I think that knowing Filoni's track record of loving to deal with the cloning aspect, I think there is going to be some sort of tie as to what they're doing in the Mandalorian versus what's going to be inevitably happening at the end of rise of Skywalker. I think that's definitely a probability. So I want to get your guys thoughts on this. And I, I asked this last week as well. Um, there is a theory going around that um, based on some dialogue that uh, happened in the prequels and some dialogue that happened in episode eight. And normally I don't like to give Ryan Johnson credit for anything because to me that was the worst episode of the entire saga. But that aside, because we'll be talking about that next week, uh, there is a theory. So the child in this, as stated in the first episode of The Mandalorian, is 50 years old. Do you know who else would be 50 years old at the time of this, uh, the Mandalorian taking place? Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, I've heard this. You think Anakin and Yoda had a tryst? No, no, that that wasn't uh, that wasn't where I was going. Uh, <laughs> no, there was uh, the theory is uh, because there's the line that, by Snoke that says, you know, you know, darkness falls and the light rises to meet it, something like that. It was in the it was in all the trailers. And Darkness so, rises, light rises to meet it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, there's the the uh, the balance of the force and the prophecy that the one who will bring balance to the force was, can, you know, born around that same time. So if Vader is the one who is bringing up the dark side of the force and causing all these, you know, decades of of terror and and sadness and anger and everything, and he was born around fifty years ago. And this, you know, as I call him, Yiddle, uh, was born around the same time. Is that the Force trying to correct itself with the light side and the dark side? Because as we've seen with every every single member of Yoda's species, they're all light side users. They're all incredibly powerful on the light side. Um, And they've never had any draw to the dark side whatsoever. So if, you know... This is uh, this is what's going on, you know. Do you think that's uh, well? Firstly, it would really fuck you up if at the end of uh, episode nine you find out that wasn't the emperor speaking, and it was this little baby Yoda who was all evil. <laughs> that would right? be <laughs> that would be the best. He's just voiced by Ian McDermott, right? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. See, we should write these movies. Is all I'm saying. Oh, yeah, right. Like that would be the best. Why do you need a chair that big? You're 16 inches tall. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's like uh, he's like at a robotic harness underneath to make him look human size. Oh, it's kind of like the the chair that the uh, that the uh, uh, Trade Federation Newt Gunray had, where it's yeah. got like the spider legs on it. He's right. Walking. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, there's see, this is the thing now is there's there's so many opportunities we don't know, and see, once again, this is. This is where I delve into my toxic fandom 
bitch and argument is like everybody loves to think of what it would be like don't get me wrong i was one of those people that was like i was all ready for certain things to happen when this was announced they didn't go the way that went in my head but at the end of the day i'm not making this movie either so the people who get really angry because it didn't turn out how they wanted it to i'm kind of like yeah you know you don't have to like everything but at the end of the day you know because they didn't tell the story you wanted why why does it matter if you can't sit and watch what they did create Right. You I think there's create... also there's also a, a degree of them trying to not give everybody what they're expecting to happen. So, like, if they want it to be a surprise, and they know that the collective fan base has already got their mind set in a direction, for better or worse, they can't go that direction. Do not you... if their goal is to surprise us, right? So, like, every single time, like, we build up all these expectations through fan theories and through all of our evidence. And even if it, even if the fan's choice is the logical choice, it's almost never going to be the choice, right? Because they were like, well, we've got to evade this to some degree um, to keep the fans on their toes and to make sure that we're in control, even if their storyline that they take isn't necessarily the better option. It makes sure that we don't already know a movie and what's going to happen before it comes out. So there's a, there's a, a there's a way to subvert expectations. There's the Ryan Johnson way, and then there's the Filoni Favreau way. Because I don't think anyone expected a, a, a little Yoda baby to be sitting in that crate at the end of uh, at the end of the first episode of The Mandalorian. Like this nobody. Is what I was about. Good point. This is what I was yes. about to say. They did they did this perfectly because you know everybody once again because nobody on the internet cannot complain about anything. Uh, they, all the people now are bitching because there's no merchandise, and it's like, but I much prefer the fact that there's no merchandise because they didn't want to spoil this for anybody. And then we all now this one unifying factor for all Star Wars fans is like, holy crap! Can every episode this freaking baby get any cuter? You know, because even me, mm -hmm. eventually this has to wear off. And was expecting it not to be a thing in this last episode, and they totally made him cuter again. It's like, right? how do they keep doing this? All right, well, let me let me put it this way: This is how in depth they went when it comes to keeping this quiet. So I have a buddy, uh, Dominic Pace, who plays one of the bounty hunters named Gecko. I have to ask, did he survive? Uh, there's no uh, definitive proof one way or the other, but I've already started writing the uh, the, the novel okay. of like where he comes from. And okay, carry on. Didn't mean to interrupt, but I no, was, no, it's I, okay. I haven't spoken to you since then. I was like, did he survive it? So, Josh, if you've seen the third episode. So the guy yeah. that's standing uh, on Carl Weathers' left when the with the big uh confrontation starts with the orange stripe and the horns on his head that's yes. the character named yeah, yeah, gecko yeah. that's that's my buddy dominic pace he cool. uh he said when they were filming that scene they didn't know who the baby was like he had wow. no idea He's like he's trying to figure out is it ray is it finn is it poe like who is this baby like wow. He no nobody knew nobody knew who it was so like that's that's the level of you know commitment that they had to even the characters in the scene who are talking about it don't have a clue right and they keep like using give the us child or no the gender, bounty no anything the child that's it yeah right so it was oh like when he so told see, us that like that was great this is that point you're making where it's like you know we live in an, we live in an age where like everything's on the internet every secret shot of 
Ben Affleck in a bat suit taking a crap in a porta potty on set is there within 15 seconds of it happening, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to not be inundated with every aspect of everything. Most times, this is the other thing that drives me crazy. Most times, it's so out of context, and people lose their minds over things out of context. And uh, you know, once again, in this modern age, it's so hard to keep everything quiet and subdued. And some people, you know go to the extremes and this is this is the aspect of where we live now whereas you know 20 30 years ago if we wanted a rumor about things that might be going on with fucking you know Django Fett after you know whatever it was just us sitting in a bar having a drink talking about this nonsense now it's right. just like in your face every day you can't escape it yeah even if you you really want to so all right we we have to actually get back to the <laughs> we, we've only talked about the opening scene so far. Sorry, this is what happens when you have me on. No, 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 I, and this is perfectly uh, fine. Josh, you okay, get something? So, so something to tie us back to A New Hope uh, that I want to say real quick. So I know at this point in the movie, uh, Lucas had not decided that Vader was going to be Luke's dad, right? right. And, and that wasn't done until the second uh, rewrite of this script, you know, for the following film. Um, but know, knowing that that isn't really the case in this movie, the like that bit of like foreboding warning that comes from Luke's uncle, it's so much more powerful knowing that Anakin, his father, didn't just die. That he doesn't just want him to go be a Jedi and run off on adventures and then get killed. Yeah, that it's like so much better that it's I don't want you to turn into your father. It's not that I don't want you to die like your father. It's I don't want you to become him, to become right, right. evil, to be Lord. And but it's so much better. That's, so it's kind of like what in it? What a huge rewrite, like knowing going into this movie that none of that was part of the story at all. And the entire trilogy was roughly plotted out. It's kind of impressive. It's kind of amazing that that rewrite was so worked out as well as it did. Looking, going back and rewatching this and listen, listening to those lines, even Obi Wan's, which is a like a little less, you know, as dooming and 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 negative as you know his uncle's, it still fits. It still works. That whole idea that I don't want to really tell you what happened to your father still fits so That's well. Why, there's two things that as I'm older and when we watch these movies, there are certain lines that actually resonate on a different level with me. And the one you're talking about, actually two you're talking about are those is the, you know, just the comment was like when Baru tells him, he's like, he's got too much of his father in him. He's like, yeah, that's what I'm worried about. Yep. Like, yeah, it's like, whoa, that wasn't intended for Vader. Like, how is that even possible? And And then, and then secondly, there's the, uh, when, you know, Obi-Wan's whole thing about, you know, from a certain point of view, you know, because he doesn't want to tell this kid, yeah, well, I kind of cut his arms and legs off and left him to die on a fiery pit. You and know, even but, the uh, the delivery that Obi-Wan has when they're having that conversation, you know. Yeah, he's uh, taken aback. He doesn't want to say it. Uncle Owen is just like, I told you to forget about it. Like, oh, he knew my dad? Oh, can you tell me about my dad that I never knew? No, go fuck yourself. Go get, go drink some blue milk. And, and Obi-Wan, just like the way he delivers that, uh, uh Alec Guinness is just like, you know, he's kind of he's thinking about it and choosing his words carefully. And then you realize, like, that's a good way to, like, you know, retcon have, something. Have you seen Perfect. the person, have Perfect you seen the person who made the YouTube video where it's like uh, that moment where he's telling Luke about his father and he leans back and starts rubbing his chin and then it goes into like a flashback and it's showing parts of the prequels? As he's telling me, yeah. like he's a coming pilot, just telling you that whole story, it kind of pulls at your heartstrings a little bit. Cause that's really a good way to, you know, 
give that moment because Guinness did look like he was like, I really don't want to tell you what actually happened to your dad. Yeah, let so me we'll give just... you some information <laughs> from but... a certain point of view. Right. So obviously we see, uh, you know, Luke. And again, you know, it's one of those things that's been nitpicked a hundred times. It's like, oh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I wonder if he meets old Ben Kenobi. It's like, ugh, like. Come on. You, you, it was 1977, and it's made for kids, Patsy. I know, but there was so much other good stuff like we were just talking about. <laughs> and then, like, it's like, ooh, Obi-Wan, that's too... Uh, let me let me get Alberto on the line, and we're going to talk about Gungans for the next 25 minutes then, because I really want to fucking get on the level of angst to Patsy's on. <laughs> but he's, uh, you know, we, we see... Uh, you know, uh, R2 kind of manipulate both C-3PO and Luke. It's like, oh, well, he's not able to play this whole message. Maybe if we, uh, maybe if you take off this restraining ball, you know, maybe I can, you know, I can play the rest of it. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. You're too small to run off on me. And, like, well, knowing no, what we know. There's no disputing Luke was an idiot as a kid. Oh, yeah, he's totally, like, I mean, he's a kid. Like, what does he know? He knows his moisture farm, and he knows that he... Power converters at Tashi Station, right. and you know he wants to get it with Biggs and the boys and go shoot Womp Rats. Yeah, we know he's a fucking kid, man. Josh, you're muted. Thanks. <laughs> uh, this is another. Uh, this is another important moment to, to like think about. Is that at the time? Um, I, I mean, him and Leia weren't twins yet. But if you if you look at it in the bigger context of all the films, and you realize that like his life and Leia's life are equally important and what they're doing in the galaxy, you know, what, how they've come up at this point in time, they're the same age. It's 19 years old. Mm -hmm. She is a part of the Imperial Senate. She's an ambassador. She knows everything there is to know about the politics. And she's already a leading member of the rebellion. She's 100% embedded in all of this culture. And Luke has no clue what's going on. It's yep. so weird that it kind of focuses so heavily on him and him becoming a Jedi when she's like she's already an old hand at this. Like she's already facing Vader, being tortured by him, and he's just finding out who he even is. It's kind they, of nuts. They very much mirror their parents, like in yes. every way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we we end up finding out that you know the 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 droid runs off, and one of the things I noticed rewatching this on. Um, on Disney Plus is that the uh, the crate dragon call mm-hmm. apparently has that's one of the things that nobody ever talks about. But when Obi Wan imitates the crate dragon to kind of scare away yeah. the sand people, that has changed four different times. Has it really? Yeah, like there's a video uh- for it because uh, I was like, that sounds so different. Like you know, you have the high pitched sound, but then there's like this roar underneath of it, and it's like I guess it changed in uh, obviously seventy seven was the first one. Then it changed in ninety seven, then two thousand four, then two thousand eleven. Every time a new a new version came out. But that's not like a major Well McClunky. Yeah, fucking McClunky. Uh that's that's not something that anybody ever really thinks about because it's just, it's such a minor little thing, but it was a detail that I noticed and I was like, Oh my god, that's driving me nuts. Why did you need to change that? There was no point. Um but then, you know, we well, see Lucas's well, philosophy said it all when he did the interview when they first did the special edition. There was an interview with him and he said that he's like, my theory is that art is never complete, just abandoned. So I just think that he always feels like he can Bob Ross it and touch it up and add some happy little tree somewhere. And it's always going to work out. 
See, I disagree. I, I, I interviewed somebody a while ago, and we asked them if they wish if uh, they wish they had a bigger role in the movie they were in. And they're like, well, no, because the movie worked. Everything came out great with the role that I had. You know, maybe if the movie didn't work, then, you know, maybe I would say, you know, I would want a bigger role. But the way things worked out, like Star Wars right. became this huge phenomenon. Like, it didn't need to be tinkered with and changed and updated. It was fine the way it came out. I mean, that behind the scenes stuff, like adding Vader to being you know, Luke's father is the greatest cinematic twist in history, as far as I'm concerned. Well, you've heard the story about that with Mark Hamill, right? He's told the story a million times yeah. that they didn't give him the actual ending until the day he was reciting the lines. They told him something else completely because they didn't trust him to not fucking tell somebody. Yeah, I've heard that. And, like, it's. I, I wish I could have, like, seen that happen. Like, that would have been so awesome. Like, just be there on set as everyone, like, hears this for the first time. Right. Well, it's like uh, it's like uh, well, it's like most recently with the Baby Yoda thing when you actually hear people talk from the set and they're like, the second this thing was on, like the uh, uh, I can't remember her name now, the lady who plays the Mandalorian armor smelter, she does an interview where she Emily like, Swallow, much, yeah, she's like, every time I saw, it, I just kept wanting to walk over and pick it up, I couldn't stop wanting to touch it. <laughs> so, so yeah, we see uh, the you know R two is so excited to see. Uh, Obi-Wan, but Obi-Wan doesn't remember him. And I have to say, Obi-Wan lived a hard life in the desert to go from Ewan McGregor to <laughs> Alec Guinness in, in under 20 years. Like, that must have been some hard living. Dude, uh, it's, it does not look like a very fun place to live, especially without the amenities of the nearest town, really, to pull from either. He was way out in the middle of nowhere. I've always thought that one movie that like a spinoff film such as Rogue One or something, a film and film that deserves to happen would be an Obi-Wan Kenobi film that's taking place during this time. Yeah. So like he's abandoned, he's abandoned, you know, being a Jedi. He's, he's on Tatooine, which is already known to be one of these dangerous planets. Well, that's, he's trying to look, watch over Luke from afar, not allowed to see him, not allowed to talk to him, but who knows what kind of, dangers like Luke might have fallen into that we don't know about because Obi-Wan stopped them. I mean, think think about the potential there. He's being hidden from his father who's out there looking for him this whole time. How close did they come multiple times to discovering him or how many times did Luke, you know, nearly die or fall into danger that Obi-Wan came out of the shadows, took care of the problem and then disappeared again that we would never know. Exactly what we saw. And McGregor's the perfect age for this Mm -hmm. right now. Like, you still have him from the prequels. You can still utilize him, and he would fit in so perfectly. We're getting that with the the limited run one season Obi-Wan series they're doing on Disney+. Plus. That's the age frame they're putting you and McGregor in to tell that story. Oh, really? Okay, so it's not a movie. How do I not know this? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. That's what I was wondering. I was like, but we're getting a, we're getting an actual show. Like, a, yeah, I was thinking. it's helmed by the uh, the lady who did the third episode of the Mandalorian. Chow is her last name. I can't remember her first name, but uh, she no she's 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 the showrunner for the Obi Wan. It's only going to be one season, but it's going to have McGregor, and it's him in his rough forties era on Tatooine. Nice, and those you know, young Luke running around like an idiot. Oh, so that's super exciting. Yes, I'm, that makes me happy. See, I, I kept hearing, like, you know, there was a movie, then there wasn't, then there was, then it's Boba Fett, then it's not, then it is, then, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. So I noticed uh, trying to get the whole message to play, 
you know, Obi-Wan sort of like, you know, Arthur Fonzarelli's uh, the, the, the droid and just like kind of bangs it. He's like, hey, and he's like, I seem to have found it. And like the whole message plays. Three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. But he does. He like, he, he, he like taps it and like, you know, all of a sudden it works. Yeah. It's like him banging on the so, jukebox. I mean, who knows if that was uh, inspiration, but. Dude, honestly, there are so many little things throughout the original trilogy that were Lucas's direct inspiration for something. Like, I mean, even the the buddiness of the droids is very Abbott Costello. Oh, yeah. Laurel and Hardy. Exactly. It's it's that dynamic, right? Even the body shapes. Exactly. So, Uh, I mean, even R2-D2 was a Harpo Marx, if you will, because he didn't speak. It was just a series of beeps and honks. Yeah, that's fair. I can I can go with that. Um, here's what I remember I, correctly. I believe he 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 cited uh, a Kurosawa film where there was like two oh, yeah. two dumb guards or something that were you know were talking points that would go back and forth, and that to to push people towards that he actually all of those transitions we see in this film where the screen rises up, you know, all the Tatooine scenes where we're with the, the droids and all of a sudden the screen just pulls up into the next scene. We're taken directly from that Kurosawa film to kind of push his inspiration. I know that's very uh, huge, huge on the Star Wars mythology in general. Yeah. Um, So it's something that uh, I never really thought about until rewatching this. So after Luke realizes that, you know, it's the the stormtroopers and this is the only time we ever hear about how accurate they are because that kind of turns into a running joke. You know, only Imperial sand troopers, I mean, Imperial stormtroopers are so precise and we see, you know, the the explosions <laughs> and the the dead, charred, smoked skeletons of Owen and Baru. And my question is, what weapons did they use? Because we never see anything that turns people into smoking skeletons. We see, and right before that, we saw the Jawas, and the Jawas were still—they were just yeah. something, you know, laying on their face. Yeah, no, they were just no, dead. Yeah, they weren't charred at all. Whenever and see once again, this is just knowing the knowledge of stuff that's never on screen. But you know, most most assault parties with stormtroopers, they did have a flamethrower member of the squad. It's whatever they had to clean an area, quote unquote. So burning things down, or so it's the it's the it's the old uh, Star Wars. By the same token, has all the aspects of classic nemeses from history, right? So, yeah. Taking from the Nazi thing, if you ever want to show a full assault on something, you always burn it. So, that, even though it's never on screen, because I knew the expanded universe stuff, I always just assume well, there was the, one of the stormtroopers with a flamethrower, which you see in the new trilogy. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, we we never see that in, you know, we never see anyone yes. dead like that. It's yeah, like again in the canon, yeah. It's just like whoa, like. Um, wow. was there not another took that one seriously? <laughs> I could have swore there was another burn situation. Well, Imagine if Luke had been there, you know, there wouldn't be barely, barely be able to identify him. Right. <laughs> you know, It'd be a know, very short movie. He's the short, whiny skeleton. Um, <laughs> yes, we can all agree that the Skywalker men are a bunch of whiny bitches. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Again, he takes after his father and then Ben <laughs> Solo takes after It'll his grandfather. Up. Yeah, and <laughs> Leia is totally like her mom. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yes, even Ray is more like uh, Leia than you know she is Luke. 
Uh, By the way, that whole uh, comment that she made, that whole thing like, Obi-Wan, you served my father in the Clone Wars, just felt like a little bit of a jab, as in, as it, like, being in the Senate was more important than being on the Jedi Council. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, yeah, you guys, yeah, you, you just worked like for me. She's 19 and she's royalty, man. Come on. Yeah, right. You're have yeah. a little bit of asshole in you. It's just going to come with the territory. I mean, look at look at how she how she acted to to uh being rescued, which we'll get into momentarily. So, uh, I yeah. want to know what uh I'm thinking that bar, the the cantina, I think they only serve one drink cuz Luke kind of tugs on the uh on the bartender's arm and just kind of nods at him. And the guy's like, all right, here you go. And he just hands him a drink. Like he didn't say, give me this or give me that. He just kind of nodded at him. And clearly they're not checking IDs. Just gave him a Coke. Yeah. I was going to say, they're (laughs) they're clearly not checking IDs (laughs) because. Well, they check their droids. Yeah. Get the droids out. And so (laughs) we are introduced to uh, one of the greatest characters in cinematic history. And uh, there's a, a a theory. Hi, snoodles. Yes, uh, I, I need to, I need to know your thoughts on this, Rocky. Mm. Uh, there is a theory that says that while Han is frozen in carbonite, uh, that's where the Indiana Jones movies come from. That's just oh yeah, I've seen that. I've seen yeah, that. yeah. It's every every all all the Indiana all the uh, Indiana Jones movies were just a dream of Han Solo frozen in carbonite. Because you see the uh, in. Uh, in Raiders, there's you know like you see all the hieroglyphics, and there's you know R two D two and three PO yep. inside the engraving. Yep. And the second, uh, in the second one, they're at Club Obi Wan. Like there's all these like little nods and references right. and everything. So, I mean, I like that theory. I think it's fun. Well, Spielberg was involved too, and I think there's a bunch of Spielberg references in there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an E T reference in Raiders, I think. I have to rewatch it, but yeah, that sounds yeah. about. And obviously, there's the the, the all the ETs in Episode One, right? That was kind of cool, actually. I liked that. Yeah. So there's and another neat little crossover thing was Chewbacca was supposedly inspired by George Lucas's Alaskan Malamute, who would ride with him mm-hmm. in the front seat all the time whenever they would go places. Whose name was Indiana? Yeah. Nice. Uh, Oh, that's so that's his, his dog's name was Indiana. Yeah, inspired Chewbacca, and then they made you know they come back and they do the dog comment. And yeah, what it was the third. Indiana I like that Jones. dog. Speak. We named speak. the dog Indiana. Exactly. From, <laughs> that was from uh, Last Crusade, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that uh, dog. You're talking about that. You're talking about that meme about this all being a, a dream of Han and Carbonate. There's a new one out now that's hysterical because I guess Harrison Ford's in a movie where he's with a dog and it's a very hairy dog and he's an old man with a beard. And it says, uh, "When the sh- when the shrooms finally wear off and you realize you're not <laughs> a smuggler traveling with a Wookie." I will say this though, uh, we it's the the Call of the Wild, the Jack London book, the same guy that wrote White Fang. Yes. Uh, we saw the trailer for it, and because uh, we went to go see a couple movies the other day, uh, including one that made me sad. Um, but we, uh, the dog is completely CGI. There's no real dog anywhere. It's just all CGI, which doesn't make any goddamn sense to me. But like, I'm about to say why. <laughs> it's just it makes me makes me sad. But uh, the reason why the movie made me sad is that we saw Knives Out, which is incredibly good. Definitely go see. Oh yeah, I've been dying to see it. Yeah. And I didn't realize, like, first of all, I didn't realize some of the actors who were in it, like Michael Shannon, who I oh, yeah. fucking love, Tony Collette, another one. 
and then at the end you see written and directed by Ryan Johnson and Ash and I looked at each other like I had the exact same reaction to that as I did to seeing Hayden Christensen in the movie Life is a House where he was awesome I looked at it and said why couldn't you do that for Star Wars well here's the thing (laughs) here's the thing man is some people are really good at certain things and some people you know either aren't good at other things or they drop the ball at the end of the day yeah last jedi isn't my favorite of them all but it had moments in it i like it did and once again same thing with the prequels it's given me a long time to get to where i am with the prequels than i was you know about a decade and a half ago maybe right so There's yeah. moments within it that are great, even though they're not the most solid movie. But at the end of the day, I've been surprised by seeing things from directors or actors I can't stand. And it's like, wow, they were fantastic in that. Yeah, it's just it that just yeah. bothered me. It's like you have all like, uh, but I digress. So we get to see the introduction of Han Solo and Chewbacca. And we finally get to hear the word Parsec. Now, do either of you know exactly how far a parsec is? I do not know the actual scientific dif- distance, no. 19.2 no. trillion miles. Wow. Which is another thing that bugged me in Last Jedi. We're like, yeah, we're just a few parsecs away. Oh, we're just 80 trillion miles away. We'll be there well, we in no time. fast hyperspace is. Uh, light speed. <laughs> light speed. It's light speed. So 186,000 miles per second. Uh, so let me let me pull up my my calculator here and and this is this, this is, is, now, this is now mathematics podcast you're listening. Listen, to. they don't call me Patsy, the guy who doesn't care about science and math. You know, <laughs> so you're gonna be able to tell us exactly how many minutes that would take. Yeah, I could tell you how how long it should have taken. So if we take eighty trillion, so that's let's see, eighty thousand, eighty million. 80 billion, 80 trillion, divided by 186,000, divided by 60, divided by... You know, if you were if you were the AI calculating our light speed jump, we'd already hit an asteroid by now. The Empire would have caught us, just so you know. So, if you want to talk days, uh, let's see, let's, you know what, let's divide this by 365. Uh, Take them a little over 13 and a half years. Just saying, just just saying. At at light speed, which is one hundred eighty six thousand miles per second, it would take them thirteen thirteen and a half years, thirteen point six, uh, to go a few parsecs. If that's if you're talking four parsecs, and I I yeah, rounded uh, down. Making sense. Yeah. So it, how it, dare you ruin my fantasy <laughs> with your reality, sir? I am done with this silly radio nonsense. I let us go to duel now. I'm just saying, you know, it's little attention to de- if they'd said we're all parsec away, even that is like if they'd hit a wormhole or they'd mentioned that like that obviously is uh, much different. You know, kind of like what we see in the Marvel movies like in Guardians when they do like the different jumps and like you're hopping from one spot to another instantaneously. That would be the same, but you know, just throwing a word in there, just. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I can only quote uh, my my other co-host on the other show there, Mars, when he says it because whenever he said this the first time, it made me die laughing. I'll never forget it. It's like, how dare you <laughs> rationalize my space wizard movie? That's true. I do remember him saying that <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, 
So obviously, uh, Obi Wan's got enough of a reputation that you know people you know refer to him as a space wizard, or especially <laughs> Owen. Uh, Owen refers yeah. like, "Oh, that crazy right. old wizard! Oh, uh, leave him alone." Oh, that's right. There is the word wizard in there. Wow, go mm-hmm. you! Oh, I forgot about that. Yes, sir. So you know, obviously, he he frequents the cantina enough to know that you know maybe that's the hard living. Like he's. He frequents a cantina enough. He's drunk enough to think he's a space wizard. Yeah, well, I mean, he's hitting the spice. He's probably using his <laughs> his force powers while he's uh, while he's right. inebriated. Of course, <laughs> so, absolutely. You know, maybe Wouldn't that's you? why people. Do- oh, yeah, maybe yeah, that's why people don't fuck with, with people in the bar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's how he makes he's them bored. extra credits, man. Exactly. I don't have a bar tab. He has a floor show every night. <laughs> he opens up for the Jizz Whalers. Oh yeah, the fucking jizz whalers, man! Never bringing that up on my other show. Oh, all right. Uh, you know, for like th- the past week, I was trying to remember what the race was, and I just now thought of it because I was, I'm like, I gotta ask Rocky. They're uh, like Bith or something, right? Oh, the musician yeah. people. That's, that's the only. Well, actually, no, there is another one in another movie that's not a musician. But yeah, that everybody knows them as the band at the Cantina of the Bith. Yeah. yeah. Actually, the uh, the the main music, you know, that everybody equates with that scene, you know, mm-hmm. the. Classic cantina music. That's actually called the Bith Shuffle. The Bith Shuffle. Nice. I did like the uh, the uh, the Family Guy parody that they did when it's like, like oh <laughs> hey we're the Cantina Band. If you have any requests, shout them out. Play that same song. All right, same song. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the other great thing about you know viewing Star Wars for the first time as a kid is that cantina scene. When you're just at that time when that movie came out, that was astounding. All the alien races, and you just like you, you know, at, at that point in time, I wished we had the ability to like pause things and freeze frame it. Is now we had to wait till we had a VCR and I had it on videotape, mm-hmm. and you had to try to stop it at the exact moment just to see a screenshot from inside that canteen. As a kid, those aliens just took your imagination and just oh, embraced it. The attention to detail with all the different races, all the different sounds that they were making. Like, everybody talks about yeah. this film as far as, um, you know, the visual effects and how great yeah, the, the audio practical is. effects. Yeah, the, the sound yeah. effects are unrivaled. I think the closest movie that I can think of, you know, when it comes to, you know, creating sound effects and things like this would be Jurassic Park because it's, you're, it's yeah. completely yeah, coming out of your imagination. Um, uh, another thing that's really I always loved was just the attention to detail when it came to like uh, like basic the the language of the galaxy. Orabesh. That there are certain alien races who can speak it, mm-hmm. and then there's certain ones that can understand it, but they can't speak it because it's just not ca- they're not capable. Like they're like they're Chewbacca. Biology, yeah, yeah, like Chewbacca. It's perfect, and and that makes sense that you could learn their language, uh, but not speak it also. So like it's a, I love in Solo when like. He can, he tries like he knows enough to try to speak Wookie, but it you know it's not meant for humans to speak. Is you, you just you know it makes more sense for each of them to speak their own language, but right. still understand each other. You know, it's right. like if it's you try cool. to speak uh, if you try to speak uh, Jawan to uh, to a Jawa, you might end up sounding like a Wookie. Well, I guess <laughs> I guess we can jump into this point here because with the with the special edition, they did add him into Episode Four. Uh, so technically, Jabba is in Episode Four, but uh, you know, Huttese. It seems to be like there's two dominant languages in the in the galaxy, and it's Huttese, usually spoken like Cockney, would be viewed over mm-hmm. in 
English culture where it's like, yeah, it's kind of what the scumbags and assholes speak, you know, and then basic is more like, you know, what English has become. The more civilized. Yeah. Yeah, because we see in the, obviously in the opening of The Mandalorian, that opening scene, uh, the guy who ends up playing uh, Paz Vizsla is, yeah. it's the same actor, but he's, oh, my drink. yeah, he's yelling in Hadith, which yep. I thought was It's basically cool. Mandarin, it's like Mandarin and Cantonese. It's like the, like Cantonese was the old speech, and then when the government took over, they forced everybody to learn Mandarin, and Cantonese became seen as the old language that's only spoken by the poor, by the you know desolate by the people who live on the outer rim of the government and Makes they sense. are uneducated and they Working never those government outer rim jobs <laughs> exactly <laughs> so like i said we get to see uh chewbacca and and han for the first time and you know it's just so cool you see like this giant space dog and again you're 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 dropped into like oh we can pay off jabba and we can do this and it's like who the hell is jabba what is this guy what did he do and then we see Greedo come in and give some more exposition, which I thought was, uh, which was as we great. Were, as we were talking about how this movie was great is to lead you off straight, knowing there's a conflict between rebels and an imperial entity. This was great, too, because this movie takes you straight into the, okay, there's a seedy underbelly to all this, too. And this is what these guys are doing, taking advantage of this turmoil. Yeah, it's like there's the, there's the, the main threat, there's the resistance, and then there's the, the criminal underworld kind of taking advantage of right. both sides. Like, not, you know, obviously not wanting to get caught up with the Imperial side, but occasionally working for the Imperial side, you know. It's like taking a buck any way you can, because that's what life yeah. is. And um, so we, we, we see them, you know, you know, book passage on the Millennium Falcon, which to me is one of the coolest ships in all of all of you know science fiction. Once Just again, happened. it's one of those things that Star Wars gave us, like Vader's helmet and breathing. It's like that millennium. Nobody can see that and not know what the fuck the Millennium Falcon is. It's like looking at the bat signal. There's nobody in the world that doesn't know what the bat signal is. Right. And you know, this is when we first see you know. Uh, like a little bit of a confrontation between the uh, the Empire and you know these these uh, kind of uh, I would I would classify anyone who's against the Empire as rebels because that's what the uh, Empire would you know if you're not with us you're against us kind of like the the Sith mentality and we see like a little bit of this and we see them fly away and you know jumping to hyperspace and. <clears throat> Like okay, this is what we need to do. We see Luke do a little bit of Jedi training, which is kind of cool because um, it's very reminiscent of like the old samurai or old like you know old ninja stuff that we would end up seeing like in the eighties. Uh, obviously, this is prior to that, but you know, which is your tie to the Chirrut Mway earlier? They put the you know put the helmet on with the blast shield down so he can't see, so he has to use his mind to defend himself. Yes. Yeah, it's it's the uh, you know classic training montage, you know, but on a much smaller scale. And then we get to see the sheer destructive power of the Death Star, which see nobody calls it a Death Star except the rebels starting off. Like eventually they do, but like it's always the battle station. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's referred to as like a space station, right? I mean, they we call also get it Grand Moff Tarkin, uh, such a wonderful character that we only oh, got. God, yes. so I'm so glad we got to see him again in Rogue One yes. and in Clone yes. Wars because he's so underused and so awesome. 
can I just say that some of the best dialogue in the Star Wars franchise, I still hold true to this, is the banter between Tarkin and Leia. That oh, was some yeah. of the best banter in the in the entire saga. I mean, it definitely highlights man Peter Cushing. He's a god. Yeah, right. It just it just highlights oh, how you know. Uh, strong her convictions and her beliefs are like even in the face of her planet about to be destroyed she She's still gives yeah. yeah she gives up an old base it's like technically there's a base there right know? and you know on what planet can you name that planet dantooine all right just making sure you're still in check no 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 don't you worry don't you worry <laughs> i know you i know you got it sir <laughs> so the uh that moment and then we kind of we cut over to obi-wan you know sensing this and it's like okay you know he's kind of in tune with what's going on so there's something going on with like what this force is because they've mentioned a little bit and like they've kind of touched on it just a little because we really don't see luke do anything you know overt with the force through uh this entire film like we see you know, like it's, certain it's winding is mind manipulation and annoys everybody to the point of insanity and they just collapse. Yeah. I mean, we see Vader force choke a guy, although we're not sure what happens, you know, initially, like what is going on? What's happening here? And it's like, oh, he's he's choking with his mind because like he keeps pinching his fingers close and open, close and open. And, you know, we see a couple little things, you know, the mind trick on the stormtrooper. We see, uh, you know. Uh, Obi Wan, my trip on the stormtrooper with Obi Wan is one of my favorite scenes as a kid. Oh yeah, it leads us. It, it's a, it's a huge step into us wondering what yeah. all can you do with the Force? Like how yeah. powerful is it? Like what more is there? It's it's kind of an eye opener. And how how brazen to put this kind of trickling into a film that's this big, this epic, this fast paced with the complete and total assumption that you're getting your sequels, that it's going to be so profitable despite having spent $8 million on, you know, somebody who hasn't had a proven track record of that level of success yet. Right. Uh, it, it's kind of like, Oh, we're, we're getting these sequels. We're, you're going to get all that later. Don't you worry. And just creating such a demand for that, that there, of course you are, you know, of course you're getting those sequels. Yeah. Well, I, it was all it was all the other backhand things that he tied in that nobody thought anything about, like the merchandise clause that was in his contract for this whole thing. You know, everybody laughed like, okay, whatever. And that's where he pretty much fueled the money to be able to get empire on the, on the go. So, yeah. Cause it, like Kenner passed up he man to make star, star Wars War. stuff, which yeah, such a good move because right. there were so many different things. And like, and that's part of why, like there were so many different, uh, races and so many different ships and so many different like set pieces because it's like each one of those can be a different toy, right? Uh, so we see uh, we see them like and it worked. On yeah, me. <laughs> they're like okay, let's let's go to Alderaan. Oh, there is no Alderaan. Like what happened? And like they finally realized that you know, like holy shit, like this is like that's no moon. Like that scene is so perfect. Because, like, you don't know how big the Death Star is. Like, you're not sure. Right. You're just like, oh, it's a big, powerful battle station that blows up a planet. Like, obviously, it's it's menacing and it's scary, but the sheer size of the thing is on it's a scale. Yeah, it's on a scale that no one has seen 
up to this point as far as uh, I am aware. Um, and we see them get, you know, uh, pulled onto the ship through the tractor beam. And this is where Obi-Wan's, uh, I don't know, it, maybe influence is a good word, and his uh, his experience in his age kind of really helps ground the other characters where it's like, okay, you know, if we do this, we can get through this. Like, you know, if you fight, you'll die. You'll lose. Like, there, you have no right. shot. Like, there are, you know, tens of thousands of soldiers on there at least, you know, not including Vader, not including, like, all the officers. Like, you have no shot of fighting your way through this. Right. Like, even if you break the tractor beam, you know, you know that this thing has TIE fighters in it because they see the little TIE fighters zipping around. So it's like, and you've already kind of struggled with TIE fighters earlier in in, in the film. So you end up uh, smuggling themselves into the, the cargo hold. And then one of the most brilliant and often imitated uh, prisoner exchanges, you know, the, the fake, we have the Wookiee, you know, he's in handcuffs until the last second and he breaks free and uh, which they use, uh, you know, in, in so many like lost used it at one point you know so it's it's one of those it's like holy shit how did no one think of this before like this is a great right. plan <laughs> and uh, it's also the, uh, the, the the them using the death star to blow up alderon just to prove a point it really really shows that the you're being ran by a government that will destroy an entire planet of their own people just to just to keep you in fear yeah genocide that's is the kind no of big force deal. that that that's works that's the kind of things that really do keep planets in check knowing you, the government can kill all of us at any given moment with the press of a button why right. would i want anything to do with a rebellion if the rebellion right. came to me for help or for, to seek shelter i would turn them away in a heartbeat to save my entire family my entire community my entire world uh i mean it that it's absolute bloodthirst yeah, literally everything that you know or have ever known in in like that's a scale that like is it's hard the destruction to of Valdron's almost glossed over in the film like i feel like it's not it doesn't hit as hard as it's supposed to because nobody ever talks that, about that it always wonder, you, you go back and you realize you're like geez that is a massive massive terrifying move but it all happened so fast in the film. And scientifically, like if we, you know, because I am the the angry nerd, like you suddenly remove a planet out of a system, like if that you're more you're more mildly irritated. <laughs> I don't know if you're angry. If if you remove a planet and that planet has any moons, now these moons are going to just like shoot off into you know whatever direction they happen to be spinning in. The it's whole gonna, solar system screwed. Yeah, yeah. it's going to affect all the, the, the pull of every other uh, planet that's you know around there. Then you have all this debris that's just shooting off in literally every direction. You know, they kind of touch on that in the Family Guy thing in the... Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure the Empire gives a fuck about collateral damage. Well, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, this is, you know, you destroy one planet, you're literally destroying an entire system. This is another thing that this, the prequels really help us see the impact of this because we don't know much about Elderon at this point. Right. Uh, it's not that big of it. It's just a word. But, I mean, you see the prequels and you're like, geez, they were such an important part. Uh, those people were, were such an important part of the Galactic Senate. They were such an important part in like in ba- being ambassadors of peace and uniting other countries. They were so important for trade. It's like, it's like taking out, you know, a 
if you were to look at it as a country in the world, it would be like taking out some a big, well-known country in Europe. Like something. France or something. Like taking Switzerland right. out pretty much is exactly what it would be. Because once again, the expanded universe, there's a lot of books that touched on Alderaan. And, uh, you know, it was a political core of the galaxy, right? So they were... They tried to always be the mediators of peace between situations. They were always that. So, yeah, knowing that and going back and watching the movies and seeing it get destroyed. Like, for instance, I play a video game where Alderaan is a very prominent setting. So, like, I'm familiar with a lot of it. So every time I see it get exploded now, it's like, I have been there so many times. Oh, all my stuff is there. Yeah, all my stuff is gone. Damn it. Um, one of the things that I uh, I watched as they're transporting Chewbacca, you know, into the as they're they're doing the prisoner transfer thing, Chewie yelling at the mouse droid is one of the funniest moments in the entire series. Like, totally is. It's hilarious, yeah. Actually, I want to go so, so far as to say that's a very close one, but one of my favorite comedic scenes in the whole trilogy is coming right up when the shit breaks out in the cell block and when he's trying to... They're like, what's going on down there? Just Han Solo. Oh, we're yeah. fine down here now. Everything's how, fine. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> boring conversation anyway yeah so i would say that yes mouse droid is definitely up there but that line is one of my favorite han solo lines ever yeah i'm oh, i'm right there with you uh yeah, negative negative uh small reactor leak uh very dangerous uh i will say lock it down the uh when uh the droid when they're doing the prison break and the droids decide to kind of like hide themselves in a closet like right. that was one of the best ideas in all of all of this film and it's like oh they went that way if you hurry you can catch them <laughs> exactly but see that all started at the very beginning of the film too because it's like amidst all the chaos they're introducing you to the characters the first thing you see of 3po and r2 is them going across a an, a corridor that is like literally dead center between stormtroopers and rebel soldiers fighting each other and just yep. navigating the blaster so I have uh, I have a couple of notes here. Uh, obviously, I, I mentioned the uh, how short would the saga be if there weren't dozens, if not hundreds, of R two compatible computer ports everywhere? How <laughs> did no one notice the tractor beam getting shut down? Uh, R two is the actual hero of the uh, nonology, and it's the story of the two droids. And how many of the Wilhelms died during the events of this film? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Wilhelm scream. That's uh, yeah, that's it's there. I, I did somebody told me that they're not sure they used him in the new trilogy though. Has there been any usage of it in the new ones? I haven't noticed, but I I have to I rewatch either. them again just uh for next week's show. Uh, I will. One thing that does always bug me, and I guess it goes back to um, you know, kind of the the retroactive continuity thing, uh. Obi-Wan referring to Vader as Darth as if like that's his first name that that always bugged me because like we later find out that it's a it's a title it's not right but we never hear Palpatine referred to as anything other than the Emperor and it's never Palpatine it's never uh actually no they they think they call him Emperor Palpatine at one point but they definitely (laughs) never imagine they called him Sheev yeah (laughs) they they never call him Darth Sidious like it's always just the emperor. Uh, well, until the prequels, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm just going by what we know in this. Like at this at this point, yeah. When he calls him Darth Vader, I mean, yeah, once again, it's only a master you know, of evil, Darth. It's like, yeah. 
Well, I think that was, you know, uh, I think that was pretty much the equivalent of him because he kind of does that too when they're uh, when uh, the opening sequence of episode two, when Obi Wan and Anakin are fighting Count Dooku, because Obi Wan's like that too. He's like, yeah, I got you, Count. I literally wrote in my notes, why does Obi Wan refer to Vader as Darth? We do see this in the prequels when Anakin refers to Dooku as Count. My powers yep. have doubled since the last time we met, Count. Exactly. So I think that's more of him just being a douchebag. You know, like Darth Vader, but I know who you really are, asshole. Yeah, it's like, oh, I remember when you when uh, you said this to to Dooku. So I'm going to say it to you because it's like the classic when 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 you have the medieval story where the prince killed his father and is now the king, and somebody you know, and they make the Snyder mark. You're like, yes, your highness. Uh, yeah, you know, like fuck you, buddy. Now I've always seen it that way. I guess now, now knowing the past, but at the time, yeah, you just thought it was his name, Darth Vader. Okay. Now, uh, Rocky, I know this is probably uh, in your in your wheelhouse. Do you want me this to is... talk more because I just keep talking. If you like this, <laughs> well, this is something. And uh, Josh, I don't know how in depth you've gone with like the the prequels and the, I mean the the expanded universe and all all that stuff. So, why does Obi Wan disappear when Vader? slices him is this a part of becoming a force ghost i always thought that he was reserved to his fate and was ready to transcend on his own i thought that jedis could just do that which i think is kind of what they tried to do in the last jedi because we saw that with with right yoda we saw and, with we Luke saw and that, yoda yeah yeah but vader that doesn't happen to him but he because does. He's, end not, up he's as a not reserved ghost. to giving up yet. He still wants to live. No, no at the him. at the end when I, he's, I think when that he's comes like, with yeah. all dark side, doesn't it? When he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, he's like, take off my mask. I want to look at you with my own eyes. And he's like, but you'll die. And he's like, nothing will stop that. So he's he's at that point. He's like, yeah, I'm I'm done. But he doesn't disappear. He just kind of. <laughs> well, you know why it is, Patrick? Because the foreshadowing genius of George Lucas knew that he was going to eventually change that to a younger fellow named Hayden Christensen, and they just couldn't fucking pull that off. When that makes sense. <laughs> uh, another question uh, before we wrap up this first movie, uh, an hour and a half in. Uh, <laughs> what happened to Obi Wan's lightsaber? Because I don't know. I would imagine. Uh, you mean when he died? Yeah. yeah, like I imagine Vader took it, like like you said, Rocky. But like, we never really hear about it or or anything again. Like maybe Vader kept it as a, a keepsake or a trophy of his victory over his former master. But like we never hear about it. But we see Luke's lightsaber later on. You know, after. Yeah. Um. You know, once again, that's one of those great gray areas. That, I mean, that's you know, it's never been explained. I didn't know if it if that was something that you uh, came across in your research. Now, I'm, this... now gonna, I'm now going to go find out now if there's anything about it because I'm curious now that now that you put that evil thing in my head. Damn it, Patsy! Now here's uh, my my. I have a couple of. Well, I uh, imagine it would, wouldn't it have been destroyed? I mean, that whole thing was blown up, right? Yeah, I mean, unless he like clipped it to his belt and you know, yeah, but I mean, shooting through space or something. Yeah, I mean. It's just one of those. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if it had ever been touched on in the expanded uh, in the expanded media. We'd we'd know all that if Vader had said at the end when he spun out and the Death Star gets exploded, he was like, uh, "Damn, all my shit was on there." Yeah. Oh, that's where all my <laughs> stuff was. <laughs> my stuff. Um, better ship. Like if you if you were making one of these attack runs, would you rather have an X wing or a Y wing? Josh, I'll go with you first. Uh, um, 
it depends on what your piloting experience is. I mean, like you, like you I'm personally, what would you, what would you rather fly? X-wing, definitely. Yeah, Rocky. As a as a kid, I had a I had some badass X-wings. And yeah, I shot a X-wing rocket off model that I built and everything. I just have all, nice. all that fun stuff. I have this. <laughs> I just picked this up for three dollars and twenty five cents the other day. It's uh, it was nice. labeled as Red Five, so I was like, oh, I have to get that one. Nice, Rocky. How about you? Um, I, if I had my option of any rebel ship in general, it would be an A-wing. But since we're talking about the first movie, I will go with an X-wing just because speed is your friend. Yes. Uh, let's see. What do we got? Um, there's another question that I, I was always curious about. Um, and they they touched on it. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the YouTube channel, how it should have ended. But there's one that's like, we'll be, uh, the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. And Tarkin's like, I say it's in range now. And they just blow up Yavin. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) what are they conserving ammo? (laughs) (laughs) Now, this is the point at which it's the, uh, I think the most common use of dates is started, right? Like this, this starts the like uh, zero ABY year system. Yep, yep. After the Battle of Yavin, so before the Battle we know of Yavin, that, yeah, right. So yeah, uh, so that I think is the most probably the most common way to tell time in the Star Wars universe mm-hmm. based on this one battle. That's because that was the first major any first any any full scale war incident took place. I guess technically we could say it starts with the Battle of Scarif, but bleeds over into the events of the Battle of Yavin. I think that's the first decisive victory against the Empire, so hence that's the benchmark of this is where war officially began. Yeah, and obviously the winners write the history books, so you know they clearly won. Right. Um, I will say another another piece of high comedy is that the only fat guy is named Porkins. <laughs> Uh, I do. I do want to. Uh, we have. I have like two more things to talk about for this one before we move on to uh, episode five. But uh, and we see this again at the beginning of episode five. Uh, anybody gets hit, they instantly die or like slowly die or explode. Luke gets hit, no big deal. Wedge gets hit, no big deal. Um, and at the end, there is no medal for Chewbacca. Now I know this gets. Yeah. This gets uh, oh Vader's the only one that he gets hit and just kind of like flies off into space so he can be in the sequels, but um, I know this gets uh, kind of retconned later on that like Chewie gave his medal to somebody. Um, I just think that it was way too much to get little teeny tiny Carrie Fisher to get over Peter Giant Mayhew's head in he a shot. Stood on a lower on a lower stair, which he does, you know, when we see everybody, because it's not like Mark Hamill's like 6'10". I'm with you. I've always, I've always been very angry that Chewie didn't get recognized for his contribution. To now, the there effort. is, like I, I mentioned in the chat, I found a Chewbacca song that uh, no one has, has really ever noticed, uh, and I'd like to play that for you guys real quick so you can... Uh, hear that because I want to get your thoughts on it. I don't know if you guys are, are familiar with uh, that. It does. No, uh, but I want to put on some go-go boots made of Wookiee pelts <laughs> right now and go do a little dance <laughs> white screen. Yeah, it's a, 
I mean, it's a song that came out about uh, 13 years before. Uh, I just thought it would would be funny to play. Apparently, I was the only one who thought it was funny. Hopefully, people listening to this at home think that was funny. I found, I, I found it funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so now let's, let's move on to uh, Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back, which uh, I would say is the consensus uh, benchmark for all Star Wars films. I don't know how you guys feel. Uh, Josh, what do you think? Absolutely. My favorite film, yeah. Uh, Which is interesting since, since it went through, since we get a, a different director, it went through three writers. I mean, it was a bit of a mess and it ended up coming out almost perfect. Yeah, I was going to say, like, this is the, the one that's not directed by uh, Lucas, and which I thought was just crazy. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, it's Irvin Kirshner who directed this one. Yep. Um, Rocky, how about you? Where does this rank for you, not just in the original trilogy, but overall? Well, as if you have to ask, this movie gave me my favorite character as a kid. So this movie and the fact that it ended with so many, because in the age that came out as a kid, the fucking ending was a mind bender for you. You're like, what? What? Wait, no, this can't be over. What? Wait, what the fuck just happened? But yep. once again, style-wise, the things we learn about the Force, the, the things we learn about the camaraderie between our heroes... It, it it was as you said could have been a mess, but turned into quintessentially. If I only had one movie to show anybody, they say explain Star Wars to me in one movie. It would be the one movie I'd have to give people. So we open up uh, at a new, at a rebel base on an ice and snow planet that is inexplicably called Hoth and Canada, not, and not cold. <laughs> Which, yeah, three years after the previous film. Yes, yeah, so there's been some additional training. There's been some additional strikes against the Empire. Uh, you know, Han has had some close calls with some bounty hunters that, you know, we never get to see, unfortunately. On what planet? Uh, oh, shit. The first ah! thing. The only thing I can think of is Sullis, but that doesn't. That's that's no. That's where the enemy. The, that's where the fleet is amassing in the third one. Yeah, near Sullis. Yes. No, uh, they were the bounty hunters engaged them on Ord Mantell. Ord Mantell. Yes. Sorry, I couldn't. That's all right. I'm just trying to trip you up as we go because I got to my dominance. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> you know, I've I have already said on the previous couple of shows when I've plugged Force Insensitive. I said uh, that you know you have forgotten more about Star Wars than pretty much anyone else will ever know, and the only people that might know more than you are Filoni and uh, Lucas. So you saved it at the end there because I was like, now you're just trying to make me sound like a dick, man. <laughs> you're gonna put me in company of Favreau Filoni. I'm gonna say thank you. That extra money I paid you just paid off right now. Yeah, right. Uh, I want to say that Ozil sucks and deserves what he gets because. Vader's like, all right, we want to take these guys by surprise. And he's like, all right, well, let's eliminate the uh, the need for surprise and uh, just show up so they have plenty of time to mount their defenses. And that is why he gets force choked through the TV, which I well, thought was really awesome because it really demonstrates the the power that Vader has. Like, you don't have to be in the same room or even on, like, the same deck of the ship, like, where they are, they're probably like a mile and a half apart, get, given the size of a superstar destroyer. This is the this is dovetailing off of what Josh said a little while ago too, which is you know we are now seeing other aspects of what it's like to be a part of the Empire. If you work for the Empire, if you work for the Imperial Navy in any way, do not accept the promotion. 
yeah. never fight. <laughs> yeah. That's what we learn in the first opening sequence of this movie is like working for the Empire even sucks, not just being subjugated by them. So I'm trying to think of another example. I mean, we see this again. Somebody long distance force trapping somebody. Um, did we see that with Snoke later? Uh, when he's when he's flipping, uh, when he's smashing um, Hux around, spinning him around, and like smacking him around yes. on the deck of the, the that's what I'm thinking the of the ship yeah. there, the dreadnought, yeah, and that's through a hologram. So I, I thought that was a nice yep. a nice uh, callback because, like Lucas says, these movies rhyme. Like the first movie in every trilogy is on a desert planet. You know, the the second movie is really the uh, Empire or the First Order kind of gaining the upper hand back, you know, and, you know, right. snow planets, you know, even though one of them is a salt planet, but it looks like snow, you know, similar type right. of background. Um, and then the trilogy, you know, the the trilogy ending in a major victory for one side. So we'll see how episode nine well, every, comes out. Yeah, that's exactly it. Everything goes in the cycle, right? So, it you know, rhymes. that's it's like poetry. Exactly. So we have uh, the ion cannons that are on the uh, that are on the surface defending the fleeing ships, um, and we saw that in uh, Clone Wars. And I haven't gotten too far into the Clone Wars series, but when ion cannons are first introduced, they're like the most devastating weapon anyone's seen, and we get to see exactly how powerful they are. Like one shot yeah. takes out an entire star destroyer. Um, I just didn't get why everybody like okay, this is where. The Imperial fleet is, let's send our guys in this direction, even though it's space and we can literally go in any direction we want. Right. I believe we're introduced to those probes in uh, Clone Wars as well. Yeah, the, the little probes Imperial probes. Which is another thing, too. There's a bit of desperation now. Like, three years have passed and Vader hasn't found Luke. And he is... I know he's... I mean, the Empire isn't looking for Luke. The Empire is looking for every little last hiding place of the Rebel Alliance. But Vader Vader starts to care less about the bigger picture and more about Luke. He's He knows he's out there. He's you know, he's had that beacon and he can't find him now. And it's driving him crazy. Yeah, because right. he, kind of uh, a fa- like a really fascinating direction for the character. Because yeah, Vader is, begins using the Empire as a means to his own end at that point. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, because he, you know, we we have that line. It's like I have no doubt that this child is the is the offspring of Anakin Skywalker. And at that point, you have no clue who the fuck Anakin Skywalker is. Well, no, Obi Wan uh, tells him that when he's um, giving him the lowdown on his dad, Anakin was a good friend. <clears throat> right, but I mean, uh, I should have worded it. We have no idea why that means anything to Vader. Gotcha. Vader. It's like, well, yeah, he killed him, but like. Did he really? Yeah, you know, obviously that's for another time because we'll we'll get into that obviously uh, as we progress through the the episode. Four hours here. from now, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we we uh, we also know that he knows that Luke is strong with the Force, and so it's like, okay, you know, this could be this could be my chance. You know, had had Vader never gotten his limbs cut off and become, you know, mostly cybernetic, or is in Obi Wan's words, more machine now than man, twisted and evil, uh, he would have, you know, according to, you know, what we saw in the in the films, uh, surpassed the Emperor, and he would have been the one to reign supreme. So now he's, you know, it's like, well, this this is my kid. Well, I mean, we don't know that yet, but I'm um, sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, 
<laughs> we, we also know one, that... one thing we don't at this point in time without the what's now considered non-canon like supplemental storytelling we don't really realize that that vader he's not above doing secret missions outside of the empire he's not above keeping secrets from palpatine right i mean there's like if you look at one of my favorite storylines of the force unleashed storyline there's so much that vader will do in secret uh and he's starting to like really almost question his place. He's like, well, I have to do this. This is my job. It's the only place left for me. But at the same time, if the scales can tip another direction, I might be the the balance that'll push it that way. Should the time come. So this idea that he's seeking out Luke, you don't know to what ends that's for it. Not, it's not necessarily to kill him. It's not necessarily to turn the dark side. It could like, it could be anything. Yeah. I mean, anything that, you know, it helps him in the end. One of the the things I talked about last week with um, in re- in respect to Vader is Anakin Skywalker was told from the time he was introduced to a Jedi throughout his entire life it was like you're the chosen one, you're the chosen one, you're special, you're special, you're the chosen one, you're the special, you're going to bring balance to the Force. But that doesn't fuck kids up at all. But don't but don't use your power, don't do this, don't do that. You're not ready, you can't do this. You're the chosen one, you're not ready. And like that to well, me is what drove him more to the dark side than anything else. And well, even and though the final blow, the final blow of him, like we'll put you on the council, but you're not a master. Yeah, uh, that. And he's me... also been a bit of a selfish character. Like he never truly, even without the pressure of Palpatine, he never truly believed in everything that the Jedi stood for. And the only one he uh, really not when it came to what Obi-Wan. affected him personally. Right, right. Like going back to you know free his mother going back to you know and slaughtering all the sand people and who's the first person he tells about that palpatine yeah like, oh remember when mm-hmm. you told me about all this stuff like he's in because palpatine's the only one that was never like oh you shouldn't do this don't feel that don't act this way he was like oh you should be on the council you're so awesome like you're <laughs> the best like he encouraged him down that path and i think that's the the main difference between luke and vader is you know Everyone was like, oh, no, you don't want to go to space. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do that. And I think that shows how much power, how much more powerful Luke was in the Force than Vader because, you know, Anakin was able to be easily twisted and manipulated by the Emperor, mainly because, you know, this is what he wanted to be hearing anyways. This is what he wanted. He wanted this, you know, continuous flow of, of adoration and 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 uh, uh, acceptance and confirmation that what he was doing was the right thing, and Luke never really had that. So instead of like resisting the Emperor and like sticking to the light side, you know, he preyed on his like. Well, you know, you need to um, you need to not have any relationships. You need to not do it, and that's one of the biggest plot points that I think people overlook. In, in you know the the story of how Anakin becomes Darth Vader is the fact that he meets this girl and this is the only girl that's ever nice to him and you know he's he's nine years old and he never really has any uh, he doesn't have the opportunity to peer bond while he's training with the Jedi and then five years later he's this raging pot of hormones as he's starting to go through puberty and he's starting to you know he's undergoing some very special changes and <laughs> he sees 
Padme again, and it's like, oh, you have to protect her. Like, wait outside her bedroom and look at her, and you know, but don't, but don't act on any of your feelings. And it's just like, right. how do you go from? Oh, there's a puppy. How do you go from being? He hasn't had a chance to learn any peer bonding skills or develop social relationships, and now all of a sudden, while his hormones are raging at age, uh, he's nineteen at this point, right? You know, and now he's thrust into this position where, you know, he's he's got to guard this woman, and you know, it's Natalie Portman. So, I mean, you're and, you're and 19. it's another example where uh, the woman, despite only being a few years older, has way more life experience yes she's already done so well, much yeah. and he's like i came from a desert planet now i swing this thing around and there's nothing else yeah and, right. and so his his influence and his uh his emotional growth has been so stunted that it's so easy for him to turn to the dark side especially getting all these conflicting messages What's nice is that when Luke, even though Luke is far too old to start Jedi training, according to, you know, all the Jedi tenets, um, you know, he exhibits this natural affinity to the, for the Force because it's so strong uh, in his family. He exhibits this natural affinity, and he is able to not only, uh, and I have this in my notes somewhere, <clears throat> not only uh, resist the dark side, but he's able to use dark side powers here and there and never really be seduced at any point. Like at no point is he like, hmm, maybe I should go to the dark side. That would be awesome. Like he force chokes the uh, Gamorrean guards at the beginning of, uh, of uh, Jedi. Jedi. And that's a dark side power. And generally, you know, if you start using dark side powers, you... eh, I wouldn't say choke is really a dark side power. It's not something that the, Jedi tend it's definitely to a move. Yeah, Jedi use it all the time. Well, no, Jedi use force all the time. Whenever they're grabbing and flinging battle droids around, that's the exact same thing. They just, yeah, but I'd say more like intent, a like, like you would take a wrestling move. Be like, we're all capable of it, but that's like instead of killing, like, instead of killing like Vader did, where you hear bones crack in their neck, he probably just put pressure on an artery to make them pass out. You know, he was subduing versus killing. But right, but still, that's still, I, it's the intent. Like, I'm going to cut off your air, you know, as opposed to just, like, force pushing them away. He's directing that directly to, you know, a, a vital, you know, uh, life function. I'm just saying it's 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 different, like, because we, we never see him dabble in the dark side, you know, at any point where with Vader growing up, it was this constant back and forth, nonstop, like, you know, influence in his life yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, because of he all hasn't the... had that uh, it's so true luke has it, it, it's really interesting too because um so we've got the wampa scene right and uh, which mm-hmm. mark hamill is famously rebutted he's constantly saying that luke would never have cut the arm off of that wampa and it's kind of He's like he, he wouldn't have one. He wouldn't have had to. There's other ways he could have used the force in a, in a more kind manner. Two, that's extremely violent. He's just a hungry animal, right. literally doing what he does to survive. Why would he be that violent? What when he has other ways, other ways to use the force to kind of get him out of that situation? I believe in the novelization of the movie, he used the force to get in the mind of the Wampa to calm him down and like you know back him off and never had to cut his arm off. And I think in, in during filming. He said that he singed his fur to scare him back and never actually injured him. 
and that they didn't they did the arm slice like shot without Mark Hamill while he was offset. Yeah, see, I I agree with you on that. Like that just seems uh, overly because we don't see generally don't see Jedi do that. I mean, with the exception of Obi Wan. Obi Wan did it in the cantina. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, that's true. When you very, very first meet him, I mean, honestly, they're knights. Their only weapon is a sword. If you don't, if you think they've gone through their entire life without ever having to kill somebody, whether accidentally, you know, if it comes down to, we're Leonardo going to the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> if you you are still a knight, basically, I've always looked at the Jedi as a sort of hybrid of like they're you're based off the samurai mm-hmm. Kurosawa, but there is this regalness to the mythology, as they tell you in the original trilogy, that makes you think they're called knights. So you think of, you know, any number of medieval knight that's there, too. At the end of the day, if you have to, in order for you to let this entire planet survive, if it means I have to kill one person, then you just have to be resolved to the fact that you will give them every opportunity to not die. But at the end of the day, if that's the only, you know, way you want it, then that's how it has to happen. So Jedi are not peaceful in the manner of they're willing to just sit there and get killed senselessly. Right. But they're I mean, gonna kill them anyway. we all know that the world is full of things held above people's heads by pulleys and ropes and that swords are only used to cut those ropes to drop things on their heads so that we never have to cut anybody. <laughs> that's that's yeah. Well, I'm, in a perfect world. my, my whole thing, you know, like basically what I mean is when you outclass someone, like you're super powerful, like type of person, like or like a knight. Like a knight wouldn't just like, oh, there's this, you know, this squire that's giving me shit, so I'll cut his arm off. That'll fucking teach him. Like they would <laughs> defeat him in a manner in which that, you know, they proved their dominance, but they wouldn't kill them or like maim them unless they had no other option. Like, you know, I I just think that. Lucas had some sort of fetish with arms and and legs getting cut I think, off. I think he loved that because it's in every movie. And I also think it's like, man, you're on an ice planet. If we can't have one really good shot with red blood on white ice, I mean that does look cool. I mean, but there was no blood from that tauntaun. Well, yeah, but they also smell worse on the inside. That's true. So I, I had a question. Um, we see the snow speeders zipping around. Are snow speeders any good at uh? Being in space, like, can they go to space, or are they just... No, they're just atmospheric battle. Which yeah. sucks. Like, because they had so many of them that they just had to leave on Hoth. <laughs> yeah. 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 Leave behind. Uh, sp- earlier, when we were discussing the first movie, I just wanted to touch on this, too. It's a really cool thing, because uh, Josh was talking about, you know, seeing things in a past... Now that we have the Clone Wars seeing things, there's a great episode of... Uh, Clone Wars, where they uh, the first time they lay eyes on the Y wings, they were mm-hmm. experimental at that time. And that was just a really cool. If you, if you like the ships of Star Wars, there's a nice little Which back I history do. to the Y wing. I I love the, I love the, uh, the ships. Like the ships are one of my favorite parts. Like all the different vehicles they have from the, from the different walkers to the different uh, ships. Like the speeder bikes. Like all that stuff is awesome to me. Uh, yeah. My question: You know where the uh, where the rebel base is? You know. Uh, where everything is, why land your walkers 
so far away and give everyone a chance to get off. <laughs> and that always happens. Like, look at, uh, again, Last Jedi. It's like, oh, they're 40 miles away, and they're coming in at a tenth of a mile per hour. I hope we have, enti- I hope we have time to evacuate the entire planet three times. Right. Yeah, I always, uh, I, once again, I think that was purely just so they could cinematically have their big battle. There's no it did. Uh, I will tell you that that's one of my favorite battle scenes like that hoth battle scene is just so so awesome and again like i touched on a little while ago when anybody gets shot like even the guy in luke's cockpit gets shot deck gets shot and and nothing yeah get ready to suck some deck like everything is fine like he's luke is fine he's like oh let me just get out of here let me grab a bunch of my stuff oh you know it's like the scene in Spaceballs where he's grabbing like his matched luggage and manages to get (laughs) get out of the the speeder and then you know defeat the thing um i will say firing the tow cable and zipping around great idea especially where the uh the um, the center of balance, the center of gravity for these things is kind of like leaning forward. Right. My only question is, after they fall down, they're able to come in one shot, boom. Why not just fly above them and shoot that spot? Again, cinematic choices, dude. I don't think there's a rhyme or reason to the actual battle tactics. I'm sure somebody has probably written that down somewhere in the annals of the internet. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, dude, honestly, I'm with you. As a kid sitting there when the Battle of Hoth started, I was just, once again, didn't blink. Yeah, it's like, what is this? Yeah, so especially when you, uh, they they allude to that once, and I hate referring back to it, but this past episode of The Mandalorian, they do that same allude of the reveal of the big walker as, you know, you hear it, you know something's coming, you see the rebels bracing because something's coming, but as they start to emerge from the mist and you see what's coming at them, it's a brilliant shot. So oh, yeah. maybe I guess if you want to give, if you want me to give you any sort of rationale to why they fucking put them down so far back, fear, intimidation. Yeah, that's yeah a good exactly. Point. Like you see this shit coming from a long ways off and you're like, they're just coming. Like there's nothing we can do. Like we have trenches <laughs> and stuff, but it's that's not going to help us. Veer, that's general veer swinging his nuts. Be like, yo, mm-hmm. we're going to give you time to get away. Cause it just ain't going to happen. I like uh, Luke's line. Oh, I lost my gunner. You didn't lose him. He's dead. You still know where he is. <laughs> Plus you knew his name. So it was kind of pissy. Like, yo, Dax down, man. Oh. I lost my gunner. Oh, I got shot right in the deck. Uh, <laughs> The other line that made uh, little sense to me, blasters are no use against that armor. Yeah, so let's just keep using our blasters, shooting at them. Like... <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, once again, it's for the visual aesthetic. We're, we're, co- we're going in to see a Space Wizard movie, Patrick. I know, I know. Um, did Luke <laughs> tell anybody else that he was fucking off to Dagobah? Like, does anyone else know other than R2? I don't recall him saying, like, hey, guys. I have this thing uh, a ghost told me while I was passed out out of the uh, giant monster cave. I have to go to Dagobah. Yeah, I'm going into hypothermic arrest right before I get shoved into a, 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 a snow camel. Uh, I had this hallucination. Um, First of all, I love the term snow camel, even though it really looks nothing like a camel, a snow camel. I mean, that's essentially what he is. Um I did like there's a the, the the scene where Vader's talking to all the other ships as they pursue the Millennium Falcon into the the asteroid field, and 
The guy's like, and that Lord Vader is the last time they appeared on any of our scopes. Right as they say that, the guy standing to his right, like you see him like put his hands up because obviously he's just, they just got crushed by an asteroid. It's like, yeah, that's the last time he appeared on any of your scopes either. <laughs> Yeah, I always thought that was great. That little holographic moment where you see, like, you know, the Star Destroyer's bridge getting whacked by a giant asteroid was fantastic. Um, I have to say that the introduction of Yoda is awesome, brilliantly written, and high comedy. Like, he's just sitting there. Delivered by the great Frank Oz. Never forget that Frank Oz is the genius behind that. Just like sitting there, like whipping all the shit out of it. It's like, what are you doing? You're making a mess. How you get so big eating food like this? Like, right. he is playing as you know, like he's testing Luke. Like you don't know that at the time, but he's obviously testing Luke because no one's looking at him. Like, yeah, this guy is certainly like the supreme ruler, especially after seeing like Vader's introduction. Like you don't expect his counterpart to be this tiny little green muppet. Right. But I mean, if you think about it, I think he's going to be the guide when you first meet him. You think it's going to be the I'm going to bring you, know, you to, and he even says that. Somewhere. He even says that, like, yeah. Josh, you got something you wanted to add on that? You look like you wanted to say something. It's only that Yoda's introduction is absolutely freaking hilarious. One compared to the bigger picture of how we view Yoda as a character, even before the prequels happened. Right. We don't picture him as that initial character we're introduced to at all, which is like an annoying little Muppet that's running around. It's hilarious. Yeah, it, it's one of my favorite favorite things about this movie is how ridiculous that is. Yeah, and right? it, just, it just makes this movie so much better because, you know, it's, you know, I would say that they even uh, kind of, you know, it, they it, they definitely inspire other films like, you know, uh, Karate Kid, seeing Mr. Miyagi as this tiny little like ass kicking machine. Right. Well, I think I think that was the beauty of it too. Was and once again, credit to Frank Oz is the way that entire arc, you know, materializes once once the facade of the bungling little, you know, swamp creature leading you down to what you think is going to be the uh, the Smeagol route, where it's like this little green guy is going to lead yeah. this kid to doom kind of thing, and then all of a sudden you realize, holy shit, this is the wise old man. Which is just such a cool uh, introduction. Uh, like yeah. I never, I never thought about it the way you were saying. Like the Smeagol route, like that's a great analogy. You know, because you yeah. have this yeah, little little dude that's like, oh yeah, come this way, yeah, 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 come. Occasionally, that makes sense. It's rare, but occasionally. Yeah. So this is when uh, we find out that this child is, you know, you know, the emperor has no doubt that this is the offspring of Anakin Skywalker, and then. You know, Vader's like, how is that possible? It's like, well, you fucked Padme. She got pregnant. And she was like, you know, apparently uh, humans in that universe go through an entire pregnancy in like a month and a half. (laughs) And it's like, it's like, yeah, she died, but she could have died during childhood. Like you suddenly just like, it's like, oh, uh, because she couldn't have possibly had these kids because she died. Like, no. Can you, I ask you guys a question real quick? You just did, but please this. ask another. <laughs> Can I follow up with a second, maybe a third? No. Uh, so, yes. My question for you is we're discussing the see and birth of the twins through Padme, and this is flashing back. But during that sequence, did, did those really weird droids with the big ice cream scooper hands not freak you guys out during that whole thing? Yeah, what were they doing? Like, you just clasp on the side yeah. of the head and pull it out? 
Yeah, that was right? weird. <laughs> okay, just making sure it wasn't me. Carry no, on. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I have a note here, and it's a little bit uh, on what we touched on earlier. Uh, Yoda's fanatical devotion to the Jedi Order is what pushed Anakin away to the dark side. Like, I understand the two sides. Like, don't have emotional attachments. Like, if your friends are going to die, that's the will of the Force. Like, you just have to do what you're going to do. But it's like, well, then why do I have this ability if not to help those that I care about? Uh, your guys' thoughts. Right. Josh, I'll, I'll start with you. You're, that's so perfect. So, like, Yoda... I, and I think it comes down to the fact that Yoda is as pure of a Jedi as any Jedi can be to a fault. And we saw that in the prequel trilogy, and we definitely see it here. The idea of, like, you can't go help your friends, Luke. If they're going to die, they're going to die. Let it happen. It was it was kind of ridiculous, and that we it was a big part of what, like his ways. There's so many mistakes that Yoda makes in that prequel trilogy that allowed Anakin to become Vader right under his own nose. So many things that he thought by controlling him, he was helping him, and he wasn't. By keeping him in the dark and not telling him everything, he thought he was protecting him, and he wasn't. He was changing him. He was pushing him towards the dark side. And I think Yoda still has some of that in in him at this point in this film that we see a little bit with uh, the the trouble with Luke leaving to go to Cloud City. Um, There's still some of that there. And I know there's a pressure to train Luke and keep him there so that he can be completely up to snuff because Yoda knows he's not going to make it much longer. But the idea of telling Luke, you don't, like, if your friends die, they're going to die, like, let it happen kind of thing was not the tactic to take with Luke, just like it wasn't the tactic to take with his father way back when either. And how quickly does he give up on Luke? Like, Luke flies away. It's like, oh, that boy was our only hope. It's like, nope, there's another. It's like, they've <laughs> already given up on him. Yep. <laughs> so Rocky, what what are your thoughts on that? Um, re- refresh me on the original question. I got really wrapped up in listening to what Josh was saying, so he took me a place. Yoda's uh, fanatical devotion to the Jedi Order is what pushed Anakin away to the dark side. I don't think it's so much his fanatic at this point, if we're talking about the moments in empire in general, I don't think it's so much his fanaticism to the Jedi order. I think it's more his concern of, we don't have many options and we can't let the bad thing happen to this one. So I think it's less as his devotion to the Jedi and more his concern for making sure that Luke can rein in his shit when the, you know, when the rubber meets the road with Vader later, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, in a hyper expedited way too, he's got so much less time to get to get Luke to where he needs, where to, needs be. to be. Yeah, so late into the game, and uh, and he's gonna die too. You know, so like there's like so much on display at that moment. And Luke's failed, you know, pretty much every every test. Like he can he can do backflips while wearing Yoda as a backpack, and he can move some rocks. <laughs> and I get his his line where it's like, oh, it's different moving this. It's like, no, it's no different. Like you're using the force to influence an object like yes it's right. larger but like and i think the the supreme uh instance of seeing this and it might be my favorite and josh you kind of touched on it earlier the force unleashed where when you're playing that you have to pull down the fucking star destroyer, star destroyer. out of the sky which is like my favorite moment from that game um just pulling the star destroyer out of the sky and it's like, oh, it's too big. No, it's not. You know, it's it's no different from you know grabbing a cup from across the room. Like you're 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 just moving something. You're influencing it. And I just thought that was awesome. Um, there was a lot of people's complaints with the Force Unleashed was that they were overpowered. 
it doesn't fit in the canon because of how crazy the amount of you know force strength was but even if you just look at all of the jedis that we met through the clone wars in the big picture luke is pretty overrated man like he's not as nearly he's the best thing they've got at the time and that is the only jedi out there that's it but if you go back to any of the major jedi like any grand master i mean they were all way 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 better than luke would ever be and obviously it's the lack of training of course but this was sort of a problem i had when relating to the new trilogy when everybody's got their whole issues with ray i'm like listen i know a lot of people who were not as super nerdy of me that did not read all those old books and comics that you know legend stuff now but here's the thing is a lot of people who were writing for the stories that are coming out now they did read those books so there were things that jedi did that though they were never on screen and people who've only ever watched the movies that's all they know to relate to i get that but the force has manifested itself in some pretty dramatic ways over the course of star wars timelines so you know this is this is sort of the my uh, I forget what I'm trying to say here. Well, even canonically, uh, if you want to count the Clone Wars cartoon, that scene yeah. with right. Mace Windu against like a thousand battle droids, like just right. that, like you don't see anybody do anything even remotely close in any right. of the other, uh, uh, you know, mediums. Like it's insane. Uh, right. That's where that's where wiping away so many of the novels sucks is that getting a bigger picture of Luke outside of the films is something we're never going to see now. I mean, everything that happened be- from like between the original trilogy Luke and the Luke that we got in the new trilogy is wiped away and we don't see it like Luke had time to grow. Luke had time to do that level of stuff and there are novels where he pulled that stuff off, but we'll never get to see it. So in the current canon luke comes off like a weak ass jedi really see, poorly i would have loved to have seen because i loved some of the uh like the yuzhan vong stuff yeah like like you see like one of those can hold its own against luke you know for a while luke like struggles to beat beat these things one-on-one but at this point you have you know you have jason you have Jaina, you have young anakin you have yes. ben right. you have like the beginnings of the new uh jedi order and, you know, that's that to me, like, they do still take some of that stuff out, you know, because we have Ben Solo, who it doesn't make sense that his name is Ben Solo, because yeah. neither one of them really spent much time with Obi-Wan and didn't know him as Ben. So it would, if that was, you know, Luke's kid, then fine. But, you know, that's kind of the, uh, you know, Ben Solo, Darth, and I'm sorry, uh, J- Jason Solo, Darth Cadis root. Yeah. And that would have been a yeah. great film because Jaina has to kill him after he kills, uh, what did, did he kill Ben? No, oh, he killed Mara Jade. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, he kills uh, Mara Jade as he's like slowly, you know, turning into, into Darth Cadis, which that right. would have been a phenomenal fucking story to, to see on screen. You guys ever want to get somebody going on a rant? Have a booth next to Timothy Zahn at a convention. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, we were at a dead, awesome. dead show. We're sitting next to each other. And there's no customers. And I, I prodded him just enough, just enough to get him rolling and talking about Star Wars. And 
the floodgates opened and it was amazing. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> I would have lost my mind. Um, all right. Real quick, real quick, touching yeah, yeah. on this. Once again, the rumor mill, but uh, I've read it at a couple of relatively reliable points. Um, apparently, amongst the other Star Wars projects they're looking at for Disney Plus, there's a Mara Jade story arc going on. Ooh, I would like that. How? How? It's got to be out in the past. Be all over it, but well, this is the thing. We're talking about this current canonical through you know the original trilogy and Mara Jade as you talk in the expanded universe and if you've read the Thrawn, Thrawn stuff, trilogy yeah yeah there's there's a lot of that that should have been drawn from for this final trilogy that would have made certain things like my biggest the, my biggest problem with the I don't have the major hard on that I like everybody else do I enjoy it for what it is but uh, the one thing that I will always argue is if you really wanted to make a character like Phasma be the next Boba Fett or whatever they were trying to do with that character, the secrets on Canto Bite, if they had just made that Phasma chasing them versus random cops, it's sort of a thing that in the Star Wars movies, there's always been a lot of decisions made that made you go, why the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, so, I'll, I'll be honest. That entire Canto Bite scene didn't need to happen. Like The only thing that came out of that was absolutely nothing like there was no there was really no impact in the plot like it's like you have to meet you have to find this one guy you can find him at the high stakes gambling table oh like all the time does he sleep there does he shit there like he's he's always there oh and he's got this little thing a red palm bloom and it's like he's the only guy that can do it and then they just like they get locked up and it's like oh hi i'm benicio del toro i can do that too it's like really i know so, like, so that racing. seems so like weird. the fucking guy that, that Maz Kanata would know. Not this, like, suave James Bond-looking motherfucker. Like, right. this right, seems right. like the dude. And then nothing ever comes of it. Like, that whole plot yeah. did nothing. Anyway, let's, let's get back so, on. All right. So, uh, yeah. what a, uh, and Rocky, I wrote this down specifically for you. What is the oh, natural God. habitat of a Minoc? Because I'm pretty sure... If Han recognizes that these are Minox, that they're not just found inside like giant space worms that live in asteroids. Uh, no, Minox are essentially, uh, for all intents and purposes, Minox are essentially the bats of the Star Wars universe. They kind of live in any old musty cave, damp atmosphere. So I don't know what planet they originate from. That's a really good question. I don't think I've ever known that or at, at any point, but I know that Minox show up pretty much in every sort of dark, damp, swampy, cave-ridden thing, and they fuck up your equipment. So my question is, how the fuck did these ones get to where they are? Because I don't think they can survive in space. That's, a, that's an easy question to answer, actually. You look at the fact that it just how many ships do you think that thing has swallowed? Yeah, I guess. There's lots of junk in there for Minox to live off of. Yeah. I wrote uh, Captain Nita, more like Nita better excuse. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we have to read times in Star Wars because we don't have those roadmaps paved yet. Okay, so this, I, I came up with this after watching the prequels and I talked about this. So one of the most inexplicable things, and this is what the prequels are really good for, was Boba Fett following the Falcon after they kind of floated away with the garbage. And yes. the reason I think he thought to do this same trick is because he saw Obi-Wan do it in Clone Wars. 
Obi-Wan uh, dumped yeah, yeah. his his trash in his his spare part content canisters. That was a very good conjunction callback, actually. Thank you. Right as the uh, explosion happened, and he kind of like just hung on an asteroid, and then followed Boba Fett and and his dad. So it's like, oh, Boba Fett. Like that's so that old trick. It's like that's a really good trick. Like, I like I'm going to try that out. And he is, you know, one of the top bounty hunters, if not the best. Um, but uh, technically, that's what Han was doing too. Han was stuck to the side of the ship. He got even more brazen. He was like, "We can't get to an asteroid, so I'm just gonna stick myself right here and wait for the garbage to get dumped." Yeah, and they can't find you on the scopes. Uh, yep. I, I put, uh, "I want Lobot's headset." Like, yes, that's like the <laughs> best Bluetooth headset I've ever seen. Um, yes, that is. Uh, yeah, when we get to that point on Bespin, there's lots of great. Espen related things that always make me chuckle and giggle at the same time. Like C3. This is... Go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. Uh, this is slightly off topic, but hold on. I'll like, like finish your thought. I was just going to say uh, C3PO introduces himself to Lando, who is a phenomenal fucking character, and Donald Glover does like the best job ever of playing him uh, by Agreed. saying. Like, I'm C-3PO, human-cyborg relations. It's like, well, let me know when a cyborg shows up, because Lobot's the closest thing, because C-3PO is not a cyborg, as he has no organic material. That's what cyborg is, cybernetic organism. He has no organic material to him. So that's just me being a dick. Uh, go ahead, what were you going to say? That's a great point. Uh, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that was his way of telling Lando that I could communicate with your cyborg, because I'm literally or may, Maybe he's coming on to him. You know? yeah, dude, 100%. In the, controversy, my world. in the controversy over whether or not the uh, the Wampa battle scene was meant to um, explain the change in appearance for Mark Hamill, yes. which, which George Lucas has denied and everybody else has denied, uh, do you feel that's true or not? Uh, th- yeah, because didn't he get into like a, a car accident or something, and like his yeah, face? Yeah, I mean, he looks up? completely different than he did in A New Hope. Uh, a, a, the amount of damage done from the car accident has varied by depending on which interview with Mark Hamill you read. Mm-hmm. Right. There's ones where you see his entire face was turned to hamburger, and other ones where you say, "I broke my nose." Everything else is just over, you know, like uh, over fantasized by all these people who think that my entire face was gone or something. Uh, but then at one point he said in one interview that part of the cartilage it was taken from one of his ears to build him a new nose. Um, and then they have his face slashed by the Wampa and we see his, you know, his face being worked on and, and Leia saying the scars should go away. Uh, and that was supposed to explain why his face looked like way, or at least that's what was we thought. But George Lucas has said that's not the case. Uh, everybody's working on the film, so that's not the case. And they even say, well, this move, this scene was written before that car accident ever happened. Why would you think that, et cetera, et cetera? I think I've always thought that it would be a really good reason. I think it's fifty. Like a good way to help explain it. I agree with you one hundred percent. When I first read that too, I was like, "Wow, this makes it's it makes a lot of sense." But so uh, lucky coincidence, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're on Cloud City, and and you know we're talking with the uh, we we're talking about yeah. Lando, who is not a system; he's a man. Oh, uh, yo, he's a man, son. Uh, Great character. He is. He's a, he's a phenomenal character. Very like it's like okay, now I I you know 
at the time, for, I was like, as Han was when you were a kid, and then you met Lando, and it was like, okay, this dude's smooth. Yeah, this dude, he is like a hundred. Like Han's still rough around the edges, and Lando had a little bit of that, but he was definitely way more suave and way yes. more like super Lando was charm heavy, like a motherfucker. I mean, there was that great, uh, you know, the the scene with Han and Leia earlier in in the film. Where she's like, you know, you could be so difficult sometimes, and he's like, oh, I know, you know, when she's calling him a scoundrel and everything, yeah. and he's like, I'm oh, good. whatever you say, your worship. Oh, stop calling me that. Sure, Leia, and it's like, you're doing exactly what I want, but you're doing it in such a dick way that just right. like it makes it even fucking worse. <laughs> my my wife would say that's my charm as well. Yeah. But like he's wearing her down a little bit. Like she, he knows that there's something there, and then of course C three PO ruins it. Well, of course, man, because there's no bigger cock block in the galaxy than C three PO. Yeah, that that's that's what the 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 C stands for. <laughs> but a cock block yeah. three parsecs over. <laughs> I felt seeing see. I felt that I'm I'm one of those people who loved Solo, and I know a lot of people didn't. I'm with um, you. The more I watch it, the more I love it. There's only one nagging part to that movie. I don't like how he got his name. Other than that, I adore that movie yeah. very much. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. That's fair. Um, but especially since uh, this, the final draft of this movie was written by the same guy who wrote Solo, um, it all fits together so nicely and so beautifully that the idea that Lando could sell you out to Vader and still be your friend afterwards you still like and the still guy. come around yeah. to come save you all and wear your clothes perfect sense after seeing solo it's kind of like their relationship and their friendship and knowing which what character would do what is all spot on exactly i'm with you 100 percent. and like i said uh solo the more i view it the more i love it i same thing with rogue one but uh yeah i'm with you 100 percent. now when i go back and watch empire i have a different feel with han and lando's first encounter when he gets off the thing and it's Makes like sense. You know, when he does the whole, I'm pissed off, I'm about to knock your block off, and then it's all like, ah, man. And then hugs him. Well, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, there's a a slight connection between uh, Solo and what we were talking about earlier, uh, Force Unleashed. The uh, guy who plays um, Maul at the end is Sam Witwer, who was the guy that they used the mocap for uh, uh, Galen Merrick, who was uh, Starkiller. Which I thought yes, was kind of cool. and also, also does Maul in Clone Wars, and also yeah. does Palpatine in the Clone Wars. Up until they're, I think yes. they're going back, and Ian McDermott's going to record over some of his lines. But yes, originally he was the voice of the mm-hmm. Emperor as well, which I thought was pretty cool. And uh, or actually, never mind. You just said that. Forget me. Uh, Chewbacca should have just killed those Ugnots that were throwing three uh, PO's parts around. Like he, sh- he should have just killed them. Murder's going to draw stormtroopers down there. I think he was trying to shy yeah. away from that. The uh, the line afterwards when when uh, Lando sees them all and like he's got like uh, Chewbacca's got all the pieces and he's like having trouble with your droid and Han's like no why <laughs> like that's one of the that might be like the comedic line of the entire series it's like no why it's just like in pieces everywhere like right he just does not yeah. want to be in Lando's debt it seems. And and the other thing too, the other thing too, and this is uh this is drawing since we're talking about solo in comparison to the original trilogy. Whenever you watch this, especially in the fir- in episode four now, 
knowing that backstory with L337 being the nav computer in the Falcon when 3PO is talking to it, and he's like, well, what a peculiar dialect your ship has. You have a very dis- interesting personality, yeah. Yeah, so it's like seeing all those things now, so those little pieces we were talking about earlier that they start linking together, like, for mm-hmm. instance... When we get to Jedi, I'll talk about it more. But I'm just saying, there's a Jed- there's a Return of the Jedi Battle of Endor thing that shows up in the uh, Rebels show that to this day makes my heart melt. But when we get there, anyway. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, I definitely agree with with that assessment for it. Um, I will say though, Rocky, there's something I noticed rewatching this, and I'm surprised you haven't ever brought this up, or at least that I've heard when. Uh, I say a lot of stupid shit, Patsy. So you have to be a little more direct. Well, when uh, Chewbacca is is uh, repairing C three PO, and he's like, "Oh yes, that's very good. I like that." It's like, what what circuits are you working on <laughs> right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was all going good until like much like rubbing your loved one's back or something until you hit that one sore spot. It's like, wait, my head's on backwards. What the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I will say. Uh, Generous prison to give Chewbacca tools and something to do as uh, right? while, while Han's getting tortured. <laughs> Let's give a Wookiee a sharp object. It'll be fine. Let's give him like a whole craftsman set. It's like, I'm going to be right. bored in here. Do you guys mind if I fix my droid? Oh, I can sure. see no harm in that. We're going to torture you, but why not have some arts and crafts? Fuck it. So now we're coming up to the, the fact that there's, you know, we've got Boba Fett. We've got the fact that Lando has led these guys into a trap uh, so that Han can get... Uh, taken by the bounty hunter which was not part of the original deal like they have to they and robot chicken he doesn't alter it any further motherfucker yeah robot chicken did a great uh parody of this where it's like he's like oh this deal's getting worse all the time and he's like you also have to wear this pink tutu and everyone's (laughs) gonna call you like marianne and like he just keeps and you also have to wear these roller skates he's like this deal is great. I feel it's quite fair. And then nothing right. else happens. So it's like, yeah. Um, yeah. Man, I, I love the entire blue harvest trilogy. So. But there's a, there's a part that comes up that kind of, we see Luke training. What's the one thing that Luke does not learn on Dagobah from Yoda? Uh, Lightsaber skills. Oh yeah. But, and he's suddenly able to hold his own, against vader see this is always the thing i never felt like he held his own at all i felt like that was <laughs> non-stop luke skywalker ass losing battle yeah he was just getting he was being resilient and he was fucking staying in the mix but he was not landing anything well he here's the thing he does it. he does land that one blow and i want to i'll bring this back in a second but the fact Solar that blow, right yeah and that's and right after that vader's like all right enough of this shit and cuts his hand exactly off. But the point, the point that I'm trying to make is a lightsaber is not an easy weapon to use. Like, if you are unskilled and you start swinging a lightsaber around, and, you know, Rocky, you can attest to this. It's in the, the expanded universe. <laughs> you are more likely to, to hurt yourself. Exactly. So the fact that he's able to even wield this thing with zero training, to me, speaks volumes to his abilities. Um. Well, he's not. He's got a natural affinity to certain things. And let's be honest, he grew up on Tatooine. So, the, so the one misnomer is like, oh well, he didn't know anything. He was only nineteen. I was like, yeah, but he grew up in this moisture farm all his life. He's had to contend with Tusken Raiders, critters coming Crit- off the dunes, and you know, dogs and mom. Yeah, exactly. 
But I will I will say there's a nice parallel in the first uh, the first of the uh, the new sequel trilogy, where even damaged and beat up, we see uh, you know Kylo Ren holding you know having no no real issue with uh, with uh, Finn. You know Finn swinging the the thing around and and you know giving right. a good fight. And you know, obviously, Kylo Ren's just kind of toying with him. But as soon as he gets hit, like that's yeah. it. He's like, "All right, you're done." And that's Ren when he like rakes him up the fucking spine. Exactly. <laughs> and see, this is the thing that people always bitch about too. Like, oh well, if Finn isn't a, how was he able to wield the saber? I was like, dude, they tell you at the beginning, he's a stormtrooper. You see a stormtrooper wielding a baton and fight. They have melee training. Yes. Yeah. He apparently he also was not kicking anybody's ass he was not dying right. but he yeah, was he's holding his on as much as he could and kylo exactly. ren was just was again like vader was just kind of toying with him until like he got hit he's like all right i'm done with this now i'm gonna fuck your shit up like you get your hand cut off or you get like paralyzed like there's a reason he was in that friggin uh back to tank uh for yeah. lack of or you know whatever t- the tub he was in uh finn i'm talking about at the beginning of uh Last Jedi, and I, I even wrote that Vader toys with Luke at first, then comes out way more aggressive, then turns it up to eleven after Luke hits him. That's exactly <laughs> it. Once he's like, you know, That's and I it. think, I think you know that was the point. Vader, Vader knows who he is. He doesn't want to kill him because this is where Vader has his first touch of humanity brought back to him after years of being a merciless cyborg killer. Yeah, and he, you know, he he's. It's almost like he's trying to see like what Luke can do because, like, you know, Luke's swinging at him wildly. You know, we see like just right. these wild back and forth swings. You know, like a, like a clock pendulum, and then you know he's trying to do all the invaders just parrying it, like not really going right. on the offensive. And then you know starts just like throwing trash cans and shit at him with the force, you know. Which <laughs> all the office supplies? Fuck you, kid. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, fucking laser jet printer right to the dome. Um, <laughs> Who hasn't had that happen? That sucks. And then you know Luke all beat up with one hand, and then you know Vader tells him like you know Obi Wan never told you what happened to your father, and he's like, no, I'm your father. And it's just like that reveal with the John Williams music swell was yeah. just. The first Unbelievable. time you see that, the first time you see that, your gut just dropped. You're like, "What now?" It, I had the same reaction, like seeing the the baby Yoda for the first time. Um, <laughs> well, I had the same. We we glossed over this whole thing. We're all at the end now. But you know, my favorite character was introduced in this movie, and just mm-hmm. the first time when uh, there's a great meme. We were talking about these earlier about uh, how horrible it is that Darth Vader spent time making this lovely dinner, and Han comes in shooting up the place. <laughs> <laughs> when uh when fett steps around the corner the first time i saw that guy that character i was like who the fuck is that like it immediately his armor off that white room just made me go what the fuck is this guy's story and this is what star wars does so good peripheral it's like the callback to dr evasion and uh um panda baba panda baba when they show up again and uh you Rogue know one. And, uh, Exactly, yep. and it's like those little things for me. Watch is yourself. What makes Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I'll be careful. You'll be dead. <laughs> I have a death yeah. death sentence in twelve systems. Yes, and uh, you know those little things. But Fett, you know his first appearance, it just sucked everything out of me. So that is what catalyzed me into reading the extended universes when they started putting out stories of Mandalorians in the mix. Oh yeah, the Mandalorian armor. 
uh, the armor, everything about the way the clans were. Some of the, some of the yeah. Dark Horse comics were tribal fantastic. culture. Exactly. Which is, they're doing very well. And this is one thing I'm going to say. Filoni has done this in the Clone Wars and with Rebels. He does a good job of dealing with Mandalorian lore. He's very... Mm-hmm. He's very respectful to a lot of things that came before it in the expanded universe in the books. It's really well done. And the show now is just amazing. Yeah. So we uh, we we see Han frozen in carbonite. And the first thing I thought of was how did Han get out of the handcuffs that he had behind his back to have his hands up in front of him? Because uh, <laughs> that was... That was a cool reveal, especially where, you know, you it, when you hear the backstory of how, you know... Harrison Ford wasn't sure he was going to come back for a third film. And it's like, yeah, if you kill him off, you kill him off, whatever. You know, but I'm, you know, obviously yeah. glad that he didn't because, like, that was oh, yeah. such a great fucking character. Um, and we get to see, you know, like I said, that, that nice battle between Luke and, uh, and Vader. And we see Luke with that, you know, uh, force enhanced jump. Like, that's another one of those powers. Like, what else can the force do? Like, is that. Because right. his muscles are enhanced, or is he like lifting himself up as he's jumping? Like, is he aiding his himself? Was it Taco Tuesday? Oh, yeah, that happens to me a lot. <laughs> it's another great example of where we, they kind of uh, they gave it to us in little bits. It's, yeah. And then yeah. now, you know, you go back, you see the prequels, and you're like, you get all of it in big, huge doses. You're like, look at all the things the Jedi can do. Right. And and now we're like, but to see do, like to see Luke do that for the first time, it's like, whoa. Luke is what what happened like this is huge and that was and he was so fast yeah it wasn't just the fact that he leapt backwards out of this narrow thing but it was the fact with the speed that he did it like that to me was like really impressive and even Vader was impressed Um, well this is also this is also the first point when you I mean you saw what he could do by strangling people using the force in the first movie but in Empire you're seeing Vader hurling things you're seeing telekinetic you know and that was the first time that was seen especially at the rate he was doing it where you're just like you know yeah because we saw we saw we saw Luke do it a little bit and we saw Yoda lift the X-Wing out of the water so like they had already set up that this is a thing that can happen but then you see someone who's like weaponized yeah someone who's not 900 years old and you know someone who's angry and you know vengeful like yeah this is how it's done son Um, I thought that was great and then Luke you know being offered like you know you know join me and we can rule the galaxy as father and son like the Emperor has already foreseen you overthrowing him and and you know and we know that luke has already seen the future as well because that happened during his training so everything that happened during luke's training with yoda pays off at the end of the film because we see that to like you know the you know, turned up to 11 in so many different ways like the only time we see luke use his lightsaber is to attack the vision of himself in the cave which we didn't really discuss much. We kind of glossed over, but that scene was very creepy as a kid when you saw it. That yeah, and it's like, what does that mean? Why is is he like? Is he a clone? Like, what's going on? Like, how? Because you don't have that reveal yet. You don't know, but you know, you know that you know after watching it as an adult and seeing all the you know supplemental stuff and you know all the supplemental material that goes along with it, you know that. It's like, this is your potential path. Like, you saw it, and, like, that's what Yoda was warning you about. You know, if you just run off, you will end up in the same place as your father. Like, Right. And we see that, you know, a little bit in uh, in Jedi when, you know, he 
he cuts off Vader's hand and then looks at his own hand. It's like, oh, shit. So yeah. instead of joining him, he decides, no, up, uh, falling down shafts, like endless infinite shafts in this in this uh, universe is not dangerous or deadly in any way, so I'll just do that. And uh, ends up like hanging from a TV wire. HBO goes out all over Bespin. And <laughs> we see Leia's first uh, connection to the Force. Yep. Because she's like, too. Luke's over here. Like, because he's calling out to her. Like, it was incredibly lame. Leia, hear me. It's like, oh, God. You couldn't come up with a better line than that? (laughs) We have discussed the cringeworthiness of some of the delivery systems in which lines are given in Star Wars. So, you know, you expect it going Anakin, you're breaking my heart. (laughs) (laughs) I hate sand. It's rough and it's coarse. It gets all over everywhere. Yeah, some of the lines are, oh, and it's like, you know, you're watching this, like, some of these people have fucking Oscars at this point, and, like, this uh, is... Right, right. Right? But, you know, this is the thing, though. This is, this is you know, especially established in Empire in this movie. You know, what they started with the first movie, where it made you feel like you were living in that world when you were watching that film, because everything was just so real, and they took it to the next level of, like, uh, in this movie, not only do things feel real, but it's so sparse and dispersed and different from each, you know, going to the different locations has Mm -hmm. always been Star Wars strong point. Like they, they immediately can pull you into a terrain and make you feel like I'm here. Oh yeah. Seeing Vader's castle on Mustafar in rogue one. Holy shit. Like, right. If, if if you were a reader of the old dark horse run of some of the Star Wars stories, there's a lot of good runs that he always goes back to. Okay. So one of the things that uh, we see next is, uh, you know, Luke all beat up and battered, like finally gets on the Falcon and they're trying to take off, but they're trying to fix the, the, the hyperdrive. And we see Lando repeating the exact same line that Han had earlier. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Yeah. And something yeah. I noticed that definitely gets glossed over is the durability of Chewbacca, because when R2 fixes the hyperdrive, he falls directly into that little hole there where Chewbacca was standing, and like you know, he landed on his head and crushed his head or his shoulder or something. But no ill effects, no concussion protocol. Then uh, at the end, after Luke gets his hand job, we see that uh, they're all traveling in different directions. And I don't know if this is ever explained. Uh, Lando is wearing Han's clothes. He's got the blue vest, the white shirt. Like, what's he up had, with that? He had to evacuate. He was helping him escape. He didn't have any other options. So I'm sure he was on the Falcon and was just like much like he used to have all his capes and shit hanging up in that room. I'm sure Han's got all his vests and shit hanging up there now. Yeah, but it's like the same outfit over and over. He's like a cartoon character. Like, he doesn't wear anything <laughs> <Yeah>. else. <laughs> Be like Homer Simpson. It's like, oh, I have these white shirts and blue pants. So, Well, if he doesn't have any capes, he's just fine with whatever he's got. That's true. Capes are his uh, his his choice of. Uh... So, we've we've reached the end of of the uh... the best Star Wars movie. Of yeah. The month, so, Rocky, you touch a little bit on this, so I'm going to have you expand on it. Uh, okay. Your feelings, knowing that this was a cliffhanger, it's like, all right, we know where uh, we have a pretty good idea where Han is, but like, let's not go get him for another couple of years. What was your level of disappointment? Uh, with with this ending, you know, knowing how much you loved what had happened, 
I, I guess when I was younger, there was a level of disappointment, but there was also nothing ever stuck with me as long as the whole, is that fucking true, man? And then, you know, in the age of, you know, before the internet, in order to find anything to read on, you had to look for magazines on the rack of the store. So like any of the sci-fi magazines or anything that had any, someone's speculation is this what might happen you know you eat all this stuff up and then once again you read those expanded universe things but it, 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 it's always stuck with me that nothing has ever the greatest quote about this is randall from clerks is like it just you know life is or no i think it's dante life is just a series of down notes and like every single moment in the empire strikes back just gave you so many wows and oh my god and shit and then when that finally all happens and it leaves you and it's like we have how long to wait yeah josh how about you i absolutely love that it instilled a real feeling like of dread in that you cannot fathom them gaining the upper hand at this point it's so perfect because they've established their capabilities to the point where you're like, so what if you blew up the Death Star? All of this is for nothing. You have to submit. You have to give over. The control is always going to be held by the Empire. And every single character is at a point at which they're about to face this. It's it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect because it's just depressing enough and yet just ex- as exciting and cliffhanger enough where like you can't wait to see more and you also can't figure out in your head how they're going to manage to pull this off next, you know, what, which is why you have all these weird little (laughs) things that we'll get into really shortly with return of the Jedi, like exactly how to pull off a win at this point. But, um, uh, I mean, we're seeing it again with the new trilogy. This is the exact same ebb and flow that, you know, a three act story has. Uh, and, but I can't think of a better example to use than the star Wars original trilogy as a three act for any film going forward or any big story. Yeah, I, I agree with you, um, especially where it's like, like, OK, the end of the first movie, A New Hope, like it's literally like, all right, like we just destroyed this thing that destroyed planets like that's a huge win. Because it's a you, self-contained film like it was meant to be. Yeah, that's all you got. That's all you got. The heroes have to win. But yeah. But then you see that it really didn't make that much of a difference. Like the Empire not only wasn't really that you know uh defeated like they weren't defeated they weren't you know that impacted by it it kind well, they of they were building a second one so right it. but you don't know that yet right but right. you're you know and, their and resolve you're is feeling the stronger. backlash of it too yeah it's like, like look yeah. you guys you 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 were misbehaved and now you're getting spanked really really hard in front of everyone it's almost like, like it's kind of a not only was that not of a big of a win but you're being punished you know tenfold it's right. almost like the uh the lightsaber escalate they're willing to show you that escalation against them is not a wise idea right it's almost like the the uh, the lightsaber duel is kind of like a microcosm of these first two movies and where it's like it's like oh you know you're doing all right oh you struck a major blow against us well now we're turning this up to 11 and we're going to come at you super hard and you know luke losing his hand is on par with them losing han from their 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 party well the title should have given it away because it wasn't the empire pusses out Right, the empire. So, the empire gets into a long discussion about their feelings, right. <laughs> which brings us, of course, to Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. Now, I had a thought watching this, knowing what I know now, after repeated viewings. You know, all the again, all the supplemental material. Do you think that the title of this film is more 
because uh, this again, this is something I just came up with when I was watching it. A nod to Darth Vader's redemption. Uh, I'll go with you first, there, uh, Dick Face McNuggets. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, and, and a happy day to everyone out there in Rated G Land. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I always thought that. I always, I always thought that at the last moments, you know, Vader turned on the Emperor to save his kids, just showing he's not. And we get that at the end of the movie. We get the three Force ghosts. We get Yoda. We get Obi Wan. We get Anakin. Albeit my preferences to the original Anakin and not mm-hmm. young, young Anakin, because he, he died when he was old. He would look like he did. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that, I always thought that that was about the redemption factor, because it leaves on the note that the son was able to save the father in spite of his sins. Josh, what about you? Like, do you uh, do you get that same sense? Uh, I can see it, but for me, it was always about Luke really becoming a Jedi. Like he, he, his entire tone drastically changes in this film. And it's more than just like, I just got done training on Dagobah. Look what I can do. It's, he comes into this with a whole new demeanor and character. He truly, at this point, I feel like we did not see him become a Jedi until now. So now he's stepping into the game uh, completely 100% as the first Jedi that's, you know, tr- existed in a while. So I feel like um, that is the push that is rebalancing the Force. Um, and it, it, the, that is the return of the Jedi that will set, that will course correct the Force for, uh, you know, a time, some time to come. So <clears throat> one of the things we had we had talked about is... Uh, you actually brought it up, Josh, about how uh, Vader started using, once he realized who Luke was, Vader started using the Empire towards his own goals. And now several years have passed. So it's about six years that have passed, you know, so giving us kind of like real time to movie time. And we see Vader on the new Death Star and he's talking to this this general here. And the general's got like no issue, like, you know, kind of sassing Vader you know, so do you think that what we've seen, you know, from Vader, like has Vader kind of gone soft, you know, in the 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 knowledge that like, yeah, I have a kid now. And, you know, has that changed from the ruthless, terrifying monster we saw at the beginning of, you know, New Hope to now it's like, well, this guy has no problem. Like, it's like, oh, but we'll try it our hardest. Like, the fuck you want from me? Like, you know, guy just kind of being, like, really disrespectful. But as soon as he's like, well, you just wait till my boss gets here. It's like, oh, shit, your boss? Well, that's the guy I'm scared I don't know of. If it's, I don't know if it's so much as going soft is in that his inner turmoil has become his new priority. So before, yeah. I mean, he was, he had nothing more than to please the emperor, than to do his job well, than to, to put people, keep, people in check because that was his job is to be scary and make sure nobody mouths off and disrespects the empire. But now I think those things matter less to him because he's struggling and he has so much going on inside. I think that he could, that could unleash on anybody at any given moment. And I kind of wish they would have shown that Mm. in, but in a let in a way that he, I don't care about your life and I don't care about your politics. I will kill you just because you made me angry and not because, you know, the empire insists I do that. So, I, but I, I do feel like 
there is a change, like there's a different Vader. We're seeing a different Vader for the first time. And it's not like, oh, maybe I'm thinking about the light side or whatever. It's more like I no longer can see what happens next. Because it, it's in, I, he hates it. I think it also, you know, not knowing then, but knowing now in the prequels, seeing young Anakin too, he also hated politicians. He had nothing for it. He hated it. That was his whole speech and his dialogue when he was talking to Padme. It was like, I, oh, you know, true, it's, it's, I've got no, so I think at this point, like you said, a hundred percent, he's more focused on the, holy shit, I've got a kid. Holy shit. I'm tired of doing this meandering imperial political posturing thing and uh 100% like you said but i think the i think that he has a new directive and now he just realizes ah, i can do the job i need to do but i'm focusing on this cuz i look at i look at uh episode 5 just like the the difference between episode 5 and and this like this guy talking to him like look at uh what's his name from uh was it nita yeah, Nita was like, I shall go to Vader and I shall apologize. And then you see, apology accepted. And the guy's fucking dead on the ground. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Like, yeah. And he wasn't talking shit, but he, like, not that this guy was, but he's just like, he's given Vader all these excuses. You know, just like, uh, what's his name? Ozil at the beginning of, of episode yeah. five. Like, he fucking force chokes Ozil, kills him, and then, like, Admiral kills it. Yeah. Like he's like, oh, I should take full responsibility and apologize, and it's like, apology accepted, and you're fucking dead. Like, <laughs> that's a huge change from like, well, you just—it's almost like you just wait till your father gets home; he'll deal with you. <laughs> like, I think at this point he's reserved to just let the emperor—you know—if emperor is going to come be hands on, he can focus on the bigger job at hand, and so he doesn't have time to fucking worry about. You know, he needs the people on that station to make things happen. Yeah, because then he has to promote somebody else and. Right. There's a whole thing, man. There's red tape, you know. Yeah. You gotta get. Uh, but he did have that human. great line. It was like, perhaps I can find new ways to motivate them. Yeah, this is the movie where he did say like that. The emperor's not as forgiving as him, right? Like that. Yeah, this, like this time that he's yeah. yeah, which is pretty funny because it makes him is like I'm the good guy. Here. Yeah, exactly. I meet my boss. It's hilarious. <laughs> I'm telling you, as manager, I'm your friend. You don't <laughs> down here. Yeah, right. Um, so then we get to see C-3PO and R2-D2 coming to this building. We have no idea where it is, but they're on a desert planet, which is obviously Tatooine. But again, you don't know that yet. And right. I have to say, one of my favorite parts of this plan that they have to rescue Han is that they didn't tell 3PO what they were doing. <laughs> Yeah, because he would have ruined it. Like the very right. was like, "Well, you're you're playing the wrong message." It's like I give you a gift of these two droids. It's like you're playing the wrong <laughs> message. No, no, no. <laughs> right? Yeah. Again, so, this is that this is that comic relief that only three PO could bring you. Whether you found him annoying or not, he was there with it. Well, my next note is literally uh, more annoying three P three PO or salacious crumb. Oh. <laughs> well, you, in case you've never heard my other podcast about this situation, fuck the monkey lizards is all I'm Kowaki saying. Kowaki and monkey lizards. I'm glad <laughs> they eat them. If you've never had to play a video game where they're in there and they're just a little annoyance that if they get too many of them at the same time, it's just it's it, fuck the monkey lizards is all I'm saying. I will. There's a, a couple scenes as we see 3PO getting kind of like led through the uh, the inner workings of Jabba's palace. Uh, first of all, who programmed the gonk droid to feel pain? Like, that's kind of a dick move. Right. Um, yeah. 
And then they're like, oh, our last ma- our master disintegrated the last protocol droid. And we see, like, this droid. droid. Is that what you called it? Yeah. Isn't that what he is? The little guy that walks around going gonk? Like, and they're there, there, and this is the super nerd me. Those little you talk about the big box rectangle. That's yeah, yeah. he's upside down getting his feet pressed. Feet. Yeah, yeah, they're basically the, they're the equivalent of portable power generators. Yeah, so I don't, I've never heard him call a conk droid before, but really, you said that, yeah, no, so that's, that's like on, it works because that's that's what I've heard them referred to. I think it was in um, uh. Force Unleashed that they, you know, when you were picking something up, like it identified what enemy you were fighting. And I think that's what they called them. No, it wasn't that. It was uh, Lego Star Wars. You can play <laughs> You can play as one. And like it tells you what it is. You know, Jawa, Gonk Droid, you know, Protocol Droid. Gotcha. Never heard of Lego Star Wars for those short films they make because those are freaking hilarious. You know who writes yeah. those? Uh, not all of them, but most of the, uh, the, the, the Lego Star Wars things is written by... Uh, Mike Price, who's a writer for The Simpsons. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And the the attention to detail in the Star Wars universe is actually really, really solid. Like stuff that kids, like average kids, Star Wars fans would not pick up on. To give you a layered in there so well. A little bit of a. a, Because I I have the the Force Awakens Lego Star Wars game, and it's absolutely amazing. Like there's there's parts where, you know. uh, it it has all the actors like reprising their roles. So like Domhnall Gleeson plays Hux, and there's a part where they're like, "Everyone stay at your stations." You know, this is towards the end when like you know everything, all, all the the main climax of the film is happening. It's like, "Everyone stay at your stations." I'll be on my ship because I need. I forgot something. I just don't worry about what I'm doing. You guys just <laughs> you, you stay here, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna go here. Uh, I'm going out for ice cream for everybody. Like. Like there's a scene where you interrupt some stormtroopers building snowmen, like it's it's absolutely phenomenal. So I love that stuff. And anybody that says that these games are just for kids, I want to point out that in the uh, Lego Batman Three game, if you fly around as Wonder Woman, it plays the Linda Carter Wonder Woman theme song. That is not for any kid. That is not for any kid. That is for adults who are watching this. Same thing with Superman. You fly around as Superman, it plays the John yep. Williams theme. So that is not for kids. That is for us. And you have to rescue Adam West over and over again. Again, not for kids. Well, it's like in the Marvel games where you have to rescue Stan Lee from all these different situations. They do it with Adam West in the in the Batman games. But I think I think it is actually for the kids still, but it's trying to make sure those tethers stay with the next generation so they remember and equate and know who these people. Well, I'm are. just saying, like most kids, you know, like I recognize the Wonder Woman theme song from the Linda Carter show. Like some little kid is not gonna, you know, some ten year old kid's not gonna recognize that. Right. Yeah. I'm no, I disappear I, very briefly. I'll be yeah, right yeah. back. So we're uh, we'll uh, we'll just go over it. So we see the uh, the droid getting pulled apart. And it's like our our master disintegrated the last one. It's like pulling apart and disintegration are two very different things, especially if you watched The Mandalorian. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say that I hate the remastered version because of like the the stupid, uh, just all the added extra shit. Like the Jedi Rock song can go fuck itself. <laughs> like that made me so mad. Uh, I will say when. Uh, and again, they're using the the Wookiee as a prisoner defense for a second time, just to make sure they have everyone in the same spot. When uh, uh, Boosh, that's yeah, that's her name, yep. uh, comes in, 
Or and Bowish. I've heard some people pronounce it Bowish, but that sounds silly. Either, either way, uh, when it's like, why should I pay you, you know, 50000 Because he's holding a thermal detonator. And you see everyone, like, freak out. You know, Boba Fett levels his gun. And then one thing I noticed, and I wrote it in my notes, Max Rebo's defense against the thermal detonator is not very effective. He just puts his hands over his face. <laughs> well, he's behind <laughs> that big piece of equipment. I think he was he, – and he's a large fella. So I think getting out from behind that organ was a lot uh, more strenuous on the poor guy. Yeah. And I, I wrote, use the Wookiee as a prisoner is is repeatedly integral to the plot. And the next one, uh, the next note I have is – Mind the wind chimes, which yeah. is uh, when Lando comes walking in and right. flangs into the wind chimes. It's like, oh, come on. Right. And uh, yeah, just as a quick little callback, once again, I just want to give the nod that uh, one of the great little fanboy squeals I got watching solo is when Woody Harrelson's character comes out of the Falcon and he's wearing the wearing the. Um, oh, God, I forget the name of the type of armor it is, but basically the outfit that Lando is wearing undercover in Jabba's palace. It looks like Gamorrean, like it's called. I think it's called Tantile armor, and it's just a very tribal thing. It's yeah. made from like bones of a very sturdy beast and shit. Yeah. So, uh, but, so uh, but anyway, yeah, that was, that was a great little call when uh, when uh, Woody Harrelson came out wearing that on. Uh, yes, Kessel. I like. Uh, you know, you see everybody like totally just appear behind, when they when they unfreeze. Uh, uh, Han, when she unfreezes Han. And so uh, the note I have here says, does everyone just sleep in a big pile like hamsters? Because everyone who is in that earlier scene is now in this scene. I think that was a Caligula nod, man. I think Jabba's just a very gorish. They probably let all those Twi'leks and things have sex all over the top of him and stuff. It's probably a really perverse situation going on in that palace, dude. I mean, we do see, uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, the uh, dancers like the Rodian and the I don't know what the other girl is. The blue girl that, you know, Boba, like, kind of touches her chin. Like, hey, you're cute. Um, oh, the, I, the one with the red hair? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that race is either, actually. There's so many. Like, it's it's hard to, to pin down. And, like, the, I know most of them have, like, these really intricate backstories. But it's hard to pin down who every single character is and what every single race and every variant, like, you know, with... Well, I- with I will say that I will say that uh, a lot of the toys that came out around Return of the Jedi, with uh, everything that I could get, that was some sleazeball from the Jabba-related sequence, I tried to get my hands on. Yeah, because it was the equivalent to the cantina scene in the first movie, where it was like we're seeing more of the seedy underworld and you know what the huts represent and everything. So the underworld side of Star Wars has always been my fascination. I have uh, a couple of notes here. Uh, this is the second time we hear someone mention delusions of grandeur uh, because uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, C-3PO said it when he was mostly put back together to uh, to R2. Oh, yeah, and then, uh, you know, Jedi, oh, I'm, I'm out for a little while and everyone starts getting yeah. delusions of grandeur. Um, right. <laughs> so when the rancor, when Luke gets dropped into the rancor pit, I have two notes here. First one, Rocky, this one's for you. Where are rancors from? <laughs> ah, they are from the lovely land of death known as Dathomir, and it is frightening. So if for those of you who are unfamiliar, that's a, a, a running gag with uh, all of the Star <laughs> Wars podcasts that Rocky's involved in. 
Yes, yeah, um, so, uh, yeah, I I know way too much about some of the bestiary of uh, some Star Wars related things, and I torment <laughs> I torment Mars with the mating rituals of Rancors on a regular basis. Uh, my question about uh, Luke's actions in the cave. See, I remember watching it like one of the first couple times, thinking like the most impressive part of the escape was that he used his left hand to throw the the skull into the button. And I was like, right. wow, he did that left-handed. He must be powerful in the Force. <laughs> <laughs> I've never encountered ambidextrous people before. That must be magic. Yeah, it's like, oh, clearly he's a Jedi, because who could use their left hand for anything? Um, right. Why not use the Force on the button? Like, that would have been way easier. Like, he was just Being showing simple. off. That's super funny. I just think he was showing uh, I did off. a convention where they had the, uh, the actual Rancor prop like the full size one, the big one. Um, it it was really, really, really cool to see up close. Cause I, you know, I got to be there before and after hours, like go up and like touch it and stuff. It was massive. Really extremely detailed, really cool. It felt neat when he touched it. Um, it was, it was the one he used in the movie. It was, was really, really cool. That's fantastic. You sound like, uh, you sound like, um, uh, okay. The guy who played Brody in rogue one, He's been doing some interviews lately, and he's talked about that all he wants to do is touch the Java model. Oh, the one that's <laughs> falling apart? Yeah, he just wants to touch the big Java model. That's all he ever talks about in any interview. It's really <laughs> bizarre. Well, it's funny, uh, you know, talking about the uh, the Mandalorian again. Um, Dominic was talking about this. Uh, how can you not? Right? Well, he was talking about, like, his one, like, fanboy moment was, like, they were uh, they were coming around a corner like everybody's in in their uh, their costumes and everything, and he comes around the corner and there's like the speeder just like sitting there, and he just like you know like he's in line he's dressed with like with all these other uh, bounty hunters like they're in full costume but like this is what like makes him stop in his tracks. And he's just like, oh, this is amazing. Uh, that's a Riz Ahmed, uh, Rocky, the guy oh, who the played Bodhi. Yeah, he's a great character, by the way. I love that character. In that yeah, movie. he's he's also the bad guy in Venom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, so, yeah, no. Th- this is the thing is, uh, as you were saying with with Mandalorian, everything's practical and it and it feels that way in the show, and that's what Star Wars gave us the original trilogy was everything was tactile, things that were there looked like you could walk up, touch them, climb into them, you know. Yeah. So when you're an actor on set and having tactile things, it brings out a different performance, I find, and I think that's where the Mandalorian is hitting the stride that the original trilogy holds love in a lot of people's hearts is it's just so real. Totally agree. Um, and then I have a note about the sound effects you know, are as or more important as the visuals. I mean, like the sound effects of the Rancor, the blasters, all that stuff, the various creatures, the way they communicate. Uh, then my note says, I kind of feel bad for the Beastmaster after the Rancor dies. Aww. You know, you, you got it. Like anybody who's ever had a pet, you know, oh, yeah. right? What, He's like, Aah. it's like, that's my friend. And like his friend is trying to like, you know, console him. And then we say, uh, then we see Han, and I wrote, like, Han is, uh, let's see, Han is such a great character, and nobody delivers one-liners like Harrison Ford. You know, the line, like, like how we doing? Uh, same as usual. That bad, huh? Yeah. Or- <laughs> and see, once again, these are those moments that when you watch Solo and you watch it multiple times, that when you go and watch the original trilogy, seeing these things with Han and Lando are heartwarming. Yeah. I mean, 
there's so much, and I have more stuff about them coming up, obviously. But there's also uh, uh, Luke's level of badassery is uh, you want to love it, but it's also a little bit hard to swallow. Uh, just knowing the Luke that we started with, he's I mean, there's moments where like he walks in and he just tries to own this place, or the he's the line, uh, "Jabba, this is your last chance. Free us or die." When it looks like yep. all odds are against him, and yeah, he's you know, about Jabba's to be pushed laughing. into the pit of Carcoon. And there's party that's like that's so badass, and the other part of you is like, mm, "What's your game? What's your game, moisture way, like, farmer?" He's the same kid who was whining, <laughs> you know, like a couple movies ago. I want to go were... to Tashi Station and pick up some power <laughs> converters. Yeah. Everybody likes to talk about the fact that, like, oh, they things were down. They had Han and Lando and Chewie and Luke were all out on that skiff, getting ready to get dumped into the Sarlacc. But the badasses that are in play here are R2 and Leia, they're inside that fucking thing. They know that they've only got one way to get out of this thing before everything goes to shit really fast. And Leia single-handedly leaps back there and strangles a crime lord to death. Yeah. Know? Yeah, it's a good yeah. Right? Especially so wearing like, what she's wearing. <laughs> well, that that may, I'm not going to lie that I was entertained by that, so I have no mm. arguments there. But anyway, and, and R2 the same way. You know, they've got to get out of the belly of the beast while the other guys are outside, you know, knocking on the door kind of situation. I always felt that, you know, Leia was in a way worse situation than any of those other motherfuckers in that fight. Yeah. No, I totally. I totally agree with you. Um, there was something I saw that kind of made me, made me upset is, and it has to kind of, uh, it ties in with the fact that these these uh, sound effects are so iconic. There's a Tusken Raider, uh, or there's a guy who makes Tusken Raider sounds, but he is clearly not a Tusken Raider. And I said, that's the problem with making such iconic sound. And then my next note just says, uh, Sigh, Boba Fett. Because that's just... Uh. Yeah, it's a shitty ending, but I still hold true to this. And people are always <laughs> like, oh, Boba Fett gets punked out. I was like, yeah, he does. And to be quite honest, they only had limited technology to show any of his fighting skills. So, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, he gets punked out. But he, arguably, visibly, he is one of the coolest fucking designs in the franchise, period. But Definitely. Right. It's and like, oh, go ahead. On so many cool options, like half the exciting things that you want to dive into in the you know legends or whatever is is boba fett related and it's it's funny yeah. there's the uh you know it reminds me of the line from pirates of the caribbean it's like oh this is like the worst background character i've ever heard of it's like but you've heard of me yeah like <laughs> to the <laughs> yeah. point where they you know like there's no fucking uh bib fortuna backstory in the prequels you know like <laughs> right but you know there are there used to be, you know, legends, there's legends material on those. And, you know, that's, that's sadly where we're getting some of that back, I guess. But uh, I want to see more aliens with all new Star Wars going forward. I need more predominant alien characters. I do. I, I, really... I want to point uh, one thing out as far as Boba Fett is concerned, because I think uh, it's important. Now, there's the, the uh, legacy or legends, whatever they, they're calling it now, the, uh, the book Mandalorian Armor. Where we find out how that was you know, part of the trilogy, great trilogy, by yeah, the way. Yeah, how Boba Fett gets out of the uh, the Sarlacc and how he's nursed back to health by Dengar, Dengar. Yep. Uh, and ends up being like best man at Dengar's wedding, yeah. which is like so <laughs> fucking weird to me. 
But, but that, was, that was offset by one of the best sequences in the next book, Slave Ship, when he goes to get the Slave One back, and all the body when he walks into the hangar, all the bodies that have attempted to try to steal it while he was gone are just like a mountain of carnage around the ship. Mm-hmm. It's fucking beautiful, beautiful writing. Well, there's a. I don't know if you've read any of the aftermath books, but there is a mention in the first one about finding what looks like Mandalorian armor that has been scorched and scarred by acid. And then there is later in the book a direct reference to Boba Fett where he is mentioned by name. Oh, wow. No, I have not read those. The only books I have read is I've read a couple of the Leia novels. I say read. I'm going to be honest. They were audiobooks. That's fine. Other things, but, as uh, long as you get the information. Yeah, exactly. I haven't done the aftermath stuff yet, though. So now you've got me intrigued. I'm going to have to. I go, have uh, the first one where this is mentioned. I haven't read the whole thing, but. I read the first one, too. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a uh, a note here that says, "Imagine the smell after Jabba shits himself as he dies." Actually, I'm more curious as to his fucking death rattle mm. that he let go when Leia. Was <laughs> oh yeah, that's gonna be gross. Uh, <laughs> and this just again, C-3PO can't fend off a Kowakian monkey lizard. Like he's getting his ass kicked and his eye ripped out by fucking salacious crumb. You, you'll get that sort of redemption in the next movie, I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. So and then we, we cut to the, the scene that we alluded to earlier where, you know, the Emperor's coming to to supervise the construction and, like, they're on the super tight schedule and it's like everybody needs to be, like, at their best. And then there's, like, 900 fucking guys there to, to greet the Emperor. It's like, shouldn't you assholes be working? Like, do you really need all these guys here right now? Like, is everything <laughs> done? Once again, I quote Randall. I don't think your average fucking stormtrooper knows anything about installing a fucking water main. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but they have to be motivating people. Like, you know, they have different, like, as we learned with uh, Finn, you know, like, he was in sanitation. Like, yeah. ever since a couple of guys fucked around in a garbage chute 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so here's, now we go back and we see Luke reuniting with Yoda and the fucking line, when 900 years old you reach, look as good, you will not. Such a great oh, yeah. fucking line. Right? <laughs> yeah. They really, and by, by Jedi time frame, they have really established so many portions of Yoda's personality that they were able to have so much fun with the character in Return of the Jedi. Like, even his death was, it was powerful, but he didn't leave on a somber note about it. Yeah, and like even as he's dying, he's still trying to give Luke more information. The thing that bugs me, though, is he's like, oh, I've come back to complete my training. No more training do you require, so I am a Jedi. Nope, you're not. Like, wait, <laughs> so which is it? Do I need more training or am I a Jedi? Both. You're, you're not a Jedi and you don't need more training. You have to fit, you complete your training by fighting Vader. But you just said I didn't need more training. Well, I think he realized the whole ghost thing. You always gain knowledge from, you know, Obi-Wan reappearing to you. But mm-hmm. I think it's more, you know, he's, he's how many of a year of a jump was it between Empire and Jedi? Three. I think three both years? both both movies were three years. I should remember it from reading Shadows of the Empire, but uh, it's escaping me at the moment. But uh, which, by the way, if nobody has ever read the now leg- legends, I, so here's a question for you. Would Shadows of the Empire be considered Legends now or canon? Because in the special edition, he added nods to that book in episode four. There's a super bike 
and there's uh, a, an asp droid, the droid that clunks the other floating droid over the head and the yeah. remastered things. Those are from uh, Shadows of the Empire because Lucas actually said he wishes that was a movie he would have made because he liked the book so much. See, I, I, I think what they've what they've done is they've kept certain parts, like maybe the plot isn't, but certain things, like, you know, we see Thrawn, you know, in, in Rebels, but, like, all the other stuff didn't uh, match up. Like, all the other stuff that happened during the Thrawn trilogy is not canon. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's weird, though. Anyway, it, I just wondered, because it's in the movies, technically, but uh, I guess aspects only count, but... Um... Anyway, where were we? I'm sorry when I deviated. We were oh, talking. Oh, sorry. Uh, just about how Luke didn't need training. Uh, and I made a note. I said, like Obi-Wan before him, Luke gets to skip the Jedi trials. I mean, A, because there are no Jedi trials at this point for him to be it's put through. It's a trial. But defeating or rather surviving against a Sith Lord kind of counts as training. Well, that's how Obi-Wan got it. Obi-Wan, you know, of course, he defeated Maul. But, yeah, he defeated you know. Maul. But, I mean, again, there's no Jedi trials at this point. So, right. I mean, and with Yoda gone, it's like, well, I'm Grandmaster Luke. And I'm on the council. And I am the council. So I, I guess it's like even if the most mediocre knight is the only one that survives, he's the best knight the land's got. And the way I look at it, uh, and this is you, – you touched on it like a couple of hours ago about the, the Freddie Prince Jr. rant. Yeah. Everything, it doesn't matter what your skill in the Force is or what your skill as a Jedi or a Sith is. It's all the will of the Force. So that's why we see someone who, you know, like uh, uh, Anakin is super powerful. His connection to the Force is unparalleled, and they make a point to mention that over and over again. Obi-Wan's like a grunt, but he uses, you know, his... his uh, He's clever with what he does. Yeah, like he doesn't overstep his bounds. Like he knows what he's doing. He makes a plan. He doesn't just rush in headlong. So while right. he's not nearly as powerful as Anakin, the Force allows him to win. I mean, we see this, you know, Eye of the High Ground. Yeah, Darth Maul had the high ground, and how did that work? <laughs> so there's, it's the will of the Force that determines who wins and who loses and how certain things happen. It's not necessarily the skill of the Jedi or the, the Sith in question. I mean, cause I think that order 66 might combat that a little bit. I mean, I, I was just going to bring up the point of how quickly Yoda gives up after that fight. It's like, Oh, I fell. Well, I guess I'd better go into exile and never, ever return and never even make another <laughs> attempt at, at defeating this. <laughs> empire. True. Like, I mean, I guess I guess it was trying trying to attempt to. I mean, if you look at it this way, trying to show the intensity of the purge. I mean, if if the Master Jedi had to go into hiding because there was you know no other option at that point, because you know when the Republic fell, it fell fast and hard. Yeah, there was, there was you know they were they were in control of things. It was hours. Was, yeah, the bottom dropped out literally within hours, and uh, I think that you know at that point. You know, they felt like the most, most powerful ones need to stay alive in case, you know, there's, you know, others that come about to help us fight this issue. But for now, you got to go to ground, man, and just keep a low fucking profile. Yeah, because, I mean, if you think about it, like everywhere there was a Jedi, there was a huge force of clone troopers. And so they were and they were spread out strategically yeah. in all these different systems. 
So it's like as soon as they as soon as they took care of the Jedi, it's like, okay, now we have all this control, all the you know, everything's we are the the dominant force here. Like no one's going to rise up against us because we've been the good guys this whole time. Except except for one thing. And I'm going to tell you right now, there are many things that have happened in the new stuff that Disney is putting out with Star Wars, but nothing. You'll never know the elation I have from starting to watch the Mandalorian just because of my love of Mandalorian lore over the years. But I'm going to say this right now, without a doubt in star Wars rebels during this timeline, finding out that there were some clone troopers who didn't, they went, if you watch the clone wars, you know that they knew mm-hmm. some of them do and some of them removed their chips so that it wouldn't happen. And when you find that out later, and this is what's so great is we're in return of the Jedi land. Now finding out that the battle, the end battle of Endor you remember the classic photo of the rebel commandos mm-hmm. and there's the old man standing there with a white beard yep. on the edge of the thing. They have retconned that, that that is Rex. Ooh. Ooh. The clone commander, he, he survives and uh, they ripped their chips out and lived in exile. They get picked up in rebels and he makes it to the battle of Endor. That's that fucking cool. Right. So that's the little thing he does that a retcon that just kind of warm your heart. Because if you've watched the Clone Wars and Rebels, the the clone commander who worked Anakin's platoon is one of the ones that ripped their chip out. So he's like deeply tied to the crap that's gone down since the Republic. So that just warms my heart. That's awesome. I did not know that. That's really cool. Uh, I'm actually looking up the photo you're talking about right now. It's really. Wow. Yeah, that is something. Yep, because they make mention in Rebels that uh, Hera and uh, Hera and Rex were at the Battle of Endor. That's that's so cool. Um, so now we see everybody on Endor, the Forest Moon, and uh, I made a great a, a note where Leia first meets an Ewok, and uh, you know you can't understand what he's saying. There's no subtitles, although sometimes when certain characters speak, there are subtitles if they're speaking a different language. And uh, the subtitles I made up for this uh, are, I'll kill you. Wait, is them snacks? Because that's essentially what happens. Like, he's got a spear out, and she's like, oh, do you want to eat this thing I just pulled out of my pocket? And he's like, right. all right. Stick this in your mouth, kid. And then she, like, picks up her hat, and he's like, fuck your hat. <laughs> fuck your hat. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear, I can hear uh, um, Rick James is done by uh, Dave, Dave Chappelle. Chappelle. Fuck your hat. Fuck your hat, wicked. Stormtrooper uh, armor. Like, it might as well be made of foil. Can we talk about this for a minute? Because (laughs) not once, like, even against Ewoks, it's like, or or a big stick. Like, Han picks up a stick and clubs one of these guys to death with it. Like, it's, the armor is useless. Yeah, dude, honestly, and not to flash back to this again, but during that issue of Rebels, when you first meet Rex, he makes the comment about stormtroopers. And the reason they still wear their clone armor is he's like, yeah, man, the generations of armor they made after our original versions just sucked. (laughs) It's so perfect. It's so like everything was better when they were using the clones. And when they aged out and they started hiring all the people, all of a sudden they can't shoot straight. Their armor (laughs) sucks. They're all morons. Right. (laughs) So... We see uh, the the Ewoks getting ready. They're trying to uh, Han and R two and C three PO and Luke are and Chewbacca are trying to find Leia because she took off on a speeder bike and 
you know, actually Luke jumped off and she went off on her own. Right. Like, yeah, she, she, but they got, they got all, they got separated and they're trying to find her and they get ambushed by Ewoks and Han's just like, you know, what the fuck is this? Like, get these guys, you know, they're sticking a spear in his face and he's like, get that out of my face, you know? And then they see 3PO and all of a sudden they think he's a God and 3PO immediately says it's against his programming. Uh, It's improper to impersonate a deity. Which he then immediately does. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> hilarious. Selling it with the uh, with the levitation. Yeah. Why does he? He's like, oh, I didn't know I had this in me. Like, you thought that you did that? Like, have you ever like at any point levitated yourself or flew? Uh, next thing I wanted to point out: Where did the Ewoks get the dress that Leia was wearing? Oh, from somebody ate earlier. <laughs> I was gonna say she certainly didn't bring it with her. And my next yeah, observation. Extremely weird. Yeah. And they braided her hair in like an elaborate fashion. Uh, well, of course, that's that that's just that's just a uh, lady side of the Skywalker family thing. Because Padme had some great dues. As that's well. true. That's true. <laughs> uh, he is a shitty god if he can't even tell them to set his friends free. This is a accurate. Like these guys, like oh, there's my god right there giving me an answer. Well, better go back to singing my song. Do, 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 do. You know, like, we're going to eat these guys. <laughs> well, you know, dude. Yeah, I mean, uh, it bothers me that Leia, you know, after after Luke talks to her and, like, reveals that, you know, they're siblings, it bothers me that she goes to mush so easily. It's like you watched your planet explode and like still like the first stormtrooper you see you're like aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper like you have nothing but snarky fucking you know han gets a little angry at you because he thinks you like luke and not him and you just like turn into a mush pile and like hold me it's like oh come on like that happens yeah that happens too much with these characters in star wars like you know padme sitting there like She's got these huge slash marks across her back, and she's just, like, shooting down at all these battle droids. And then the next movie, it's like, oh, I'm only so pretty because you're in love with me, and you love me so much. Oh, I'm yeah. dying of a broken heart. <laughs> you know, this is, the, this is the thing for as much as we talk about how Kurosawa was sort of a big impact on Lucas, too. The other major driving factor behind this was he was a big lover of all those Flash Gordon serials back in the day, right? Yes. Yeah. So oh, yeah. There's a lot of that draw where it's like he didn't ever really do a damsel in distress, but he still tried to give you the romantic and or, you know, the heartfelt moment between the – the hardened person, whether it be male or female, who's always always tough, has to have their moment of humanity. And I think that's kind whether of whether he was good at it or not. <laughs> is right, uh, someone who loves you line like yeah. all of those. Yeah, so yeah. funny. So it is very cheesy, but again, you know, I'm not expecting when you see somebody writing a uh, space fantasy <laughs> space wizard movie. You know, I'm guessing that you know Lucas. Really, did Lucas did Lucas uh, pen Jedi completely, or no? There was a lot of side writers and yeah, Jedi. I think there was there was a lot of input on that because you had to you had to wrap it up. Uh, yeah, Carrie Fisher helped a lot with Jedi. I think she did a lot of. Uh, that. I think so. If I remember correctly, Lawrence Kasdan, who re re rewrote Empire, co-wrote this movie with Lucas. That sounds about yeah. right. Yeah, it sounds about right. Because originally, so like uh, with Empire, it was. 
Lee Brackett, she wrote the initial one, and then she died like right after. And then Lucas read it, didn't like it. He rewrote it uh, because there was nobody else to. And then they hired Lawrence Kasdan to rewrite what Lucas wrote. And then they were like, wow, you did actually did a great job. Let's keep you on to keep Lucas in check on the next movie. Yeah. Right. And there's only so much you can do. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it is a very awkward scene, but I think they're trying to draw that. You know, they were trying to draw that familial bond. I mean, years have passed and they've been through a lot. And I think, yeah, yeah it's still very weird. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a, uh, I have a, a longer note here. And we, we talked about this a little bit. It says, uh, despite a lack of real training, Luke resists the Emperor's influence and seduction so much better than his father. Maybe because he's powerful, maybe because he didn't have the same inclinations as Anakin. Between his lack of peer bonding, rigorous training, and indoctrination into the quote-unquote Jedi way, and the fact that he lost his mother twice, plus all the Padme stuff, Anakin never really had a chance. Uh, and I know I, I mentioned that earlier. But what do you guys think about that as when it comes to Luke and uh, Anakin's interactions with the Emperor? Obviously, you know, Anakin had, you know, the Emperor in his ear a lot more often and a lot more uh, for a longer time. But at this point, he's also like overt about it. He's like, I don't have to hide who I am anymore. Uh, Rocky, what do you think? I'll start with you on this one. Oh, wow. That's a lot to unpack, actually. Um, uh, run that down me one more time just a quick overface give me give me where i need to be what did you think of the difference of luke resisting the emperor and uh you know despite his lack of training and anakin just totally giving in i think once again as we you know early in anakin's life you know he he had no sort of father figure. He was a slave under Watto's control. I think he's always sought that. He found that in Palpatine. I think that took over a lot of his, you know, daddy issues, if you will. Um, and I think he also, as you said, he was rapidly, he was too old to start the training, as Qui-Gon said. So, you know, he has this super strength, but he's also, as you said, a high hormone monster when it comes to Padme and all these other things. I think that... There's a weakness that Anakin knew in himself. That's why he stayed so angry, because his weakness couldn't allow him to save Padme from death and all these things. So I think his need to find out... Palpatine sowed that seed of the Darth Plagueis story about being able to live forever and all these things. So I think that kept him easily with one foot in the dark side, whereas Luke has never known anything but familiar love with Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen and stuff like that. He grew up in a completely different lifestyle than than vader did so when he found his father was real alive and there was might be a chance he could bring him back to the good side that was the only thing that luke was trying to do it was his only focus he was never going to fall to the dark side and he just had that force of will that was stronger than what vader's will was josh how about you what's what's your uh, uh thoughts on this i think that's super accurate i think while Luke, I mean, Luke lost his aunt and uncle, he didn't face the same kind of struggles that Anakin did. He didn't, um, and he also didn't let, he didn't try to live up to as many people's standards as Anakin did. So like Anakin had a whole series of people that he wanted to impress and live up to that he never felt like he truly did. So like he never felt 
Like he always had this weird relationship with Obi-Wan. It was almost a father figure, almost a brother figure. It was almost competitive. Uh, and he never truly felt like Obi-Wan was, was confident in him. Never felt like he truly had the faith in him that he was ever really impressed with his skills. It was like he would show off in front of Obi-Wan and just get scolded for it. He, so he never met that approval. He never met Yoda's approval. Uh, never, he was kept out of things and treated like a child for so long. So, it, and he, he had the savagery of his mother's murder, which I know that can be a, a comparison can be drawn with Luke, but still um, the things that he like suffered and kind of went through, I think all of those come into play. It was just like a long string of events where there was really no other way for it to go with Palpatine. Whereas Luke, um, uh, at this point uh, in his own journey is kind of riding his own high horse. He's got this own struggle with his own father figure, but he is coming into this on a high note. He's coming into this the most powerful he's ever been. Um, he is 100% certain that the dark side is wrong, that it's evil. Whereas Anakin no longer knows what's right or wrong. He's starting to think that the Jedi, their ways were always wrong. And the dark side he was been lied to about it. Like it wasn't what he thought it was. Maybe the dark side isn't so evil. Maybe the dark side is his only hope for certain things in his life, you know, that he needs like such as saving Padme, et cetera. Um, he was just really, really tricked into it. And Luke didn't have all these different kind of forces at his back. Um, uh, he, Luke had it, frankly, easy. It seems like by comparison. Yeah, I'd say that. I mean, he saw the aftermath of, you know, his really, his only family dying in front of him. Uh, I mean, he saw, he didn't see them actually die. He didn't, you know, hold them as they died. Like, uh, Anakin did, like he was pulled away then, from his mother and then yeah. he finally gets to and then slaughter a whole tribe of Tuscan Raiders and not know how to feel about it afterwards. Like, yeah. you know, there's just so many little things that just make Anakin's situation so much worse. Yeah. Well, that, that's exactly it. It's, it's, it's the, it's the nature over nurture concept to be quite honest. You know, yeah, when Anakin was a little kid, he had the slave's life. He did have friends. He did have a caring mother sort of situation. But all that was ripped away at the same time he was ripped away, if you will. You know, he was given the option to come be a Jedi or not. But, you know, it left everything he'd ever known. And then these every terrible thing that can happen hits him. Whereas Luke, you know, the one terrible thing that catalyzes him sends him off on a different path with the different folks anyway i'm just reiterating what we've already just said but good extra points there josh by the way yeah <laughs> so uh one of the things that uh i know rocky you feel this way uh josh i don't know what your thoughts are but uh ewoks are much more dangerous and cunning uh look at how e how easily uh wicket steals the speeder bike like he wasn't just poking and prodding and hoping he hit the right things like it's almost like he knew what he was doing because had he just been poking and prodding and like not really paying attention to what was going on, as soon as he hit that throttle, he would have been launched off. Like the bike would have just taken off. But I he think, hung on to that thing. I think, you know, obviously the Empire has been there for a while constructing the second Death Star. So they've been, you know, the Ewoks, they obviously their village wasn't too far away from where everything was happening. I'm pretty sure they had scouts watching what these other people were doing so they weren't completely oblivious the empires had to have been there for a while and i'm sure the ewoks were watching what was going on uh not to mention there's the uh so there's the two ewok films and the ewok cartoon series that show that there's like a 
loads and loads of dangers on that planet that the Ewoks have faced and come up against time mm-hmm. and time again long before the Empire showed up on their place. Like, they they know their way around. Like, they they are a surviving tribe of species for a reason because it's, like, it's a way more dangerous planet than that movie lets you know. Right. I love and those it, stupid Ewok films, man. <laughs> and, and the other thing, too, is originally they were supposed to be Wookiees. So, you know... Yeah. They weren't. They may have made them smaller, and they're not Wookies, but they were still supposed to be vicious to be able to, you know, assist in a large way with the overthrowing of the Empire. Well, I, there's I, a ton of comparisons between them and the Wookies, and the, what we know of Wookies now, what we know of the Wookie home planet, Kashyyyk and stuff. There's a ton. They're very, very similar species. Like their size yes. doesn't mean that much. Yeah. Size matters not. <laughs> Judge me by my size, do. Well, that's why. Like, um, it almost to me they seem like uh, Neanderthals battling against you know uh, you know all the various creatures that you know they had to fight. Like they're very primitive. You know they use you know spears and rocks and bow and arrow, but you know there's you know large animals. Like again, Rocky, you you're more into the bestiary than pretty much most folks. Maybe not into bestiality. Who the fuck did you talk to? What website? Have you <laughs> it's but, a perfect comparison. They've been they've been basically they are cavemen who've been fighting dinosaurs their whole lives. Exactly. And some guys yeah. show up with some fancy machinery. It doesn't mean that much to them. Like I, it's and, total good comparison. And this is another thing to think of. Okay, when they when they was originally Wookies, I think there was a definitive thought. It was like you know if we want to make this a victory for the little guy, a big giant jungle full of Wookiees are far more intimidating to Imperial forces than little tiny teddy bears. So I think that was also a chosen choice. Let's make them small. So this is how the little man can do anything to assist in the overthrow of this tyrant. Right. And that's yeah, been a like theme. a literal underdog situation. Yeah. yeah and that's exactly. been a thing the whole time. Like, you know, Luke and his tiny one man fighter against this giant planet killing, you know, behemoth, you know, so and you know, Luke with no training, you know, v- you know, seeing Yoda as like this super powerful, uh, you know, Jedi master, like, you know, it, it's there, that's been a theme throughout the entire uh, series. Now, I will say, with the knowledge that they have Ewoks on this planet, because there's no way the Empire doesn't know about this indigenous life form. Uh, Sidious is a they little... see them living in trees. They're little, you know. The Empire. If you've ever followed anything from the Empire, they're very racist towards alien species. If you're not human speaking basic, they shit on you. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, what I'm saying is that's that the, they're completely ran by humans from Coruscant, essentially. Like yeah. it's you're right. I've never really thought about it. They're racist as hell. Except, <laughs> oh yeah, unless it's, unless it's Thrawn. Well, that's the thing. Thrawn, that was what made, in the original Thrawn trilogy, that's what made him say he was like one of the first aliens ever mm-hmm. to achieve that level of respect within the Empire. It was insane. He's the Austrian pretending he's German. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Only in this case, he's bright blue, so he's a little bit tougher to blend in. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sidious is a little too confident, knowing, what he, knowing that he knows about these indigenous life forms, totally overlooks them as... Uh, and, and the droids because he doesn't view them as threats so he's like yeah yeah you can know all our plans you can know the location of all this and that like you can you know it's the equivalent of the bad guy monologuing before the final fight like this is you know go ahead know right. all this stuff it's he, not going to make any he's difference felt yeah exactly so i uh so, I, this this brings me back around to like my point at the way that you're left feeling at the end of empire strikes back it's like you are completely downtrodden. There is no way for the Rebel Alliance to win. Everything is destroyed. Unless you take a one big mistake by the Empire, 
and one MacGuffin mission, which is basically exactly what this movie is. They the the, the shield generator was was the Ewoks. They did not expect the Ewoks to be of any threat. And then there's the MacGuffin of knocking out the signal tower that's going to somehow save the day for everyone, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like that was kind of really the only writing tactic you could take to kind of wrap this up as a win for the for the good guys. Yeah, you're completely correct right there. But let, this is this is where we're also talking about. This is okay. I have lots of favorite Star Wars moments, but as I say, I have a top three. I still this is a very close with the Battle of Scarif, but the space battle above the above Endor is one of my favorite Star Wars things I remember being in a kid sitting and watching that and just being mind blown. So whenever anybody gives that little bit of tidbit, I'm like, when that shield went down, Lando went in and showed you what Lando could do. Yeah. Good. Yes. Hell yes. Absolutely. I, I have a note about that of uh, why did they make the interior of the ship large enough where you can fly, fly massive ships through it. You know, I know it was still being constructed, but like <laughs> that seems like a major because it design. Looks cool flaw. on film, Patsy. Oh, that's true too. Um, so my question, you know, I don't know when the they decided on this uh, rule of two for the Sith, but it seems like uh, Vader and Sidious were just going to completely disregard it. They've yeah. all been disregarding it for a very long time. Sidious has been disregarding uh, that yeah. mall situation. Yeah, because he had Maul and he had uh, Dooku, and Dooku, Dooku had Asajj Ventress. And yeah. There was just like there's a whole lot of them out there. They're all out to backstab each other, so none of their rules really apply to anything in the Sith Order. So I have a, a couple of opinion questions before we uh, get to the the main climax and the end of this. Uh, do you prefer the Tie Interceptor or the X Wing? Like, if you had to fly one, which would you which would you go with? Not the TIE Fighter, the Interceptor, the nice fast yeah. one. With the the Interceptors are sweet. The Interceptors yeah, are sweet. So, Josh, I'll, I'll let you when, go first since you started weighing see, in on it. Uh, a, a, a major dichotomy is is oh. the X-Wing truly isn't the, the offset of the Interceptor. If you know about the ships, the A-Wing is the mm-hmm. counterpart to the Interceptor because right. they're all speed. So if you're asking me which one I would rather fly, the Interceptor because I'm all about the speed. But if it was an A-Wing, I've the A-Wing has been my favorite Rebel ship design since Return of the Jedi, and I adore it. Any chance you give me for what ship would I fly, it's the A-Wing. Okay. Josh? I like the Interceptor. Uh, between the two, the Interceptor is really it's a badass ship. It's a sexy-looking <laughs> ship, is it not? It is. It, it, is. it, it really is. I, I don't know. I just I prefer the X-Wing myself. I just like the way the design is. Um, I've always loved the X-Wing design. Too. Have you ever seen the Crimson Guard Interceptor? It's red and black. Uh, yeah, probably, but I can't pull it up in my in my memory right now. Hey, go look up a picture of it later. It, it takes that takes that interceptor sexy to a different level. So the other uh, the other one I have is: uh, Would you rather fly the Slave One or Millennium Falcon as your personal ship? Oh, Slave One, fire spray assault vessel, son. <laughs> <laughs> that seems uh ooh yeah I'm looking at that the emperor's royal guard tie st- yeah where it's mostly red yeah that thing's sexy looking right uh, I feel like this is an unfair question because the Millennium Falcon is such a beloved ship but if you look at the capabilities of Millennium Falcon especially when it comes to weapons it doesn't hold its own against the slave one at all no but There's very I few mean, things that it has over it right I mean the Falcon's got speed, speed. yeah, yeah, yeah. Speeds, she speeds it. 
speed and, speed she's and maneuvering ability. And also, I think you know, you're, you're, there's a little denser armor and shielding going on on the Falcon than the Slayer's yeah. got too. Because it's a shielding, it's a freighter, definitely. Yeah, it's it's a freighter, and like that's what it was designed for. So it's it's more rugged than. At, you did you guys ever play the Bounty Hunter game that came out on PlayStation? No, I only had Jedi Power. No, nope, I never did. It's a, it's sort of a Django story, and you see how Django gets the Slave One, and the fire sprays were actually designed as assault police vehicles around prison planets. Interesting. Oh, that's for. cool. So, yeah, he steals it. He goes to a prison planet because he has to get some information from somebody who's inside prison. And when he leaves, his ship gets fucked up and he steals one of the prototype fire sprays that they have at this penitentiary. That's and he ends nice. up blowing the other two up. So there are very limited amounts of them in the galaxy because they were all prototypes at the time he stole his. That's really awesome. Um, I mean... So anyway, given the choice, if you want firepower and, and, and death, then you go with the fire spray. If you want potential survivability and payload, you go with the Falcon. Yeah. And it, I mean, and it had everything too, right? Like like seismic charges and just lasers and just, it was mad. I mean, that's, it's a, it's a crazy ship. It's meant to kill. Yeah. yeah. That's it's death in a box. So um, uh, I have another note that I saw um, during that, that space battle, one of the, uh, the, uh, the the gunner is told to fire at Will, but instead he shoots a Mon Calamari cruiser. Uh, I don't know if Will was on that cruiser. <laughs> but, uh, nice. Um, so I have this uh, this actual note where it says, like Leia, Luke seems immune to the seduction of the dark side. I will point out, however, that much like Mace Windu, or to a lesser extent Qui-Gon, uh, Luke can tap into the dark side and draw strength from it without falling into the pit of anger and hatred. Because uh, I bring that up because the 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 uh, kind of the climax of the the lightsaber duel between him and Vader, when Vader's like, "Well, if I can't turn you, I'll just go after your sister," and Luke just comes out of nowhere and just right. fucking destroys Vader, like literally beating him to the ground before yeah. cutting his hand off like just that the sheer shit. pressure even him smacking his saber against vader you can see vader can't you know he's blocking it but it's taking everything he's got right and like that to me like he's tapping into the dark side to augment his strength but then like the emperor's like oh yeah take your father's place at my side it's your destiny and luke kind of looks at his hand like oh shit i don't have a hand and he doesn't have a hand right and he's like Nah, but you know, I, I always felt that Obi Wan did that too at the last, you know, face off with Maul when he's standing behind the barrier waiting for it to go down to engage. There was that moment where I was like, Jedi shouldn't be pissed off. It looks like Obi Wan's a little pissed off right now. Yeah, but I don't think it's <laughs> to the same extent. No, as Luke, because it's like that's my family. It's like don't mess with my, my sister. Family. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, you know, it's. So, well, he's protecting it. He's protect. He now has family, which is the thing that you know Luke has always been about is the family. He didn't really have it. He didn't know his actual family and the sister thing, which is underplayed in the movies. Obviously, when you read expanded universe, there's more of the interplay between Luke and Leia that you know evolves that relationship. But within the movies, they do a good job with the time pattern. I see that they've grown close. You know, they they're in the situation together in their family. So, so I I. I... This might be inaccurate, but I think the highest uh, kill-to-death ratio in the entire saga <laughs> might belong to Arvel Crinid. 
He is the pilot who was flying out of control and who crashes into the, the bridge of the Super Star Destroyer, which then crashes into the Death Star. Yes. Yeah, it's a, yeah. yeah he was an A-Wing. Some damage. Yeah. But it was just so. like, it's like, oh, shit, like, I admire, like, that dude should have gotten, like, some sort of posthumous medal. Like, the, the medal that Chewbacca should have gotten should go to this guy. Because... And you know what? I never thought of the callback in Rogue One, but when they pull up the hammerhead and it shoves the Star Destroyer into the other one, which goes into the shield generator, that's that same premise where it's just you see the Star Destroyer going into the machine, killing it from crashing. Yeah. Like, I just thought that was, and I had to look up what that guy's name is, and it's Arvo. Good on you. That was Crinid. a fast lookup. Thank you. Well, no, this is in my notes. I didn't, like, just do this. I was doing oh. it as I was. I have, like, 10 pages of notes that I've been uh, reading from. I haven't gotten to everything, obviously. but Well, let's take a moment and everybody give thanks to Ard Krenich. <laughs> because without him, the little-known pilot, that Death Star would have fought on for a lot longer. I absolutely agree. So here's one of my, my questions, and, and I don't know if my knowledge is... Uh, You're hitting uh, out hard tonight, Patsy. Well, I, I appreciate it, but uh, for this particular question, when Vader decides, and this is another thing of the uh, the the remasters that I absolutely fucking hate, is Vader just going no, 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 and then grabbing the Emperor, as opposed to just kind of like having that internal struggle, that turmoil. Like you can't see his fate, which is one of the things I love about the Mandalorian. Like you have no idea what he's doing. Like, I was telling Ashley about that. He's probably making faces at people like Rick Moranis and Spaceballs. But, like, you don't get to see this. Like, you're not supposed to. You're just supposed to see him kind of, like, looking back and forth. And then he makes that decision. Like, Well, you know, uh, um, what's her name? Uh, Played Felicity in the 90s as in the Americans. Uh, Carrie Russell, who's playing um, in Episode 9, who's playing, uh, oh, God, what's her character's name? Yeah, I don't remember it either, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, Zori Bliss. She's playing oh, Zori Bliss. She actually did a great uh, interview where she was just like, this has been the best filming experience because like, there was days I didn't even have to have makeup on because I'm just wearing a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, it's it's um, that's one of those things where it's like, uh, the, the, the question I have is why, even wow. as... Uh, uh, Vader is lifting him and heaving him down the, the, the reactor shaft. Why does the force lightning never stop? Because it's not like as Vader's picking him up, he's not like redirecting it. He's just kind of like got his hands in the exact same position. It's almost like if you were moving a mannequin. Uh, why does the force lightning never stop? And why does it affect Vader if it's just, you know, because Vader's mostly machine, dude. I know, but it's not being be directed one. at him. Even he was standing right next to Luke as Luke's getting electrocuted. Like, doesn't it have to be directed towards someone? Uh, it's branching all over the place, right? I mean, yeah, I think he was just freaking out. Yeah, I mean, he, but he just he kind of had his hands just straight up. Like, why wouldn't it stop? Why wouldn't he like stop and like try to do something to prevent himself from being launched down the reactor shaft? Hey Josh, it does got... seem uh, fairly weak. Uh, yeah, like he could have done more. Um, hey Josh, you still got Sheev's phone number? Let's call up and ask that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's funny, you know, watching that after having watched the prequels and actually, you know, after seeing him kind of get you know, a betray Mace Windu and and do that, uh, it does feel, I think, a little bit more powerful, but at the same time, a little bit lackluster because it's almost done better the first time. Yeah. 
especially like right up against or, the the light first time being prequel time yeah yeah i know what you meant the, like cannot uh chronologically not i was gonna say canonically right <laughs> like and you like you know you see how that uh that effort like you know kind of drops the facade of what he really looks like you know yeah and then yeah. he uses that yeah. as an excuse um so i've got a couple more couple more notes and then i really want to uh, talk about some of this stuff like at the end so when we see the 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 final uh interaction between luke and vader first of all how much does vader with his mask off now look like billy joel sitting behind a, a harmonica it's true but um when you first saw that and you saw like that he's basically just like a guy. Like I know you get like a little glimpse of him without his helmet off, and you see his head's all scarred and, and beat up. Um, when you finally get to see this, and you see this interaction, like this first real human face to face interaction of Darth Vader and Luke, like what was your initial reaction? If you can remember, I'll start with you, Rocky. Uh, I was going to say uh, that's a point we missed talking about when you see it for the first time in Empire when he's in the hibernation chamber and when you first saw the back of his head with the scar and you were like, oh, but yeah, this was sort of like uh, it was actually kind of creepy. I remember looking at it thinking, wow, this is what was under there because he was just like, he looked like my dad, to be quite fair. It kind of freaked me out there because, you know, he big bloated face, scars everywhere, eyes all fucked up. And it was just uh, it was unnerving that all this time that you've been intimidated and scared of this character inside of it is just this old, feeble man, you know, and it was just it was unsettling, I guess is a good way to say it when it was first revealed. That's fair. I you? think it's super accurate. It's it, there is definitely something unnerving and, and creepy about it and at the same time a little bit sad where you just kind of you feel sorry for him sad. in this moment and you're like what is left of this guy you know and you don't think of him as a person up until now you know this entire time yeah exactly he's just been a fearsome mask and death is all you've seen from this thing and now you're forced to really humanize it yeah that's that's exactly the word i was going to use is, is humanize it which is you know kind of what episode nine does when you see like Finn take off his mask and you see that there's a person behind this stormtrooper because it's just this disposable faceless army every single one of them looks the same and acts the same and does the same thing it's it's almost like they're not people like you don't think about it that way it's like you've watched you know hundreds of thousands of people die throughout this film and like it it doesn't mean anything because they're not named they're not you know uh, there's no face to put to the character yeah, and that was sort of what I really liked about the main focus of the Clone Wars TV show was them, you know, there's there's a really great moment very early on in the show where Yoda's stuck with three clone troopers and Yoda basically gives them the whole, you know, yeah, you may all be genetically the same, but you all have different experiences. You're different individuals, yes. you know, and it was, it's a very, really neat touchstone for what they established with that show. And I feel the same way with The Force Awakens when Finn was revealed as this guy with a conscience. He didn't want to murder. He didn't want to savage that village. You know, it's, it was very jarring, but very pleasant. Yeah. And to see Vader, you know, to finally like, you know, all the stuff that Luke had been saying about him for the last movie and a half, like, I know there's good in him. I know I can, you know, I can, I can bring him over to the light side. Like so many times, 
Yeah, so many times everyone's just like, oh, we got to kill him, got to kill him, got to kill him, got to kill him. And he's like, no, like, I don't want to kill him. Like, I know we've had, like, these massive battles, but I've never tried to really kill him. I know we've had a couple of bad Thanksgivings with fucking Uncle Joe, but, you know, we shouldn't kill him at the table. Yeah, essentially. (laughs) Uh, What I liked was, you know, when he he says to him, because I never, you know, as a kid watching this, I never thought that this was a life support system. I always thought, and even after seeing it, like, and getting the fact that, you know, he always had that deep, raspy breathing, and it just got, like, way thrown off after the electrical attack. I just thought it, you know, jacked him up, and, like, all the electricity is what did it. Not you realizing. Thought, you thought Darth Vader was Bane? Yeah. <laughs> not realizing that this suit is what's keeping him, like, not only alive, but essentially together. Because um, he's just a torso and a head. Yeah. And- it puts a lot of things in perspective. And again, it's another thing that the prequels really, really make the the watching of this original trilogy that much more powerful. I know people hate the prequels and they, they bash them on all the time, but look what they did for the old movies. You know, like you go back and you watch it and you're like, oh man, like there's hardly anything left of this guy. He's, he's, he's barely alive. He's barely human. And right. it's just, it adds a whole new a whole new perspective on the character. And especially when you delve into, uh, you know, some of the expanded stuff where it's like, it's like, yeah, um, you know, he's got the suit and it's like, he's constantly in pain. He can't sleep. He's always like, you know, uh, it takes everything he has just to, and it, this isn't the top of the line electronics. Like the emperor made sure that like he would be constantly distracted and had to use the force to basically dull his pain and keep himself together. So when you think about it like that, and he's like, you know, finally decides to to save his son over, you know, continuing to be, you know, the the emperor's right-hand man, and he's just like, take this mask off of me. I want to look at you before I die. Like, I'm totally fine. With my own eyes. Yeah. That whole line, it's like, oh, wow. I want to look look upon you with my own eyes. Yeah, and it's like... And he's like, that was were... a very powerful moment. Like that was moving. You didn't expect that level of emotional draw at the end of that film, like they did. It was really well done. Tell your sister you were right about me. Right? Oh like, yeah, right, like, right in oh. the gut. And then like, that's, and that's how another he thing dies. that you don't you don't see him him care much about Leia's feelings up at this point. Uh, so that idea that like it, it matters to him what Leia thinks of him that, that's that's big. Yeah. Well the. The redemption of Anakin Skywalker was always the focus of this whole thing. No matter how much Lucas did or didn't have written about the mythology when he began, I mean, you know, people were riveted to find out whether, you know, like you said, at the end of Empire, it's just all those cliffhangers. Is it true? Was he the father? You know, you know, all those things that they answered in Jedi, they did really well, and they really, I mean, outside of outside of Leia's little mushy moment in uh, the village there. Um, you know, they did a good job of pulling the heartstrings and making you give a damn about these characters you loathe. So, yeah. you know, we see Luke, you know, doing everything that when he's when he's like, you know, we, you can't die. I've got to save you. And he's like, you already have like, right. It's like, oh, like even after all the bad shit that he did, like we know why he did it. You know, it was always for his family. And then when there was no one left, he was just like, fine, fuck it. You know, everyone thinks I'm bad. I'm just going to be bad all the time. And he drags, you know, Luke drags, you know, what's got to be a, a 
three, four hundred pound corpse onto this ship and just barely gets away. You know, all of the the uh, emotion that's wrapped up with this, we finally get to have closure on the Anakin Skywalker story. And Luke is. And we, and we get one more moment of Leia showing her force power because uh, remember Han's like, I'm sure he wasn't on that thing when it went up. And she's like, he wasn't. The whole the whole fact that uh, yeah you're right about that but the whole fact where you know it's it's all of Luke's journey to you know even it's it's the opposite of what everyone was telling Anakin it's like oh yeah you're the best you're the best you're the best and everyone telling Luke like no you have to destroy Vader you have like Obi Wan's telling him Yoda's telling him it's like you know. He's like, well, I can't kill my father. It's like, well, then we've already lost. Like, you have to kill your dad that you just found out is your dad. Like, if you don't, if you don't kill him, then everybody's gonna die. Like, we've lost already. If you won't even do this, and Luke knew better. Like, he was like, listen, you haven't fought him. Like, because Yoda never confronted him after his turn to the dark side, so Yoda couldn't right. have sensed that. You know, all he fought was. Uh, but I mean, he he had no idea Sidious was a fucking Sith Lord. In, in, like. I talked about this on the prequel show. It's like that asshole was sitting there. He had Sith artifacts all over his fucking office. He was so blatant about it. He was never trying to hide who he was. It's like, hey, isn't that a Sith base? Uh, no, that's uh, early Etruscan. Uh, oh, that's very nice. Yeah, it's totally that's not an, Sith. That's an Athorian dildo. Yeah. It's like one of those history buffs who has nothing but Nazi propaganda in their yeah. collection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you kind of have to wonder after a little bit. Right. And it, like no one knew this. So for Yoda to be like, no, this is the only way that this can this can happen and come out in our favor. It's like, no. Like it's do you almost... ever wonder? Do you ever wonder that Yoda knew that the only way there could be true balance is if they defeated themselves? So it was like a necessary thing that had to happen. He wasn't happy, but he somehow knew that this was the only way to achieve balance is when there's only one left. It's entirely possible, but I also look at it like, uh, kind of like the Matrix. You know, it's like everything's based on choice, but you can't see past a decision you haven't made yet. So there's no way like they they didn't account for what Luke was going to do. Like they figured like, we'll just tell him what to do and he'll do exactly what we want him to do. It's like, yeah, that worked real well with Anakin, too, didn't it? So in a way, I feel like if there's one character who could be cold enough to to think that way, it'd be Yoda. Yeah. Sadly, he's the one who would make that choice and be like, I'm not going to tell you how this plays out, but this is what needs to happen. Well, that's sort of the thing. And a lot of times, like you say, with the Matrix or whatever, with like the Oracle having seen the possible roots of this could turn, it's Yoda the same way. You know, he's if his species, which we're finding out now with, you know, the limited, you know, we have no name for it. We have no idea how strongly I mean, we know that they're incredibly powerful with the force, you know, these things, as you said, there might be a this is a necessary evil that needs to take place so that you know, the true balance of the force can happen. This has to end. Exactly. So we'll, uh, we'll, we're going to get to the end. We're going to kind of wrap this up, but uh, I want to know, because again, I haven't seen this in uh, the readings and stuff that I've done. So what happened to all of the Imperials on, uh, on Endor, like, or the forest moon, I should say, like, were they executed and then eaten? Like, because we see a lot of empty helmets being played as drums. During <laughs> well, the, that's, how, that's how Leia gets her next outfit. Yeah. 
So like what like what happened? Like did you know were they were they killed? Because there were there were a couple of squads that were you know just hanging around too. Like all the guys at the end, like when they're like send two squads when they did the again the fake Chewbacca you know prisoner thing. <laughs> you know, because they use the they use the uh, the walker, right? Like they come out and they immediately get surrounded. Um, what happened to those guys? Were they executed? Um, I'm pretty sure that they were uh, collected, and sent to prison. I don't think the it's a good. That's another thing. The aftermath book, well, at least the first one I read, did, like really tackles well is talking like wrapping up some of these issues. Is like there are loads and loads of stormtroopers out there. There are loads of imperial officers out there. Um, they not all positions of power were diminished so fast. The rebel alliance isn't that big. There's it's still like there's so much that has to be done, and there's still little like mini games being played all over the place that mm-hmm. have to be you know one one by one. Uh, there's so many questions that come to that, and just literally just what happened on Endor. I feel like there's a lot that could be addressed, and probably was in some comic books in there. That was uh, actually expanded universe stuff. Yeah, there's but uh, just recently, um, if you. <laughs> Once again, we're referring to this a lot, but going back to this most recent episode of The Mandalorian, Cara Dune, the love of my life, she, uh, you know, she's having a conversation with him, explaining to him, saying, listen, after the Battle of Endor, we just turned into like peacekeepers and would escort dignitaries to and from the thing. So we just still don't know what happened on the Battle of Jakku either, which I'm hoping episode nine tells us about, because apparently that was the last big battle but as as joshua was just saying about there were troopers everywhere going back to the original thrawn trilogy that's how thrawn had everything was the empire the emperor had new so he sent thrawn with a mass contingent of the fleet to the other side of the galaxy so that if something goes wrong as it does at the battle indoor that's why he shows up years later with the remnant fleet and wreaks havoc on the republic right exactly um I just had a thought, and now I I totally lost it. Oh well. Um, so overall, with with the, this theor- this series, you know, we get to see some pretty awesome stuff. You know, from stuff that's vital to to pop culture, like you were saying earlier, Rocky. Like people who see, you know, the Millennium Falcon. It's like looking at the bat signal. Like you know what this is. Like if you if you hear a lightsaber, you know what it is. You don't have to be a fan of this of this franchise or this, you know, part of this fandom in any way. But when you hear or see these certain things, like they're instantly recognizable because they're so like deep into the, the pop culture and, you know, nerd culture for lack of a, a better well, who term. Doesn't, who doesn't run around as a kid? I don't care what generation you're from making the Darth Vader breathe or, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> making a, two, making a Wookiee cry, you know, in the middle of the night, who hasn't tried to speak like Yoda every, I mean, we were discussing this on uh, Force and Sensitive the other day about the Mandalorian. Is like the thing about Star Wars that resonates is there are so many quotable lines and memories in those movies that you carry with you. And that's what the show is doing now, but that's what the original trilogy did. I love you. I know. You know, he's no good to be dead. Uh, you know, I was going to Tashi Station to pick up some tower converters. You know, there's just so many memorable tether, you know. Do, do or, or do, do not. not yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's why Star Wars lives in everybody who's ever seen it and been touched by it. It lives within 
the memorable aspects of this movie. So say what you want about any of them. The prequels have it. The new trilogy has it. The new TV show has it. Rebels and Clone Wars have it. There's quotable things and memorable things in this franchise that go beyond social boundaries. There's somebody in Zimbabwe right now trying to speak Jawa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's one of those, like, you know, everybody's tried to force choke someone or like everybody yeah. you know, pretends to be a Jedi as you walk into an automatic door. Like, oh, I was I just about to say force. that one. Yes. Yep. You did it as a child. I do as an adult. Yep. 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 Eight year old me and 38 year old me. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So but see, that's the beauty of this. And this is where people who can't, get past anything and just enjoy what you get and find any whimsy and joy as i found i found joy in every single star wars thing has ever been made regardless some more than others but mm-hmm. regardless yeah i think that's a good way of looking at it so there. we have uh, just crossed the four hour threshold so uh, <laughs> i think we're gonna wrap this up um but before, good note to end on though yeah well, before we go, I want to uh, give you guys a chance to, you know, plug any stuff that you've got going on. Uh, so I'll start with you, Josh. That's filthy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> this, so let's see. This is December 1st, right? Yes. So I just wrapped up a really super productive month. If anybody's curious, um, I had a children's book come out. Um, I had a new comic in uh, previews, which means that's the month that uh, comic book stores could order it in. I had an art book come out about my career in horror. And it has over 100 illustrations that I've done in it. And I uh, released an advanced uh, limited edition version of a new comic book uh, first issue that's coming out for our miniseries hitting uh, stores in 2020. So it's been, I've been super, super busy and prolific lately. If anybody's curious about that, you can find me online uh, at Joshua Frantic on Twitter and Instagram uh, and SourcePoint Press on uh, everything everywhere. Uh, and if you like um, horror and science fiction, then um, you'll probably dig most of the stuff I've been working on. Excellent. And folks can find these uh, the stuff in comic book shops and online. I would say SourcePointPress.com is where they can find this most readily. Most of it, yes, would be there, yeah. All right. And uh, Rocky, uh, let the folks know where uh, they can hear you make noises and... Uh, you, I'm far uh, more interested in what Joshua's got going on, man. I want to go to <laughs> comics and stuff, dude. Seriously. It's like he's way more interesting than me, Patsy. Um, uh, no, I'm doing, uh, well, we're, we're doing the Force Insensitive Weekly while The Mandalorian's running. If uh, more shows start popping out, and then, of course, we inevitably have Episode Nine coming, so I'll get to talk about more Star Wars for probably eight hours this time. So, I uh, got that going on. Uh, I do have my music over at nomanmusic.com, um, K-N-O-W-M-A-N, music.com, and you can go listen to weird music. Speaking of music and force and sensitive, actually, I do a lot of uh, bits for the show. I think Patsy heard the last one I did for mm-hmm. the last episode of The Mandalorian. Um, so, uh, we started a YouTube channel, and uh, I think I'm going to throw up some of like the intro music so the silly bits and stuff we do will be up there sometime soon. So, anyway, uh, that's pretty much it. That and enjoying life with my dogs and my wife. Yes. So, uh, if, if, for those of you who are familiar with uh, Throwdown Thursday, for a very long time, uh, Rocky's song Dead River was our uh, coming back from break song. So, you'll be familiar with them if you uh, listen to some of the... Uh, I think first 150 episodes or so, any of those, <laughs> you'll have uh, you'll have heard that at least once or twice. And I do appreciate that. Thank you very much for the time I had to run there. Oh, awesome! I still play it from time to time. Uh, you know, I've just I've, I'm mixing it up more now that I'm the one doing the uh, 
doing the, uh, the producing. Engineering. Yeah, it, I just wanted to make it as easy as possible for Wolfie. You know, and now ever since you killed your former producer and sent his corpse over our direction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's going to pretty much wrap up our discussion on uh, the original trilogy. Um, next week, we're going to be discussing episodes seven and eight as we lead into uh, our, our coverage of episode nine. Uh, my guests will be uh, Corey from the uh, uh, from the Canopy podcast. From the Canopy, tell Corey I said hello, but tell Cornelius he can go fuck himself. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Corey was on with us uh, on Throwdown Thursday a few weeks ago when we covered Harriet Tubman. Uh, we'll also be joined by that. that good. I'm sorry. I haven't seen that yet. Was it good? I haven't yet either. We talked about we didn't, we didn't see the movie. We we're talking about like uh, we've yeah. we've changed some gears. We're doing historical figures like uh, this ah. this week on uh, Throwdown Thursday. We will be covering Mister Rogers. So Ooh. get the tissues out for that one. Yeah, um, that's awesome. We will also be joined next week by uh, Stephen from the uh, Super Retro Throwback Reviews Show on the Dorkening Network and. Phil from uh, Dark Discussions. So we're going to have a good old time talking about episode seven and eight. And uh, I think with that being said, we'll take a, a quick break. And when we come back, uh, I'll wrap up the show. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. And I'm sorry, Jordan, that things didn't work out with uh, your audio tonight. Because, no! because you were shot into space by an uh, Imperial <laughs> TIE fighter. Uh, but tie interceptor, son. She went out in style. <laughs> That's true. So hopefully we can uh, we can get you back soon. And uh, yeah, we'll be right back. Hey, what's going on? I'm Steven. And I'm Ron. And we're the hosts of the Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Podcast. If you like to hear the latest pop culture news with some smart-ass commentary as well as the latest movie reviews, then check us out. Also, we're a multi-award-nominated podcast, so we're doing something right. God knows how that happened. So check us out on all major podcasts and distributors, and check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on all social media platforms. was the Ohio Express from 1968 with Chewy Chewy. Uh, I'm sorry, I just couldn't help myself. I had to I had to play that one again because I just think it's so damn funny to think of them singing to Chewbacca. And uh, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. This uh, was a lot of effort with all these guys, uh, with, uh, uh, <clears throat> with Josh and Rocky putting all this time in and uh, really helping me out and br- bringing some serious knowledge to the table. So this was a really good time. Um, I barely even noticed that it was four hours long, 
But uh, we just set another record. Last week was the longest one. Now this one's the longest one I've ever done. So, uh, like I said, last week I'm going to keep this outro short, give you your uh, your shark fact. Uh, today uh, I'm going to be talking about the fact that most sharks have good eyesight. Uh, and this is coming from NOAA, N-O-A-A, which is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And this is on their 12 shark facts that may surprise you. As I said, most sharks have good eyesight. And it says, most sharks can see well in dark lighted areas. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Maybe just dark areas might have been a little less uh, confusing. Uh, They have fantastic night vision and can see colors. The back of sharks' eyeballs have a reflective layer of tissue called a tapetum. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Probably not. Tapetum, T-A-P-E-T-U-M. This helps sharks see extremely well with little light. Uh, Similar to uh, cats, how cats uh, cats just open up their pupils really uh, wide. With sharks, they just have this little uh, receptor behind their eyes. So, uh, before I go, um, I just wanted to make sure everybody is aware they should go check out uh, No Man Music on Bandcamp. You can purchase stuff and listen to Rocky's music there. I'm actually going to be playing Dead River at the uh, end of this episode as my closing music uh, because Rocky's such a good dude. And uh, definitely go check out SourcePointPress.com. There's a ton of stuff on there. There's so many different things. Uh, that's where our buddy Ben Goldsmith, who's joined us for a couple of episodes on uh, Throwdown Thursday, that's where uh, some of the stuff he writes ends up. So definitely check them out. If you like comics, there's definitely going to be something for you there. So check those guys out. Buy some stuff. Spend some money. It's the holiday season, and you can totally do all your shopping at either one of those sites. Get people music. Get people comics. Everybody loves a good story. Everybody loves good music. So Check those guys out there. Uh, As I said, next week we're going to be discussing Episode 7 and 8 in preparation for our uh, Episode 9 preview. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns you want to talk about, you know, you have any uh, feedback you want to send us, please feel free to do so. You can reach me at sharkbitespod at gmail.com, and uh, you can send all your feedback there. And if you have some good questions, we'll work it into the show. If you have some bad questions, we'll work those into the show. Uh, we're just looking for some audience participation. So with that being said, just remember, I am the podcaster, but as a listener, you are my chum. Have a great week, everybody.
Let's move. 